When you have the youth, the masculine youth of the world, thinking for themselves, that's pretty scary to a Corey. One of the biggest fatal mistakes any man or human being can make. To chop my head off and try and delete me is asinine in and of itself. Another thing, I'll give the game away. Here's your piece of paper. Do I get canceled again, Logan? You're saying a call like that was made? 100% the dude's a bitch. Lady of yours that you introduced to us yesterday said, this is my wife. I don't even know if I'm convinced you want to have five wives. And that's a very astute observation, and you are correct. But I won't believe in it. I don't want to believe in things that make me weak. Suddenly the most famous man on the internet, and then all of a sudden gone from the internet. So today's sit-down is a sit-down many of you have been asking about for a while, and we finally pulled it off. Uh, there's been no conversations of what we can't talk about. He said nothing's off limits. We're talking everything and anything, however he chooses to answer. Obviously, it's going to be on him. Uh, today's guest is Andrew Tate. Um, many will call him possibly the most popular man on social media the last six months. Nearly 20 billion views on all social media. Uh, the most searched man on social. We were looking at the list. We put up Biden. We put up Trump. We put up Putin. We put up everybody. And he was up there. Some periods he was above everybody else. And uh, recently he got banned in late uh, August. I think the third or fourth week of August, he got banned last uh, la- uh, late August. And at that time, from June to July, his Instagram account was grown at 100,000 followers, new followers on a daily basis on track to get to 10, 20, 40, 50 million followers on Instagram. Suddenly like this, he gets banned. Everybody's wondering what happened. Some had positive thoughts about it. Some didn't have positive thoughts about it. We'll get into that as well. But uh, Tate, appreciate you for making the time in. It's good to be spending these few hours with you. Absolutely. I'm glad to be here, guys. Thank you very much for having me. Thank you. So, so, so let's get right into it. So this, this banning happens, and we've had a lot of different people in the past get banned. I'll read some of the people on why they got banned. Sure. And I think the first question we want to get into is what everybody wants to know. No one still knows. Everything is pure speculation. Trump got banned of all social and all social because of the insurrection. Yeah. Alex Jones promoting and inciting violence, whether it's Sandy Hook, whether it's Pizzagate. Eventually, they just said, we got to kind of cut this off. Yeah. Milo Yiannopoulos got banned in 2016 from Twitter for inciting harassment of SNL and Ghostbuster star Leslie Jones. Louis Farrakhan was banned for anti-Semitism comments spreading hate. Rob Kardashian was banned in 2017 for a revenge porn picture of his ex-girlfriend, Gay Black China. Kanye West was banned temporarily for repeated posts that threatened both Kim and Pete Davidson. Rihanna got banned because they called it inciting horniness, believe it or not. That's what it was called. And for posting a topless photo of herself, then she later on came back on. Rose McGowan got banned in 2017 off Twitter for calling out Ben Affleck for his business relationship with Harvey Weinstein, and that lasted 12 hours. Chelsea Handler in 2014 for posting a nude picture. Many were upset when she did that, but she did post it. Uh, Marjorie Taylor Greene got banned in 2022 for repeated tweets in which she shared false and dangerous info about COVID-19. Oh, false. False and dangerous. That's what they called it. Sorry to interrupt, but yeah, that's very interesting. And then PewDiePie was banned from Twitter for making a joke about ISIS. Okay. So why did Andrew Tate get banned? They did not tell me. They did not send me an email, no correspondence. I certainly didn't break terms of service. I guess that's why they couldn't send me an email and explain why. Nobody told me whether it was YouTube that banned me or Meta that banned me. They banned you me instantly, instantly and forever without any kind of correspondence. They've not told me why. They've not told anyone what I did. 
the media machine in synchronization with the band, we can call that coincidence if you want to believe in such things, came out with a, some kind of bullshit explanation that I'm misogynistic or some garbage. But the actual social media companies themselves provided no explanation at all, no correspondence at all. They just deleted me. That was it. Now, are you are you doing anything about it? Are you, you know, having your legal team trying to find out why they did that or you're not taking any action right now? I do have a lot of things happening behind the scenes. However, and perhaps I'm becoming optimistic in my old age, but I believe that in due course, the social media companies will realize the mistake they made. I think that, and like I said, I don't have intimate knowledge of the workings of social media companies, but assuming they are semi-professional to any regard, and that is a big assumption, but let's assume they're professional. That means that when they ban somebody like me, especially the most Google search person on the planet, they must have teams which are analyzing in real time the response to said action, right? Mm -hmm. They should have people sitting there on the ground analyzing. Now, they attacked me with their media machine because first they shut you up so they can lie about you. So they shut me up. Then they did the massive media push to try and attempt to lie about me. But despite that, the majority of comments regarding me are still positive. The majority of people believe and understand that this ban is unfair. And if these companies have any degree of professionalism, they're analyzing this in real time and they're understanding that this makes us look very bad. People didn't believe the lie. People didn't believe what we attempted to smear this man with. Nobody is buying this narrative. And this is going to have a negative effect on us for a very, very long time. Because when you're in charge of the world, which they are, as soon as you're no longer seen as just and fair, you're seen as tyrannical. And once you're seen as tyrannical, then there's going to be some kind of mass movement against you. So if I was a social media executive, I would sit and I would analyze the data and I would say, listen, guys, we will have a monopoly. We want to retain our monopoly. Let's be smart here. Being known as tyrannical amongst the public consciousness across the entire planet is going to make it very difficult for us to hold our monopoly for a longer period of time, as opposed to being seen to be fair. Even if we're biased, we must be seen as fair. Sure. As soon as we're seen as tyrannical, right. that's when the revolution, look at Ceausescu, as soon as you're, as soon as you're tyrant, that's when everyone hits the streets. Yep. So I think that if they have any kind of serious data monitoring, and if they have any kind of serious business professionalism, they are now talking in dark rooms, understanding that this has played out very badly for them. And if they intend on keeping their monopoly in, into the future, that they need to change something. Maybe I'm being optimistic, but we will Who see. was the first one to take you off? Meta. Meta was first. So Meta. Facebook, Instagram. Facebook, Instagram. <laughs> okay. I and was, then it was a domino effect. Yeah. So Meta took me down. So it was, it's quite interesting, actually. I had a YouTube channel for a while. It was never so large. I had 738,000 subscribers. It took me a long time to build it up. I got a strike on YouTube, which prevented me from posting. It's got a strike. No big deal. The next day... Meta took me down, deleted my Facebook and my Instagram. Um, the press came out at exactly the same time in sync, saying that I'm a misogynistic, dangerous person, that I'm harmful, that I am the reason that the world is not a perfect place. World hunger, you name it, all my fault. Attacked me across all of this. And I thought, okay, let me film a message that I can get out on my YouTube. My final message, which I don't know if you guys have seen. I ended up putting on freetopg.com. Let me film my final message explaining how this is unfair and unjust. We filmed it. We produced it. We got it all edited within 12 hours, head to toe, ready to go. But we couldn't post it because of the YouTube strike. So we're waiting for the YouTube strike to expire. A few hours before the YouTube strike expires, guess what happened? They, right. ban they banned me from YouTube. Then they banned me from Discord. Then they banned me from Airbnb. They banned me from Stripe. 
They banned. I can't even remember. It was, just, it was just emails coming in faster than you could believe. Ban, 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 ban. So the Matrix. The oh, no, no. The Matrix presses a button, my friend. Yeah. And every app on your phone stops working. Uber. You Uber. name it. Uber. Stop. You name it. Wait, you can't use Uber? Well, I can use Uber. You just start a new account, right? But yeah. Oh, sorry, Uber. Catch me. But, uh, but yeah. your main account on Uber was taken. They take everything from you. Anything everything. That, everything. Coordinated effort all at once. Coordinated effort all at once. Every single one of them just goes, no. Delete, 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 delete. And they come at you and they come at you with everything. Banking, and strike. Banks. Payment process. Oh, and banks. UK-based banks as well. High Street, banks. But I can name. Santander, HSBC, Barclays, etc. All Massive at the same time. Banks. Oh, no, sorry. To change, we've decided because blah, blah, some bullshit, some letter, close your accounts. So they take all your banking. They take your payment processing. They take all your social media presence. They take your Discord, they take your Skype, they take all your accounts, your ability to communicate with people, and then they lie about you in the press. And they, uh, and they leave you there. <laughs> they, they leave you there to suffer. They, they attempt to hard. You can understand the social component. All right, these guys are all probably all working in unison. Yeah. But when you hear payment processors, banks, apps like Uber, how are you processing that? No, I mean, that's why he has to do something about it. Because, you know, for me, there's plenty of great lawyers. Did you hear about what happened with Alex Brennison lately? Eric Berenson? Alex. Is yeah, Berenson. Berenson. Yeah, the writer? Alex Berenson. I, think I, he's I a, heard he, he, he sued Twitter or something. He, I don't he know. sued Twitter? Yeah. Did you follow the story? I don't, I don't know the exact story, no. So he was on Joe Rogan. If yeah. you've not seen it, I highly recommend you watch this. So he is saying things about Twitter. Matter of fact, the tweet that got him in trouble, got him his fifth strike was the following tweet. We can put put this up there because I'm just reading what he said. This is a tweet he put out that he said, it doesn't stop infection or transmission. Don't think of it as a vaccine. Think of it as, at best, a therapeutic with a limited window of uh, efficacy and terrible side effects profile that must be dosed in advance of illness and we want to mandate it? Insanity. That's his tweet. So he gets banned Makes a lot of sense to me. In December of last year, which was six months after when Biden said anybody who allows debate of vaccine should be banned or shouldn't be allowed, meaning that there shouldn't be any of that. So six months after that, he gets banned. In April, a judge in California, California is, believe it or not, a very big freedom of speech place because they allow protesting. A judge that was appointed by Bill Clinton comes in and says, I'm allowing this to go through because typically Section 230 that is in place in 1998 was to protect social media sites and many of these online sites that if you offend your ex-wife or if you offend your brother, it has nothing to do with Facebook. So they kind of protected themselves. But Alex was able to go all the way because of this court uh, judge that was appointed by Clinton, not not Obama or Trump, but by Clinton. He goes in. Eventually, he says, you get to... um, have two people uh, from Twitter to come to court to defend themselves. So he could have gone to Jack Dorsey. Long story short, they finally lifted it. He is on uh, Twitter and he's posting heavily talking about the fact that the reason why he got banned is because the government didn't want him on inciting what he was inciting. So the moral of the story is when you say something like that, for someone like you, you seem like you're a methodical guy. You see, you're, you know, you're a chess guy. Your dad's a chess person, you know, five time United Armed Force champion, yep, five correct. times, six times Indiana State. You were playing at five years old against 16 year olds. You don't play chess without being strategic, thinking about your next few moves. Correct. So if you don't do anything 
and bring lawyers in to the market. I've interviewed a lot of people who are in the mob. To the yeah. market, it sounds like they're right. Absolutely. But if you do and you defend yourself, you're not only doing it for yourself, but you're also doing it for others who maybe don't have your kind of resources to say, Correct. hey, this guy's willing to stand up. He kind of helped change the law for me. Correct. Because the one case, it was the Sikhs against Facebook. That's the case that helped them out. India years ago didn't like this Facebook group that had Sikhs. Uh, it was a Sikh uh, Facebook page. So India told Facebook to take them off. Facebook took them off. Then Sikhs sued Facebook. That became the precedence. Nice. So somebody like you can potentially set the new one against oh, Section 230. Absolutely. We, we, I certainly have uh, legal options being explored. And uh, I don't want to say too much on the podcast, but legal options are certainly being explored. We'll see how things progress across the next few, few weeks. But I have a very strong suspicion I will end up back on the media platforms or they will offer them back to me. The question now at this point is if I even want them anymore, which is a, a unique question because a lot of people still believe that you can only have a significant presence in the world with these social media platforms. That's the source of their power. I believe there's huge pressure behind the dam in regards to the fact that everybody understands that these places are tyrannical and that they control ideas and that they force narratives. And I use my wording as the matrix. I call them the matrix. And people say to me, why do you call them the matrix? And I say, because they project a false version of reality in real time that people subscribe to. If there wasn't an absolute blacklist on all opposing views during COVID-19, that bullshit would never have gone on for as long as it did. It went on for as long as it did. And they managed to purport a false version of reality for so long because you couldn't discuss the opposing side. We just talked about our friend here who got banned for saying something very sensible and logical. So when you get huge media companies that can literally alter in reality in real time by deleting the other side of an argument, they're creating a matrix is what I like to call it. So I call them the source of the matrix. So people understand this and there's huge pressure behind the dam. But the problem is people say, well, what's the alternative? And I think if someone could pave the way and put a crack in the dam by ma maintaining massive relevancy despite of a ban and still having a social media platform and presence, which is respected on other platforms, I think it's going to do them significant damage. I think the pressure and the crack together is going to create something monumental. And already I've moved to Rumble. I only had 738,000 subscribers on my YouTube after five years of work. Post-ban, I moved to Rumble, which is a YouTube competitor. Stock price has gone up 36%, and I'm at, five, I'm at half a million subscribers in two weeks. So I'm about to surpass the size of my YouTube channel within a month. Um, YouTube stock's down. Rumble stock's massively up. So all in all, there's, 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 there's other avenues. But we'll see. I, I, have a, I, I certainly agree with you that what they've done to me is massively unfair. They know it's unfair. I think the reason they didn't send me an email or any confirmation of what I did wrong is because they knew they were going to end up in court and they didn't want to be tied down to their reason. They want to stay fluid and try mm -hmm. and make up a reason on the day. Yeah. Uh, I've heard from very reliable sources that their terms of service have changed significantly post my ban. They've made up new reasons post ban. They've made up a bunch of new shit. So it's going to be interesting. But certainly, yeah, there has to be legal ramifications for what they've done. I don't take it personally, but I do take it professionally. And you're right. They were wrong. I have no reason to be banned. My Instagram is just cars. Like, it's just cars and, 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 and a little bit of flexing. There's no politics. There's not even any points of view. I had no strikes. 
nothing. It's just a hit piece. So I will, we, they need if there were betting odds, like if we did a poll, why do you think Andrew Tate was banned from all the social media platforms? And it was misogyny, right? You know, COVID stuff uh, against the government, against system. If you were a betting man, where would you kind of place the odds? Oh, I already know. Everybody already knows I was banned because I talked against the system, against the matrix. They Just know the system why. in general. The system in general. Yeah. I mean, someone compared me to Socrates, which is a, a compliment, but he was vilified. He ended up poisoning himself in Athens and the charge against him was corrupting the youth. If you read about his poisoning and his arrest, they said he was corrupting the youth, but he wasn't corrupting them. He was inspiring them to challenge authority. He was inspiring them to think for themselves. When they were told something, instead of blindly complying, he said, look, analyze who these people are who are telling you to do X. And I even had a tweet I put out on my, I mean, I've been banned on Twitter forever. So I've been been through 20 Twitter bans. I come back as undercover, whatever. But I've been saying for off, I said often, I said, if you have a, if you have a point of view that you are very strong in your adherence to, if you truly believe something, you need to sit and analyze whether it's your own personal experience that makes you believe something, or if something, someone else or something else has convinced you of this. And if they have, you need to then once again, analyze that point of view and analyze who this, who these people are and what they want from you. Do they truly want the best of you? If the news convinces you of something to the point where you're going to argue with your only own family members at a dinner table, does the news really care about you more than your family? This is a genuine question. You need to analyze every belief you hold, where it came from, and then analyze what their intentions are. And if you start to do that, you look at something like COVID, for example, it's an easy one. And you look at all the bullshit they were saying and you sit here and go, wait, 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 these people don't care about me. If I had diabetes or I needed insulin or if I had cancer or if I got in a car crash, anything, they'd be hitting me with medical bills I could never possibly afford. They'd let me die. But they are insisting I take this shot for free on repeat. This doesn't make sense. And when you and when you encourage people to think for themselves, especially the youth, that's what Socrates got accused of. He's corrupting the youth. And and to be honest with you, a, a huge portion of my fan base were 18 to 23, 24 year old males. When you have the youth, the masculine youth of the world thinking for themselves, that's pretty scary to authority because it's the masculine youth of the world that is, one, the revolutionaries, and two, also, that's the backbone of the slave force. If you need people to go die in a ditch in Afghanistan, you need them. If you need people to work bullshit jobs in a coal mine with no health care, you need them. If you need people to blindly comply to bullshit, you need them more than anybody, more than you need the feminists and the fucking the liberals. You need the, the real men to go out there and comply with the bullshit, to live a shitty existence, to purport and prop up a system. The warrior class. The warrior class, right? And if enough of these men stand in one place and say this is enough, that's when a re- revolution happens. Mm-hmm. So this is the most dangerous group of the demographic that the matrix and the people are trying to control and they have to have a narrative over. And that's why they're trying to weaken them in every regard. And when I'm sitting there saying, don't listen to the bullshit, become physically strong, think for yourself, prioritize your brotherhood above what the fucking matrix is telling you. Do not blindly comply, reduce, you know, resist the slave mind. All these things I'm saying, they just sat there one day and said, wait, the most popular person on the planet is saying, don't listen to our bullshit. Delete. Yes, I I don't think uh, I have an issue with somebody coming after my name, saying whatever they want to say. It's going to happen. That's a part of the game. The bigger you get, the louder you get. That's whether it's in business, theology, church, military, social media, you're going to have that happen. And Hollywood's going to happen to you. The concern is when we can't have debate. There's nothing more powerful than you and I having a debate. You know, vaccine in our family, we sat down, we had the conversation about vaccine. My dad's a conservative, 80 years old. 
He says, I'm going to take the vaccine and I'm going to take the second shot and I'm going to take a booster and I'm going to take another booster. He went through all the boosters, right? And he says, but I'm doing it because of my age. I'm like, go for it. Do and my nanny. I'm going to do this. I'm taking this. Go for it. We had a conversation and then we made a decision what yeah. people wanted to do. Nothing wrong with that. But to not allow that discourse to take place is a challenge. To be fair, I, I went on there and I, I asked our research team. I said, guys, tell me everything Tate said that's pissed people off. Okay, I want to read some of this stuff. Sure. And, you know, some of it's rubbed some people the wrong way and some of it's offended certain people. But these are some of the things that you've said in the past before. You said uh, it's been proven that the smartest people in the world are men. Okay. Correct. I think you had that with Barstool Sports and then they came out with the Portnoy and the highest IQ. And then later on, it was proven that most of the IQ was more men than it was women. Absolutely. Next, I will not administer CPR until you're uh, unless you're a hot female. Yeah. Okay. So, so the, the, what's actually interesting is, and this is what's really, really important because it becomes a broader argument than just me and what's happened to me. And I want to make something clear to the social media companies also as a whole. A lot of the things I said were in longer format video on YouTube three, four years ago. And the way that social media is being... Uh, produced and also digested has changed significantly in the last year. It's all TikTok. It's all YouTube shorts. It's all Instagram stories. TikTok in real time has destroyed the attention span of billions of people. Have you ever watched somebody on TikTok? How long do they give a video before they get bored? How long? Watch someone. Next time you see Two someone on TikTok. Boring. Boring. Yeah. Boring. Like your attention span is gone. You can no longer focus on the real world. You can't focus on anything. ADHD is being developed in real time from these apps, right? So the idea of me producing a seven, eight minute video like I used to and people consuming all of it and understanding the context is gone. They'll take one few seconds, like me saying I wouldn't administer CPR to a, a, to a man, for example. And it's act, it was actually satire, of course. It's a joke. I talk at, at length about how... Uh, that's the part. That's the whole point. It's a joke. But they take that one part, they put it on a TikTok, Boom, boom, boom. They add some editing. They remove the tonality. They make it interesting and funny, and it goes viral. That's fine. But the point, we li- we now live in a world where anything you ever say can be taken out of context. Anything you ever say can be weaponized against you. And I'm not complaining. I don't believe in complaining. I believe in responsibility. And I'm not saying I didn't say them. I'm not saying I didn't mean it. Mm-hmm. I'm saying that most of the people who are upset by things I've said have heard a few clips out of context and never actually digested any of my content seriously. You know, because that, that was part of a very long video. Yeah. The idea that I would let my brother die next to me my own, my own brother or my friend die next to me. Because he's not a hot chick. Because he's not a hot chick. It's asinine. It's, it's, it's a name, yeah. right? But it's stupid to even believe it. But if you watch the whole video at length, that makes yeah. sense. But if you only see that, then, then, then it doesn't make sense. You know, you know what's crazy, though? Then, because you, you, I'm sure you saw what Rogan said about you and the position they took when we we're talking about you. And they're like, look, we need this guy. Yeah. Because he's got to keep talking about the stuff. You know, and he's having a conversation with Brandon Shop. I think it's Eddie. It's all these guys that are on the front. Brian Callen. Yeah. And then they're like, yeah, this guy, you know, we got to protect what he has to say. But then Jake Paul said, I don't roll with Tate. I don't. Yeah. I'd love to knock his ass out. He said something like that. Yeah. But then he said, but what I do support is, free speech. you know, free, free speech. speech. But yeah. then his brother said something else. His brother said, you know, the shit that Andrew Tate says will have a ripple effect much more dangerous than you can imagine because his narrative is truly hateful. His rhetoric has extreme negative energy in it, and it will affect impressionable young people that won't show for years from now, and it's dangerous. Now, this is what he says, this right? This is Logan Paul, you're but, saying? But, but I want to yeah. say this before you comment on it. And then Junior supported you. Tucker supported you. 
I think the guys that like debate and comedians, people who appreciate humor, can understand that some of the stuff you're saying is funny as hell. You could be a comedian if you wanted to, but a person has to really pay attention to the comedy. But, you know, some some can run with it. Some cannot run with it. When you hear the people that support and don't support you. How do you process that? So first things first, I want to make it very, very clear that Logan Paul is absolutely not really a tool of the matrix. He's a bought and sold individual with no soul. He doesn't stand up for anything and he doesn't mean anything he says. He gets pieces of paper from Susan or whoever else telling him what he's allowed to say on his channel to retain. You it. believe that? A hundred percent. Not only do I believe it, he's proved to himself. He will flip flop on any issue. He can be bought and sold. The dude's a bitch. Logan Paul is a bitch. And I will say that here publicly. If anyone wants, I'll fight him for free. The guy's an idiot. No money needed to fight Logan Paul. Logan Paul doesn't believe in any of the things he says. Logan Paul is a man. If you ever were unfortunate enough to consume his content, I get sent clips of it all the time by people mocking him. As soon as something comes out, whether it's Harry Styles wearing a dress, whether it's uh, little Naz twerking on the devil, whether it's this, he just sits there and goes, yeah, this is great. Yeah, this is great. He is a talking piece. He is the mouthpiece for the agenda. The people have come along, people who are trying to force a narrative, and they said, look, we need to have some degree of control over the exact demographic that Tate has control over. We're going to use Logan Paul and attempt to use him. And he sits there and just purports the bullshit points of view that the whole Hollywood establishment want him to purport. He doesn't believe in the things he said. He's told what to say. And because he was canceled before and it emotionally destroyed him, he sat on camera crying his eyes out like a little girl instead of being a man about it. He is so fearful of the mob and so scared of being canceled again He's going to sit there and say anything he's told. He doesn't believe that shit. Before I was canceled, him and his boyfriend, Mike, did endless videos supporting me, laughing about me, saying how funny I was, tagging me on Instagram, inviting me places, etc. The second I'm canceled, they flip reverse it and shit themselves because they don't want to get canceled too. They are children. That's all they are. So Logan Paul's a bitch. That's the first thing about Logan Paul. And what's actually been interesting about this whole cancellation thing is it hasn't negatively affected me in any serious way because I've been saying on podcasts for years, I know a cancellation is coming. I knew it was coming. I knew that as I got more popular and more Mm. powerful to a degree that it was going to come. But what it has done is it has awoken the world to anyone who's perspicacious enough to pay attention to learn which individuals out here in the social media space actually have character and believe what they say and which are completely bought and sold and are tools to the matrix. The people who have decided to stand up for me and say, no, this is bullshit are people who have to some degree credibility. You know, this is this is people who say what they truly believe. But the people who were totally a fan and then post cancellation shit themselves in 180. And to get a new piece of paper to talk from, that should tell out the public out there exactly who is controlled and whether these people have a, a genuine narrative that they're trying to report on the world. And it's interesting. Logan's one of them, and there's a few others. But I'm glad it happened just for that alone, because it's actually very clear. If you go to Logan Paul's last podcast where he's discussing me, all of his fans, and I will, we'll talk about fans and viewers in a minute, because I think they're very different things. All of his fans, which he has none of, all of his viewers are sitting there insulting him. Saying, bro, they're your fucking bitch. Like everyone, all of his own watchers are calling him names because it's so transparent and so obvious what he's doing. Fans versus viewers. Fans versus viewers, very different things. So he, he doesn't have any fans. He has viewers. And Susan and the Matrix and the people in charge of social media companies are like, okay, we've set our media machine. Let me ask you guys questions as professionals. Let's assume, as professionals, let's assume what I'm saying is correct. Let's assume that the social media companies, when they banned me, set their media machine to all release thousands of news articles at the same time, trying to convince the world I'm an evil man. If they had that degree of power and influence, which I think we can all probably agree they do, don't you think they'd take their number one talking piece to the demographic, which is my fan, and give him a piece of paper and tell him what to say? Does that all make sense? 
Does that make sense to say, well, we told all the news to say Tate's bad. And all of his fans are 18 to 25-year-old men. Who do we have on YouTube who obeys us like a little cock who, who speaks to 18 to 25-year-old men? Logan Paul. Okay, Logan, here's your piece of paper. Do you want to get canceled again, Logan? No, you don't want to get canceled, do you? No, no, Mom. You're saying a call no. like that was made? 100%. The dude's a bitch. He, he won AED from a super fan to, to talking about my rhetoric being dangerous but there's in, di- in 24 hours. There's a difference between you saying who you think he is versus you making the speculation that he got called by somebody to say, here's a narrative we want you to take or else we'll silence you. Well, Logan is not capable of independent thought. So if someone didn't give him the narrative, he didn't think it up himself. The dude's an empty vessel. He says what he is told to say. Somebody, somewhere, told Logan what to say and what stance to take. We can argue whether it was a social media company, whether it was his manager who was fearful, right. whether whatever. But somebody sat with Logan and said, look, Tate's getting a lot of smoke. You were cool with him. Your boyfriend, Mike, was cool with him. He's getting a lot of smoke right now. You're going to bitch out. And he sat there and said, yes, sir. Yes, I will. Because he has no character or no integrity. If it was all the other way around, let's imagine he was getting canceled. And I truly believed it was unfair. I'd sit there on my own platform and say, this is bullshit because I'm not bought, sold, and owned. He's an owned individual. So he's always going to say what he is told to say. He's always going to sit on podcasts, speaking to the youth, promoting Harry Styles wearing a dress, saying that it's great that little Naz twerks on the devil in real time for our children to digest, and then say, I'm dangerous to the youth because that's what he's been told to say. Logan Paul has absolutely no capability for independent thought. He has no character as a man. That's who Logan Paul is. Now, you said he got he got uh, uh, canceled in the past. I don't think he ever got canceled. I he think was, his uh, channel was demonetized for 90 days, but they kept all this stuff up. He was never taken fully down like you were fully taken down. They just kind of demonetized. This is for the uh, Japanese This is when he did the Japanese uh, video where it, it, apparently he went to a place where Yeah. Uh, uh, so you commit suicide, suicide in right. Japan. Right. Yeah, I'm not I'm not completely familiar with the absolute mechanics of his cancellation. All I do know is that he cried on television repeatedly. So the dude was obviously emotionally affected by it and is fearful of it. And when someone is scared of something, that's the tool you use to manipulate them. Well, he is scared of being canceled. Because when this happened to you, you're 35 years old, right? right? You're a grown man. I know you like to joke. I'm an old man. I mean, you're in literally your prime, bro. Right. Um, when that happened to him, he was 23 years old. Correct. Right? This was five years ago. I think he's 27 now, 22, whatever. You've had a lot more life experiences and been in fights, literally, proverbially, all that, versus someone who's 23. I can see where you're coming from, being like he's been groomed by this by this virtual governments, these digital media companies. He needs them. He, he needs them. He's he become needs a them. mouthpiece of them. Is He's a mouthpiece of them. He needs them. And, and you're right. He was younger at the time. I would like to think that Patrick has been through a much harder situation in his life at younger than 23 than cancellation and wasn't crying his eyes out like a little girl. So the dude's obviously emotionally soft. He needs them. And the reason he needs them is because Logan Paul doesn't have fans. He has viewers. And that's what's actually been highlighted to me significantly since my banning that there's a massive difference between those two things. Logan Paul is a person who needs the platforms and needs the algorithms and people will watch him, but they will sit there and most of them will call him names, but he will have views. Mm. That is different than having fans. When you have fans, me, for example, when I got canceled, they say, where's Tate? Where is he? I'll go anywhere he is. I'll download any app. I'll, I'll uninstall the other apps. I'll take his content and post it on the platforms they don't want him on. Where is Tate? That's a fan. And that's different. When you only have viewers, you need the algo. Yeah. I don't need the algo. As long as people know where I am, they're going to come. And it's a, it's a completely different scenario. Who's, whose playbook do you think he's following? If you were to say, you know, because isn't that the Hollywood playbook? Like you follow that playbook and as long as you, because that's what you're speculating. He's following the playbook of you follow our narrative. We're going to give you the world. I think that since the dawn of human time, 
anybody who had power understood that it was a particular demographic which is going to become dangerous to their power neck mechanism in the future. It, it's, it's not a new idea. The idea that the Romans would conquer a Greek city and kill all the, kill all the, the boys and all the military-age males, it's always been the same, right? Who's going to cause us trouble if we want to hold this city? These guys. We'll get rid of them. So nowadays, I think what they're trying to do is neuter this class. They're trying to neuter this class by affecting them mentally and affecting their mindset and affecting their ability to think critically. And if you neuter this class, you're far less likely to have a revolution when you do something crazy. Like, I don't know, like, for example, imagine for two and a half years, you want to walk everyone in their houses because of the common cold. Let's imagine you're going to do something tyrannical. You would want to ensure that this class of individuals were so busy concerned with either being depressed or jerking off or being physically weak or or distracted so they didn't all stand up and go, wait, this common cold can't hurt me. And I and I just started my business and I ain't going bankrupt for this shit. They don't want that. So they're trying to neuter a certain class of people. I don't really want to talk too much in depth about who I think they are because I'm trying to stay alive and I would never kill myself. But it's certainly happening. And I think anybody with a brain can see the narrative is out there. And the narrative is being purported and accelerated by all mainstream media channels. And people who are allowed to have a platform, such as Logan Paul, have sold their soul, cut their dicks off, and they sat there and say, yes, I will say what you tell me to say. Please don't cancel me. I am a fearful individual. The dude is a punk. And if he ever meets me in the cage, I will destroy him in real time for free. And he knows that. What about the brother? Well, Jake, Jake, at least, well, this is the interesting thing about those two, right? Because me and my brother have become the most famous brothers on the planet. So there's also a degree of jealousy involved. I was just going to ask that. You get the Tate bros and the Paul brothers, and it's like this balance of power that's being shifted and this completely sort of this dance that's happening. It's interesting, right? Because you had the Disney brothers, the I know, Disney brothers. the Disney brothers, <laughs> who gained a bunch of power and notoriety and they were the most famous brothers on the planet. And they've now been usurped by my brother and I, who come from a very unfortunate background and grew up in the street and did everything ourselves. And obviously the, the youth of the world today have an affinity and feel a synergy with us that they don't feel with the Disney brothers because the Disney brothers had a very easy, privileged life. You know, they, they grew up relatively easily and privileged. You get Disney contract, then you become a YouTuber. You've never really known struggle. I mean, you've had it pretty good. So there's a degree of jealousy involved. Jake at least stood up for free speech. Uh, Jake has said some negative comments about me. I've, I've said a few negative things about him, but I have nothing personal against Jake. And also I find it interesting that Jake and Logan are not even that close. They may pretend to be obviously they're brothers, but Jake and KSI have beef. They're literally trying to hurt each other. Logan is KSI's best friend. When you ask Logan, what, who would he choose between KSI and, and his brother in a boxing match? He's like, Oh, I don't know, man. He can't even choose his own flesh and blood over some fucking dude. He met it's their whole relationship is weird. If you insult my brother or you have any kind of problem with my brother, you have a problem with me. That's on-site permanent. Like me and my brother are like this, but they're not like that. They, they have this weird relationship and they've slept with each other's girlfriends and a bunch of weird shit. So I don't know what's going on with them, 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 them guys. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I did say, thank God Andrew, Andrew Tate got banned. Go ahead. You were saying well, something. I mean, we're talking about the Tate brothers right? and the Paul brothers, arguably the two most famous set of brothers in the world. Right. But you've got two sons, right? Yeah. Well, listen, similar age difference for between me, these guys. For me, here's what I like. Yeah. I'm a pro-competition guy. Yeah. Right. The fact that he went on Rumble and he got a half a million subs in two weeks, you know who wins? You know who wins? The market. The world wins. Yeah. Yeah. The fact that he went on Rumble, got a half a million subs. Good job for Chris for making that move, by the right. way. We know and we've had good yeah. conversations at the house with him. And he's making a move right now on uh, uh, our buddy, right, the guy we yeah. like, Russell Brand, and a few other guys. Amazing. But the stuff, he's, he's, he's doing the right thing. Yeah, he's Amazing doing the right thing. Yeah, no question yeah. about it. Amazing but guy. go back to this. I want both to be competing. 
Completely. I got two boys. I want the tapes going against Paul's to yeah. go against this. Completely. I run an insurance company. We have a lot of siblings that compete against each other. It's great for the market. But where I was going, I said, who is Logan Paul's playbook he's following, right? He's 27. The video you talked about, 23, when it was in December of 2017, I want to say, when he was in Japan. The video with him and his girl when, you know, the, the what do you call it? The belt. belt. That when he got, you got kicked off of Big Brother or whatever it was in 2016. But that video is from 2012. Mm-hmm. Ten years ago, he's 25. So 23, 25, you know, you're coming from that kind of an environment. You can kind of hold the two things at the same level of accountability. One is suicide. The other one is, you know, a extreme method of sexual, you know. Consensual a, a, a sex. Consensual act. sex that, you know, it is what it is. But this is where I was going with it. Years ago. Uh, and I'm just trying to see because, you know, the whole thing, what would Jesus do? Everybody has a WW something yeah. do, right? Yeah. So Logan, when he did the Japan thing, the story came out. He was talking about it openly that the Rock said, Rock's people said, hey, man, you got to distance yourself from him. And apparently what he told is Rock's people contacted to say, hey, delete all the pictures that we have to get, et cetera, et cetera. So maybe he's going into wrestling. He's following Rock's footsteps. Yeah. Rock is definitely somebody that if, if he ever wanted to run for office, that's a guy that could do it if Correct. he wanted it. I think Logan's another guy, whether you like him or not, I think he's the, he's got the pedigree to one day run. It doesn't mean you're going to support his policies, Correct. but he is a guy that's going in the direction of one day running 20, 30 years. He could do it. So maybe he's sitting there saying, what would the Rock do? Uh, he distanced himself from me. Well, maybe I got to stop defending this guy and I got to distance myself from him. I wasn't going on the angle of, you know, Hillary Clinton called or all these guys. No, I was I, going more, what playbook is he following? I, I understand exactly what you're saying, yeah. but I would, I would disagree. And the reason I would disagree is because that would, that, that requires a degree of thought and intellect that Logan Paul does not possess. <laughs> he, he's he, an idiot. No, I know he's an idiot. He's not thinking that far ahead. He's literally, someone has told him, say this, and he says it. It doesn't matter. And it's not just me. There's been loads of examples. And I put it on my, my podcast on Rumble where we went through all the times where something came up some controversial subject that people were discussing, discussing, is this good for the public consciousness? And the answer was always basically no. Is this necessary for children to be consuming? The answer was always basically no. But it was purported by the Hollywood elites and Logan was always the number one person sticking up for it. He is bought and sold by somebody, whether his management team, whoever they are, they think it's good for him to act this particular way. He does not think for himself. He says what he is told to say. But isn't that Hollywood in general? Completely. Right? The I mean, Matrix. That, that, exactly. The Matrix. So we agree. The Matrix. <laughs> the agents of the Matrix. Some minds are not ready to be free. And those who are not ready to be freed are going to sit there and they're going to defend the system. What does Morpheus say himself? He's sitting there defending the system. Logan Paul is going to sit and pretend that the world is going to be a better place if you remove all opposing ideas. And he's going to sit there and say that because he's a moron. Anyone with a brain understands that if you care about your children and your children's children, they need to live in a world full of healthy competition, exactly as you said. As soon as you remove all opposing viewpoints or all competition, you end in tyranny. And anyone with a brain will sit and say, I don't, if he had any kind of character, he'd say, I completely do not agree with what Tate says. However, deplatforming is wrong because of X. He doesn't have to talk about me or what I've said. He can sit there and say, no, deplatforming is wrong because we need to have opposing viewpoints, opposing ideals. Idea A, idea B, the truth is perhaps in the middle. He has no intellect. You he can no disagree with somebody. He, he can't do that. He's not smart enough. Yeah. Tate's bad today. Okay, tell me when he's good again. He's a bought and sold individual. When my hero arc completes, because we're at a, a transition stage, when my hero arc completes, and much like Batman, people understand that we thought he was the bad guy, but we realized we needed him. 
And when I come back to save Gotham and the hero arc completes, you'll see him and his little boyfriend back on Instagram saying, Tate's funny, uh, and swap again because it's allowed. That's all he is. He's That's your prediction for him. Not prediction. It's absolute matter of fact, especially it also couples in with the fact that he's extremely jealous of my brother and I's success because my brother and I's success is not based on the same successes that he enjoyed. His success is based on being a clown. That's why he has viewers. He puts on a Pokemon suit and he jumps around like a clown. He doesn't sit there and give ideas or say things that make people think to the point where they genuinely resonate with your mindset. He's not intelligent enough for that. He's a performing clown as opposed to a philosopher. So they're different opposite things. And he knows that and it upsets him. He can't sit in front of a camera by himself and say words that are going to inspire the crowds of, of any city in the world to shout, to shout your name. If I were to walk through Madrid right now, there would be young people shouting my name. Top G, top G. That's because of what I say. Mm-hmm. He puts on a Pokemon suit and does a dance. He's an entertainer. He's not a thinker. Did different we just things. have that conversation yesterday? They're different like things. What di- right. And and this is uh, sort of, to your credit, we were having this conversation because we knew we'd have this sort of dialogue. And he said, Pat was asking me, Adam, what do you think? I said, you got to understand something about where I, my perspective on Tate is 95% of what I've seen about Tate is camera to the face, him talking and spitting game. Right. When you're talking about the Paul brothers, it's fighting, dancing, you know, all sorts of whatever, whatever, whatever. Right. I've never seen you in the in the ring. Yeah. I've seen your uh, highlights, accolades, highlights, yeah. but I've never seen that. Yeah. So people know your rhetoric. They know what you're saying. And whether they agree or disagree, you're known for what's coming out of your mouth versus they're known for antics. And that's the difference between a fan... And a viewer. That's what goes back to your It goes back to the right. initial point. He has viewers because he's a clown. Clowns can have viewers. That's fine. And you need an algorithm and you need a platform for that. But if you have genuine fans like I do, yeah. they ban me. People are like, to this day, where is Tate? And they will go anywhere I am. Anywhere I am, they will come because they don't believe they can find my rhetoric or my ideas somewhere else. If you ban Logan Paul, they can find another moron to jump around in front of a camera for you. They can promote someone else inside of their algo and steal his entire audience inside of a week. He can disappear and they can replace him. He knows that. That's why he says what he's supposed to say. If I stop being the performing clown, the new performing clown comes, the algo favors him. They put him up there and he does a stupid dance and he gets all my viewers. I'm a completely different kettle of fish. Different story. That was a great perspective of entertainer versus thinker, right? I mean, when, when you talk about, let's just say there's a dialogue about Joe Rogan. What are you talking about? So the other day, Joe had this guest on, and you know this person, and Joe said this, you're, you're having a dialogue yes. with another person. But if you talk about, you know, the other day, man, Logan did this one video, it was hilarious. So that's where he's going is one is creating dialogue, the other one is creating entertainment. I can see that. And, and by the way, you know, one thing, uh, uh, the day you got banned, we wrote up a story and we posted it on Twitter, posted on Twitter, and I said, so this guy's a threat to society, the way they're presenting it, right? Tate is a threat to society. Question Fine. mark. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to yeah. read all the things that you said because I want the audience to hear it. Some of it is right. uncomfortable probably for you to hear. Absolutely. But I'm going to read it because I want the audience that maybe hasn't heard all of it see it. But to me, when you say threat to society as a father of four, when I watch little Nas X making out with the devil on a performance and you're saying that's creative, then you really do want to hurt the family nucleus if you're okay with that. Yeah, correct. If a Cardi B gets up there and says, who cares about your, you know, your, uh, your, body, count. your body count, right. you know, go make your money if you got to make Thank your you money. Fine. And other girls are Doesn't like, matter if you're a stripper, if you're a sex worker, it's all good. Like, go, go get your back, girl. You right? know, or OJ Simpson, who did what he did, and he's on Twitter giving fantasy football, or Khamenei, or Putin, or all these guys. 
who are out there giving their commentary. Right. You're worried about this guy because he's a womanizer, because yeah. he's got now a complete different conversation to have. But I, I, I want to read this. I sure. want to read this. I want to read this. And if you allow me to just go through some of them, let me just say it's only a few of them and then we'll wrap up and go to you. No problem. So how are women allowed to drive? Okay, fine. I asked a question the other day. We we're having this debate. I think we were in Cabo. I said, who's a better driver, men or women? And so, well, women get into fewer accidents, but the data doesn't tell the truth. Who drives more miles in their lifetime? And then we eventually, after two hours of debate, you know, you see where you're going with that. I like Eastern Europe as a whole because corruption is far more accessible. Okay, I can see why that's going to cause a red flag. Right. You can't be responsible for something that doesn't listen to you. You can't be responsible for a dog if it doesn't obey you, a child or a woman. Okay, that's going to piss off women. Men who constantly give into mental health problems can't compete with other men who don't. Uh, I'm depressed. I can't go to the gym. You said that's why you got to go to the gym. So you're not depressed. Right. Read the Bible. Every single man had multiple wives. Not a single woman had multiple husbands. It's against the will of God. It's disgusting. Okay. He, uh, uh, sexual harassment is a disgusting and inexcusable. However, man looking at you or whistling at you or asking your name isn't harassment. Women have been exchanging sex for opportunity for a long time. Some did this, weren't abused. If you put yourself in a position to be raped, you must bear some responsibility. That's going to piss a lot of people off when you say that. Completely. I understand. And I would actually, if we have time, I would like to explain all of these. Con- all of these uh, uh, when I'm done, you can rebuttal on everyone. Because I, I mean every single one of them. If you want to reach me, I'm on Minict. Minict is a new app. It's fantastic. It allows me to interact directly with people. I get a lot of messages on email, a lot of DMs and those kind of things. But the people who are serious and want to have serious conversations and grow from them, whether it's a business opportunity or personal experience, et cetera, I'm on Minict. And I can't wait to interact with the serious individuals of the world. So I would like to Fantastic. Good. Why would you be with a woman who's not a virgin anyway? She's a used good secondhand. Right. I mean, that's okay. 99.9%. Yeah, Read the Bible. Every single man had multiple wives. Not a single woman had multiple husbands. Yep. It's against the will of God. It's disgusting. Okay. Yep. It's easier to get off on rape charges in Romania. Okay. That's, that's, uh, that, was, that was taken out completely. Out. Of course it was. You went a little bit deeper, but again, you can uh, give your position. Yep. Uh, you know, anyways, there's a bunch of other things that I can go on uh, uh, that I can go through. So, I read those comments, and yep. here's what I'll say when I read those comments. I have two sons. I have two uh, daughters. When I post stuff about you, and they'll say, how dare you, who's a father married with four kids, you know, would you want a girl, your daughter, to go through this? And I said, first of all, I get judged on how I might raise, I raised my kids for right. 18 years. Yep. Your, your brother now has a daughter, so you got right. a niece. So your yep. emotional attachment of your Fear, paranoia for having, if somebody touches that girl, I know your wiring is, you guys are going to be in a completely different place. Absolutely. And God's got a funny way of giving daughters to men that, you know what I'm saying? (laughs) It's true. Or nieces. It's true. But but when you, when you hear, when you hear these things and people say, well, dude, that's just not cool. You can't say that. We're about this. We're about that. We're about this. What do you say to the people who hear this stuff and they say, dude, this guy's out of his mind? I will tell them. I will say that they are a, a product of the modern world where sensationalism gets clicks, where nobody has an attention span, and where they've taken long format content, completely removed all context, and they're now watching something they don't completely understand, along with group think, along with group psychosis, along with the idea that it's cool to hate Andrew Tate, they are now saying that I'm the worst man in the world. I can explain each and every one of these sentences, and with explanation, people will understand that they're not, I'm not some evil psycho. There's endless videos on TikTok of people going up to women on the street going, what do you think of Andrew Tate? And half of them actually say, we love Andrew Tate. I'd love to date a man like Andrew Tate. He's the kind of guy I like. The girls just say, I hate him. I hate him. They say, why? He says, he talks bad about women. And then they say, what does he say bad? Every single one of them goes, I uh, uh, can't remember. 
They were told to believe it. They're told to wear the mask. They don't even know. They're NPCs. You know what's unfortunate about the world? What's NPCs? No, no, NPCs, like a video game. You ever played a video game, a non-playable character? Oh, where you're like it. running around in an RPG and there's some character there who just repeats the same line over and over again? They're NPCs. You know what's unfortunate about the way the world is? Maths and statistics insist there's no way this can be broken. That unfortunately, half of the population are more stupid than average. That's the truth. There are a bunch of dumb people out there who just literally repeat what they're told. Tate's dangerous for women. Tate's dangerous for women. Why? I don't know why. Well, why, why do I need why, to go watch all the videos anything? on Tate? I'll just take your word for yeah, it. Yeah, I, I don't even fucking know. Let's, if you don't mind, if you, I would like to go through each of these one by one. If you can remind me of the first one, I'll, I'll explain it. So you have the CPR you already addressed, yeah. drive. So corruption in Romania. So let's, let's do one by one. What's go the first one? Corruption. Go to corruption, corruption. or uh, driving. Corruption. So let's talk about, I said corruption is far more accessible in Eastern Europe. The reason I said that is because, firstly, I live in Romania, which is a beautiful country full of beautiful people. I was living there and people often say to me, why do you live in a corrupt country? And my argument was, every country's corrupt. If you think America is not corrupt, you are living in a bubble. The world is corrupt. England's corrupt. They're all corrupt. The EU is corrupt. Russia's corrupt. Every country's corrupt. I would rather live in a corrupt country, considering that they're all corrupt, with corruption that's more accessible to myself, than in a country where they're going to pretend there's law and order, unless you reach a certain level, and then you can access the corruption. I'll give you a very simple example. If you are, let's say, the husband of a senator, for example, and you DUI, let's just make this up, hypothetical. This would never happen. This would but never of happen. Course, because yeah, for sure. You know, like, this kind of stuff America, doesn't happen. the greatest right. country in the world. There's no way that Fathers the husband of senator, Husbands of senators don't drink. They, they, they don't, don't just DUI. Yeah. But let's imagine you did, right? In America, you get off of it scot-free. But if you're a single mother or you're a single parent and you're out there working a minimum wage job and you're trying your very, very hardest and you have kids to raise and you get a DUI, you're fucked. Now... I think it's kind of unfair that the corruption limit in a rich country, in this hypothetical super rich country, means that people at the absolute elite can do whatever they want and nobody else has access. I'll give you another example. Let's imagine you're in Serbia. Same scenario. You're a senator's husband and you get caught with a DUI. Of course, nothing's going to happen to you. But you're a normal person. You get caught with a DUI. Bro, I've had a hard day at work. I know I'm over the limit. I'm sorry. Here's 50 bucks. I'm sorry. I'm just going to drive straight home. All right, cool. Go home. Bam. Accessible corruption. To me, that's a more of an appealing environment to live under than an under a society where they're going to take a normal person, wreck them under the law, throw their ass in jail and fucking destroy them and sit there and cry about law and order, law and order, law and order, when it's all bullshit anyway. There's no law and order. The threshold for corruption is too high. So for me as a person, you said I'm a chess player. If I'm a chess player and I analyze the chessboard, I have geographical freedom. I have financial freedom. I'm going to live in a society why don't I live in a society where I have the most possible moves to make on a chessboard? What, where would I go? I'd go somewhere where my money can benefit me. I don't have billions. I'm not a senator's son, but I have enough to live in some other countries and be protected in some regards. That's just an intelligent chess move. I explained this at length in a video. All that context all removed. Da, 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 da. I was talking about speeding fines. They take it. They take the misogyny thing. They, they talk, take something about rape, which is imaginary because I have no criminal charges against females against anything in my life ever. They put it together. They take in the corruption from Romania. They throw that in. They whip, whip it up and they throw it out to the world. And it's bullshit. It's absolute bullshit. What's the, what's the next one? I said women can't drive. So let's stay on that one real quick. Sure. I mean, I, I, I can understand how that's going to piss off certain people when you're explaining corruption and law and order. 
Because where does jealousy and envy come from? If you think about it, jealousy well, and envy comes from what? Sometimes it, below, comes, usually. It, it comes from people that no matter what they do, they can never be Tate. Yeah. They can never, ever. Like we were talking to Grant Stephan and he, he says, what do you think about Tate? What do you think about everybody that's going to try to do his affiliate marketing? I said, go ahead and do it. Yeah. I said, he's not duplicatable. Yeah. So non-duplicatable people like you are annoying to people that are, I don't know if you understand what I'm saying. Correct. They're, they're, they can't sit there and say, no matter how many motivational books they read, right. no matter how many videos of you they watch, they cannot talk like you and tell the story. Yeah. That produces envy and jealousy. Right. And you can see how someone like this can be taken out of context saying, he must be a criminal for wanting to go to a place that doesn't have law and order. Absolutely. And I understand why they would say that. Now, what's actually interesting is Bucharest, the capital of Romania, where I live, is statistically 25 times safer than a city like London. It's not even a dangerous place. It's, a, it's the most Christian country on earth, 99.3% Christian in the last census. There's churches everywhere. It's highly religious. It's a very nice place. It's just a different economic, it's just a, a different economic bracket. It's nothing to do about Romania specifically. If you go to any second world country in the world with a different economic bracket, the corruption is going to be more accessible. The price is lower. Humans are corrupt. Every single institution on the face of the planet that is run by humans, which is currently all of them, at some degree is corrupt. All of them. Whether it's doctors, financial, judicial, law and order, the monetary system, it's all completely and utterly corrupt. And to sit here and believe that any of them are just and fair, I think we've just learned in the last few years that we can see that even simple things like keeping people alive, even medicine is completely corrupt from head to toe. All of it is. So you have to understand that. And then you have to look at the chessboard and go, okay, if it's all completely and utterly corrupt, and I understand that there are certain people who get to play the game on cheat mode. Do I want to be able to play the game on cheat mode if I'm going to try and be the best version of myself? Well, yes, I could possibly do that in Nigeria. I could play on cheat mode. I could possibly play on cheat mode in Croatia. I could possibly play on cheat mode here. Here, I have to stick to the rules. If I have to obey the rules of chess against a person who can move their pieces however they want, I'm going to be perpetually crushed for eternity. So it makes smart, that's just smart business sense to me to sit there and go, you know what? Fuck it. Let's, let's change the board. Let's move it out. Let's reset up the pieces and let's play this way. And this is nothing specific with the country I live. I have absolute respect for the country I live. This is just human nature. This is the nature of systems and how they work and the nature of the first world, second world, third world. This is just how the world works. So I say these things and people want to sit here and try and, and they mix it up. They take that and they try and mix it up with some girl shit and try and pretend I'm not talking about basic things like speeding fines. That's really what I'm talking about. And, I, and we can have a long, detailed argument about how corrupt America is. But I like to think that most people with the brain understand the, the kind of shit that's going down in America. So America is absolutely corrupt as well. It's just a corrupt world. That's When's humans. the last time you lived in the States? I left when I was a child. So you haven't lived in the States in Never. decades? Never. Wow. But you go back quite frequently. Mm-hmm. That might come to an end. <laughs> that might come to an end. Maybe Miami. Maybe Miami. Um, but you yeah. use, use an analogy to, to kind of set you up for this. Use an analogy with Pomp whenever you did that interview. Yeah. Um, you said, listen, if you uh, – two basketball teams, you play uh, yeah. you know, a pickup game for $10,000, no referees, no judges, no nothing, just go for it, guys. Do you think there would be any cheating going on? Fuck yeah. Yep. Of course. Yep. So now what was the analogy or the metaphor that you made for yeah. government and systems? So I said, yeah. So I say, if you accept that in a basic pickup game of basketball for $10,000 without referees and judges, humans are going to naturally avert to cheating to make sure they win. Do you think the people who are in charge of the world for the power and control of the entire populace and all of its resources are not going to consider cheating to win? You think it's not going to cross their mind to just go, you know what? Let's just change this little bit. I was thinking. You're going to sit there and believe, no, it's fair. Nothing is fair. Nothing has ever been fair. If you've lived a life of genuine hardship, the first thing you will learn is that nothing is ever fair. 
I've never seen a fair fight on the street. I've never seen a fair relationship. I've never seen a fucking person lose his girlfriend or lose their husband fairly. I've never seen a fair incident on the fucking road when someone gets crushed by a truck. The world is a very unfair place. And humans come along and we purport this idea, don't worry, if we're in charge, we'll make it fair. It's bullshit. It's bullshit. Nothing is ever, ever fair. And the human inclination is to win as it should be. And the more powerful you are and the higher the stakes, the higher inclination to win as it should be. This is human nature. You wouldn't be able to put yourself in a position of power if you thought any other way. So if you're going to sit there and accept the basis that we're going to cheat in a basic basketball game, that people cheat in football games, that people cheat in poker, and people cheat in all this bullshit, and then say no, but they're not going to cheat to control the world, then you're asinine. It's all a fucking lie. It's all a cheat. All of it. There's a part of it that that, that somebody, I don't think, I mean, tell me who actually believes the government, everything they do is right, and there isn't corruption in government. What percentage of the populace in any country believes that. Well, the, well it's got to be a very small percentage of <laughs> I like sides. I think most people, I think whether, well, whether side of the political eye on, you, you understand, you recognize that well, but you, corruption you, exists. You have selective hearing where you will typically only see the good on the side you support, and you will typically only see the bad on the side you don't support. But I don't know anybody who doesn't believe there is a lim- level of corruption going on in the government. Well, then you say that. But anyone who ever advocates for more government or, or more law, whether they believe there's corruption or otherwise, are acting adverse to the truth, right? If you believe an institution is corrupt and then you say, I want them to have more power, well, then what? So you have to look at the people who are always advocating for more law. Those people who are advocating for more law or stricter controls, to a degree, are on the side of a corrupt institution. And it's actually very difficult because we need laws. Nobody wants to live in, in a, a failed state without law. Of course, humans need laws completely. Dying empires, this was said by somebody more intelligent than me, but I can't remember their name. Dying empires adopt laws like a sick man adopts medicine. And you'll see by some of these countries in the world, especially the first world countries, as things get harder and harder and harder, the government only has one answer to all problems, law. Energy crisis is out of control. You do need law and order, though. You need law and order. Of course you do. Absolutely you do. But I'm saying that you get to a point where you end up, you, you wonder how you end up in a tyrannical society. You wonder how you end up in a society where it's so hard for the average person to survive against the law itself because when something bad happens inside of a first world nation the first answer is just create more law there's an energy crisis make more law there's too much crime make more law uh inflation make more law more law more law more law print more laws print more laws print more laws you end up with a book of law like this and it can be thrown at anybody at any time and this is what's actually interesting about some societies in the world i live in a country in romania which is the poor one of the poorest countries in europe it's a homogenous society but it's very poor the police drive dachias that can't go more than 65 miles an hour underfunded police force there's no crime. There's no, there's not this big, huge book of law. It's just don't kill anybody. Don't be an idiot and just live your life. It's pretty normal. And it's like that in many places in the world, but in other societies and other empires, they're like, no, we need a law for everything. A law about how you use your telephone, a law about how you listen to the radio, a law about how you do bank transfer, a law about this, a law, 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 law. And to a degree, it ends up sooner on a long enough time frame. If you're going to make new laws every single day into eternity, where are you going to end up? Is that just because Romania just trusts Judeo-Christian values and that's just sort of how they abide? It's, it's, I'd like to think it's that innocent, but I think a lot of it is also down to enforcement. I don't think they have the, the mechanisms to enforce law so they don't pass them. Whereas in other nations, they have the mechanism to enforce the law so they pass them. So, but my point is if I lived in a nation where they're printing 5,000 new laws a week, I know that's going to end up in tyranny. Regardless, sooner or later, if you're going to make new laws every fucking day, sooner or later, it's going to be impossible for you to go outside my house. But that's it. And you end up in a society where that actually literally came true in certain states in America. You couldn't leave your fucking house. That's what happens. 
And it's a sad state of the world. And I'm not a pessimist in any regard. I'm just trying to analyze the chessboard and be as perspicacious as possible and set myself up in a position where I feel like I can live a life true to myself and true to God and be free and enjoy the freedom of, of, of my family and just do what I want to do without hurting anybody. That's all I'm trying well, to do. Well, let, let me ask you, you think um, maybe uh, uh, from your perspective, you have a blind spot. And, uh, and, and I'd love for you to push back on this one sure. here. The blind spot is, you know, the only life you've ever lived is the life of a alpha raised by an alpha who raised two boys who are alphas, who the way you describe your father was a guy that pushed you guys, challenged you guys. He brought you guys together to back each other up. And all you know is I can fight. I can play chess. I can outthink you. I can get out of things. I have uh, the gift of gap. I can talk. I can do. So that's the only lens you have where, you know, if we were living in times, uh, biblical times, a guy like you would probably end up being the emperor, a guy like you who can do all of those things. You're probably going to make it to the top. Correct. But they create a laws and orders for guys like you to not bully the little guy, to protect the little guy. That's Agreed. how they came up with the gum to call it the great equalizer, where naturally you're supposed to gravitate to the top. Yep. Naturally. Agreed. Because of all those things you bring to the table. People want a guy like, like even in New York, many times, Brownsville, they wanted some of the mob there because the mob prevented girls from being taken advantage of. Absolutely. But they still broke the law. So there was still that element of, so do you think a part of it where for you, yes, I can, a person may say, I can see why Tate wants to be in a place where there's less, fewer law and order versus in a place where there's high law and, law and order because it doesn't really defend them, doesn't protect them. That's a really good point of view. And it actually ties in very interesting to another point I want to make. Um, where there's a correlation between people who are free thinkers and people who have opinions which differ from the norm and their testosterone levels. I don't know if you've ever seen this. But the higher your testosterone level, the more likely you are to stand up and say something that the group doesn't agree with. The basic premise behind it, biologically, is you're more prepared to defend your idea. If you stand up against five men and say, you're wrong, I believe this, at some point, and especially in history, that can become violent. So if you don't have the capability or at least the bravery to stand up and face the possibility of violence, you're more likely to just comply with the group thing. So they've done a whole bunch of studies that proves somebody who is combative, not in a negative way, but combative as a whole in regards to not physically afraid of having a, of having a confrontation, let's say, is more likely to have an independent idea as opposed to somebody who is the complete opposite. They're just pure group think because fish, fish swim in schools, right? That's how they protect themselves. So it's an interesting point you have there. And also that can be extrapolated if you look at the political parties of the world or you look at the different ideas, et cetera. You can usually look at someone and kind of see their politics. Sometimes you can look at them and go, yeah, yeah, I get it. Right. So there's a lot. Biology is a huge part to play with it. And yeah, I agree with you. And, and, and you're totally right. My view, like every other person's view on Earth, is bias. And I have a large degree of individualism and a large degree of I can fix this myself or I'll be OK by myself. And that's how I was raised. And it's also my genetic makeup. And you're right. I completely agree with you. And I understand that. And that's why each to their own. I'm not saying everybody should decide to go move to Serbia because you're right. There's mobsters in Serbia that will take advantage of a whole bunch of people completely. But for myself and my own personal chessboard, that's how I set up life. And that's why the, the students who follow me and the kids I talk to, I say, listen, life is extremely difficult as a man. It's very fucking hard. There is no way I can tell you to win unless you're a top tier man. I can't sit here and give you a cheat code that allows you to stay a loser and win. I can only tell you what I've done. I became extremely wealthy. I became extremely capable. I became extremely smart. I developed a vast network of individuals that nobody wants to mess with. And I set up a life that makes me difficult to damage. That's what I did. You're saying, how can I comply, 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 and stay weak and stay stupid and be safe? 
from, from tyranny. And I say to you, you can't do that. That's why I teach the tenants I teach. And that's also why I think they find me so threatening because I'm teaching people to, to, to do exactly that. I say, listen, there's no strength of mind or strength of opinion without strength of body. First thing you need to do is go trade. Don't care what you think. Don't care what you think. Too small. First thing you need to do is go trade. This number one. If you think two plus two is four, and I think two plus two is five, and we're going to argue this to the end, it's going to be five. So <laughs> you better go do something. Newsflash. Two plus two is five now. That's the reality. But that's the reality of Earth, right? And, and I teach kids this reality. I teach men this reality. And by even doing basic things like teaching young men to go and strong, be strong physically, which is we I'd like to think we live in a world where that's all seen as a good thing. There are people in the world who sit there and go, wait, wait, wait. Making them physically stronger is going to affect our ability to change the narrative in their minds in real time with our matrix programming. That is negative. Do, do you think there's wisdom in not saying everything you're thinking about? So, for example, you know, Logan's going to have a big following that's going to say, well, he's wiser than you, Tate, you know, because look at you now. You got banned and he's not, you know, you're smart. He's wise. He knew what his limits are because he knows at what levels somebody is above him and right. he knows how to handle that versus you. You know, you can't control your thoughts and you say whatever that's on your mind. That's what got you in trouble. Hence, Logan is wiser than Tate. Interesting point. And I would actually agree with that point, because as much as people think I'm speaking my mind, trust me, this is 20 percent of the things I think. There are limits to the world. And there's times to say them. There's times not to say them. However, I feel a duty that Logan doesn't feel. And the duty is to my children's children. And I believe certain things need to be said. And it goes beyond just trying to keep my YouTube channel. I, I have a duty. I have a sense of duty, which is he doesn't feel. He, do, he doesn't care. He will say anything that's said. And he will allow anyone to get banned. He doesn't give a fuck. As long as he gets to continue on his channel, please don't delete my channel. I need to be a clown on this channel. That's all he cares about. I care about the world as a whole. I don't give a fuck. I don't care if they delete me for everywhere. I don't care if I go missing from all of social media forever. I don't care. I have money. I'm fine. I'll go to the mountains. I'll take my car. I'll chill. I have a good life. It doesn't matter to me, right? We have different objectives. So yeah, if my objective was primarily number one concern, keep YouTube, then of course I'd talk differently. But that was never my objective. So people will argue he's smarter. I would just argue he has far less important intentions. And I'll argue that he has less moral character and he's quicker to sell out. The, a lot of the things I say, I'll also be honest, a lot of things I say, I really don't think were bannable offenses. I just think I said things that got so popular. I don't think it's the things I said. I think it's how many times they were listened to. And what, that long list of things I said, there's one more there I'd act to actually like to really disparage because it's the one that annoys me the most, where it says, I say that women should bear some responsibility for being raped. I'd like to take this time and explain what I was saying in long format video, which has been completely misconstrued. I was talking about a girl... I was having an argument with a feminist and she was saying that we need to teach men not to rape. And I said, my dear, I love how idealistic you are, but I am realistic. Men are already taught not to rape. She's like, no, they need to, we need to go and change language at school and rewrite history and do all the shit they're trying to do to make men weak because they think that weak men don't rape, which is another argument I want to come back to because weak men are the most dangerous men on the planet. Let's talk about that later. But I said, no, people already understand that rape is wrong. Unfortunately, human nature, some people don't care about doing wrong things. We should teach people not to steal, but they still steal. Would you agree that everyone says don't steal? The Bible says don't steal. The Quran says don't steal. Schools say don't steal. Everyone says don't steal. People still steal. So if I were to take a million dollars in cash and walk down the street at night in the worst part of town holding it, to a degree, I would have some responsibility. When I got robbed, the police would come and say, why did you do that? People would say, Andrew, why did you do that? You have to protect yourself from things. You can't just rely on the ideological hope that others, other people in the world are going to be perfect and infallible or that the law is going to prevent it. You have to say, no, 
I can't walk through the ghetto at two in the morning with a million dollars in cash. I take personal responsibility. She agreed. I said, then by extension, would you agree that the smartest thing a woman can do to prevent rape is not to sit here on a podcast and try and change the way men think and talk about your bullshit, but to take some degree of personal responsibility and not put yourself in dangerous situations. I'm not saying that's going to prevent all rape. I'm not saying that rape is okay. Rapists should be executed. I'm not saying that every single woman who was ever assaulted could have prevented it. I'm not saying any of that. I'm saying the smartest thing a woman can do is say, this is dangerous. Going home with this guy I just met is dangerous. Walking through this area on by myself is dangerous. Let me call a taxi. Let me call my brother. Let me go with my husband. Isn't that a more intelligent way to teach women to prevent themselves from being raped as opposed to telling them you can do whatever you want, walk around in the middle of the night naked. It's no problem. Men shouldn't rape men are the problem. I said, what you're trying to do is illogical. What I'm trying to say will actually prevent rape. So what you're saying, when you're telling girls, do whatever you want, men are the problem. You're convincing women to put themselves in situations where bad things might happen to them. Whereas I'm saying, listen, woman and men, look after yourselves. I'm a full grown man, four-time kickboxing world champion. There's places I don't go alone. I, I came here with security. That's called being an intelligent adult. So I, this is what I was trying to say. I was trying to say, you need to, women need to protect themselves and bear some responsibility to make sure they don't put themselves in situations where bad things can happen to them easily. I'd like to think that's a pretty logical point. No. Andrew said rape's fine. Andrew said it's women's fault. I didn't say that. I, I really didn't say that. It's completely insane. If, when, if I speak to my brother's daughter, or when I have daughters of my own, and they say, I'm concerned, how do I protect myself? I'm not going to say, don't worry. Here's how we're going to protect you. I'm going to rewrite the mentality of every man on the planet so you can walk around naked at night. I'm going to say, listen, you don't go out at night. You better, I'll come pick you up. Who are you going with? That's just intelligent adult think. But they've taken it, misconstrued it, taken it completely out of context, put it on TikToks, reported it, media machine picked it up, lied about me, deleted me so I can't defend myself. And now I'm dangerous to the world. It's a fucking scam. It's all a scam. And it's actually quite interesting because the people who are close to me have said to me in real time, Andrew, you've impressed us. I said, how? He goes, the hit piece they've done on you is unprecedented in the world. And you seem unfazed. It's like, it's not a matter of being unfazed. It's, it's slightly annoying. It's a matter of just analyzing, you know, what I can actually do about it. But um, I think most people who had been through the shit I've been through right now would be genuinely upset and affected by it. I don't give a fuck, right? Because I've, I've set my life up in a way that I know I'm okay. But not many people can handle the entire world saying you're a fucking rape apologist and we're going to delete him from the entire world. He's dangerous to women. Not many people are going to want that to happen to them. So what they've done is genuinely criminal because this is bullshit. I, I was sticking up for women against a feminist saying, don't tell women to go out at night. They're going to get hurt. It's absolutely insane. And like you correctly identified earlier, if someone were to hurt a, a female member of my family, it'd be the biggest mistake they ever fucking made. I don't care about, you know, I'm the worst, I'm the worst enemy a man who hurts a woman could be. The other point I made earlier, I don't want to talk too much, but we talk about weak men. This is what's scariest about this entire agenda they're trying to purport because their ideas like the feminist idea and like the mainstream idea and like Logan Paul's ideas, all their ideals is if we weaken men, then if they become weak enough, they'll no longer be a threat. And I argue that point. Absolutely. I think the most dangerous men on earth are the weak men. I think inside of every single man, we're born with a fire inside of us that if we do not control can destroy ourselves and other people. And if you look at men who have no emotional control, because that's what they're trying to teach us to have. They're saying, listen, you're a man. You're allowed to just cry all the time and have no emotional control, no stoicism. Just be react to your emotions. Do you know what happens when you tell men to just react to their emotions? Anger. You have school shootings. You have rape. You have violence. That's what happens when you tell men to have no emotional control. These school shooters are kids with no emotional control. Rapists are men with no emotional control. Violence and the bullshit you see on the street are men with no emotional control. Telling men to not be stoic is going to create a, a breed of violent young men 
who have no emotional control, can't control their emotions and act out on them. That is absolutely not only more dangerous to society than me coming along saying, listen, I don't give a fuck how you feel, young man. It doesn't matter how you feel. You have duties and you have responsibilities as an adult and you must comply and act a certain way regardless of how you feel. That is better for society as a whole, especially as I'm only teaching the tenants of, listen, go to the gym anyway. Doesn't matter. You don't feel like it. Go anyway. Listen, your girlfriend left you. Your heart's broken. You're not allowed to stalk her. She doesn't want you. Get the fuck over it. What I'm saying is good for the world. They're saying, no, yeah. act out to your emotions. Cool, you're creating stalkers, rapists, and school shooters. These people are fucking dangerous. Well, we're constantly having this conversation about being logical versus being emotional. How many times does this theme come up on our podcast? Yeah. Constantly. And quite candidly, Andrew, I'm, I was more emotional before I started hanging out with BVD yeah. three years ago. But this is something you need to work on. Yeah. Sounds like you've been working on something like this for decades, right? Uh, but when you hear logic versus emotion, logic versus emotion, where are you processing that? Yeah, you know, you know what he makes me think about is, and, and I, I got a question going back to Logan versus yourself on the outcome, on what were you solving for where he was wiser. But what, what he made me think about is the following. This is the question I think society has to ask themselves. The government has to ask themselves. You know, families have to ask themselves. Women have to ask themselves. Men have to ask themselves. Andrew Schultz, who is a ridiculously talented guy. Yeah, yeah. He's a comedian, yeah, right? Yeah, I know. Fantastic yeah. comedian, right? Great name, by the way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So he says, he, he was saying that, I don't know where I saw this video, I think it was on a TikTok video or Instagram video, where he said, in China, they allow videos to go viral, that's about education. In America, they allow videos to go viral on TikTok of people acting a fool or dancing or doing silly stuff because they're trying, this is their way of, Getting Americans to be distracted yeah. to do silly stuff because that's how they're getting sure. rewarded. China, Biden, now, they own let's yeah. say that's true. Let's right. say his ideas, he doesn't know for a fact that's true. Let's say for a fact that it's true. Let's play that. Let's play well, then we have to ask a question. Here's a question. What content goes viral? Okay, let's go through it. Does porn go viral? Boys watch a porn video. They say, bro, you got to see this. Does, does porn get a lot of eyeballs? All right. What, what else goes viral nowadays? What else gets a lot of eyeballs nowadays? So stupid dances, stupid dances, stupid pranks, stupid pranks. What else? Pranks Anything nonsensical. Eyeballs. So you have to a- answer the question. Why is all of this content about depensifying men going viral on platforms that don't defend this argument? Meaning. Instagram doesn't defend what he stands for, okay? TikTok doesn't support what he talks about, okay? YouTube doesn't defend and stand what he stands for. The core foundation of those companies is very different than the core foundation of what he has towards women because they're more feminist, they're more men are, you know, making men weaker, all that stuff. But if these things are getting this many eyeballs, maybe what it's saying is, the market is sitting around saying, dude, we've been waiting for this for a while, man. Like, you know, the market wants to kind of have somebody talk. It doesn't mean it's true or not. But, hey, maybe it's what we're thinking about. Maybe it's what a lot of people are thinking about. And that makes some people uncomfortable to say, no, no. Like the other day, you know, the, the, one of my kids, they were watching a movie without my permission. And there was a scene in it. And my 8-year-old, my 10-year-old, we had to have the conversation about, you know, gays, lesbians, all this other stuff. I kind of shared with you how I had the conversation with them. The moment I had this conversation, Jim walked out. She's like, babe, this is you like that, these types of talks. 
I don't want to have these. You I and the two them. boys. I sat down and I gave them every possible visual they could get. So this is what's going on. Yeah. And in many cases, people who are not teaching this because a father figure's not in it, we have to have this talk. You know what's crazy? As much as I did not want to have that conversation at that point, I love the fact that I was forced to have it because I'm able to get ahead of it so I can control the point of contact and say, here's boys what you're going to be facing. A boy is going to come to you and tell you this. This is going to be happening. When it does, this is my. Uh, uh, this is what we do as a David family. So going back to you, if the algorithms are favoring a person who they don't support his arguments because most of these virtual governments are more feminist, left, all that stuff. Why do you think your messaging got so viral? Well, this is the interesting thing because I didn't put a magic spell on the world. I'm not a magician. You're right. There's obviously a market for what I say. Every People talk about how I became the most viral person on the planet. I'll argue the point. Not only did I become the most viral person on the planet, I did it while being heavily shadow banned. They, they've known about me for a while. They've been trying to shut me up for a while. I've been shadow banned forever. So I became the most viral person on the planet with all the algorithms working against me. Unlike people like Logan who have all the algorithms working for them, against me. Because I'm resonating with people who are sitting there going, finally, this makes sense to me. This is how I feel inside. And this guy's finally talking about it. Everything else I consume is telling me to do things that just don't resonate with my truth. I'm only saying things that people agree with. So to chop my head off and try and delete me is asinine in and of itself because there are billions of people out there, millions of people out there who feel the exact same way. This is what I was saying earlier because, and once again, I'm assuming the social media companies have more, have intellect and people who work for them who are intelligent. If they were smart, if I was a social media company, I would have come to me and said, listen, I would have had a board meeting and said, controlled opposition. And I would have come to me and said, Andrew, you have to create your message. We don't want to delete you. We don't want to be censored. But you have to say this, this way, this, this way. And slowly perhaps taper me down on certain subjects. That would have been smart. You think if they would have come to you and said, Completely. listen, we've been following you, buddy. And, and, then I, and, and, I would, like. and, and I would also talk to them and say, listen, I understand I'm now the most viral person on the planet. I have to take responsibility for the things I say. The way I say things for a video that gets 300 views is different than the way I say things for a video that gets 3 million views. I respect that. Let's have a conversation. I'm not a loose cannon. I'm a logical actor. They could have done that, but they were emotional. Instead, they martyred me and chopped my head off. But that doesn't change anything because there's millions and millions and millions of young men who think the same way I think. There are millions of young men out there who don't want to wear makeup, who don't want to put on a Pokemon suit and be a clown like Logan Paul, who don't want to take transgender blocking drugs, who don't want to... Uh, assign themselves to any kind of feminist ideals, their dick who don't off. want to chop their dick off, who just want to grow up, go to the gym, get strong, be respected, make money, have a beautiful girl in a sports car. There's millions of men who want that. And I speak to those men. And most they think, men want most that, Most men Andrew. want that. And they think by chopping my head off, those men are going to want something else because they'll get rid of me and they'll put James Charles in front of them and say, no, foundation reviews. It ain't going to work. They don't want foundation reviews. It's not what they want. Right. And what's, it's, it's, it's truly crazy. They think that's going to work in and of itself at all. You don't think it's going to work? I think I've been, I think I've proven that it's not going to work. What's actually the most upsetting is this. I find it extremely hypocritical. And of all the things in the world, my pet peeves, the things that annoy me most are hypocrites. I find it extremely hypocritical that the system itself pretends it gives a shit about men's mental health. It will sit there and pretend it cares about all the men out there who are depressed, struggling, sad. But when I come along and tell them the only way I've ever found personally to be happy and contented, because I can only talk my personal story, is to become a man of status, to become successful, to go through pain, to use my trauma, to use the bad things that happened to me, to galvanize myself against attacks from the matrix, as I've just proven I can easily weather. 
When I talk about men's mental health, they delete me. I thought you gave a shit about men's mental health. I'm the most popular man on the planet, and 90% of my content is not even about women. It's motivational and antidepressive. And you're going to sit here and delete me saying that I'm bad for women. What about men? I thought you gave a shit. All of a sudden, you don't give a fuck anymore, right? Just delete him. Who cares? I had a man message me. A man emailed me saying that he was going to kill himself. I get about 10,000 emails a week. I don't answer all of them, but I answer some of them. This guy, his email was so short that I believed him. Subject was, I'm going to kill myself. And the thing is, I know you won't reply. I'm going to kill myself. I don't know what to do. That was the email. And I sat there and said, listen, my friend, I get a lot of emails. I don't know how serious you are. I want you to make me a promise. I'm going to guess that you're not in the best physical condition you could be in. I want you to make me a promise that you're going to get six pack first and send me a picture of you with a six pack. And if you still feel like killing yourself after that, I don't know you. I can't tell you what to do, but I want you to get six pack first. Email me back. We start going back and forth, et cetera, et cetera. I convinced him to get the gym. I said, get six pack, see how you feel. If you still feel like killing yourself, then I'm not telling you to kill yourself. I'm telling you that's what I would recommend. Start training. By the time he started sending me physique updates of him in a better condition, he started sending me huge emails of apology and thank you saying, you saved my life. I can't believe I was thinking of killing myself. You can't believe it. He changed. If that man would have emailed Logan Paul, would Logan Paul have given a fuck? He would have ignored the guy. You think he answers a single fucking email? He doesn't give a shit. All these fucking media figures, all these people who are good for the system, who are dancing on the devil and fucking sitting here talking about dangerous rhetoric and all the other bullshit. You think they'd fucking answer an email? They don't give a solitary fuck about the young men of the world. They would have left that man to die. And even if they would reply to him, what advice would they give? Go take antidepressants and watch my YouTube. They have no value to give a guy because they've never had a life of actual genuine struggle. I'm out here genuinely saving lives, genuinely saying to men, the world you now live in is so competitive that if you're not a competitive male, you're going to be perma-depressed. You don't have a mental disease. You're just in a competitive environment and you are losing. You need to become a competitive person. There's no easy way. It's going to be hard. It's going to suck. But if you get to talk G, the name, if you get there, it's a life worth living. That's what I'm saying. And millions of young men are going, wow, he's showing that you can be born from nothing, single parent on a fucking council estate in the worst town in England, be stabbed, come from nothing and survive and end up with a a multimillionaire. Maybe I can do it if I work hard and I'm diligent and I try hard and I'm really giving hope to the world. And then they delete me. Then they put up a new thing about men's mental health saying which pill they should take. And then they put James Charles of him on the algorithm. This shit's evil. It's, it's, it's genuinely criminal. I am nothing but a positive force for the world. And this is what I was talking earlier about the hero's arc and the arc and the, and the redemption, because I think that inside of human consciousness, people are very, very familiar with the idea of, of the arc of a villain turning into a hero. It's in the Bible. It's in every superhero movie. The guy starts off bad. He's crazy. He's too bad. We don't want him. He's a maverick. He can't control him, blah, blah, blah. But towards the end, you're like, where's Batman? Where's Batman at? And it's going to take a matter of time before people realize, you know what? Tate was actually a good force for the youth. Perhaps he needs to create his message. Perhaps he needs to take his newfound fame on board and change the way he says certain things. Agreed. I'm not infallible as an individual. But to sit here and say I'm dangerous and I must be deleted is disservice to all the men of the world. And then they're going to start printing articles talking about men's mental health. They don't give a fuck about men. They don't give a shit about the 18-year-old boy out there who can't get a girlfriend who's genuinely lonely. And the fucking sports star's fucking them all. I'm telling him what he has to do. I'm saying, listen, bro, of course the sports star's fucking them all. He's a G. You ain't shit. If you were a chick, would you choose you? Because I fucking wouldn't. So whose fault is that? The best thing about being a man, the best thing about being a man is you get to build your character from the ground up. You're not born with any value. You're born as a blank slate. 
I decided I wanted to be a big toting kickboxing Bugatti driving fucking bad boy. I did it all myself. Right. You get to choose you want to be a musician and be sensitive and play guitar and get them that and be and be important that way. You get to choose you want to go get in the cage, you kick the fuck out of somebody. You get to be, choose to be anything you want. But you have to go and do it. Right. It's going to be difficult because it's competitive. But that's the beauty of being a man, the blank slate. And I inspire men to look at themselves as a blank slate and go, you know what? I ain't shit now, but I can become anything I want. How could I possibly give up on myself? And then they delete me. And then they say, we care about men's mental health. They don't give a fuck. They're lying. This is what they say um, that women are and men must become. Completely true. Right? I mean, it's because a man, you talk about, there's nothing worse than being born rich and then just be, being rich. Oh, absolutely. The, the beauty is being fucking dirt poor and becoming rich. Completely. And all three of us sitting here have dealt through that. A man completely. has to have tenacity and go through struggles and days where you're like, I can't fucking do this anymore, but still pop your head up the next day and be like, all right, let me go back and get back in the gym. I say this, tenacity. I say this all the time. I say the best things that ever happened to me are the worst things that ever happened to me. All the trauma and bullshit I've been through in my life are the best things that ever happened to me. Because as a man, if you've not had a difficult life, you cannot be good at being a man. Being a good man and being good at being a man, they're two slightly different things. But to be good at being a man, you need to be have been through so much shit yeah. that when the Matrix deletes your entire life from the internet and starts lying about you at mass, and people start doing protests and wanting you fucking hung, and they're looking for your family members, and reporters start calling every ex-girlfriend you've ever had trying to convince them and bribe them to lie to come out and say you're something you're not. When they're genuinely out to put you in jail, that you can sit there and be focused and stoic enough to go, you know what? Okay, what's the chessboard? What's going to happen? Who's trying to shoot me right now? Nobody. Okay, so it's better than it was a couple of years ago. Okay, so X, Y, Z, and plan through it, right? You're never going to be capable as a man if you've not had trauma. The best men ever have had trauma. If you call a police officer, you need a brave police officer. He ain't going to be brave unless he's been through shit. Yeah. He's not going to be brave unless he's been through shit. So we also, as a society, sit and, and, and look at men and go, we want... There's two kinds of society. There's the matrix society, but the, the true society, the true women with a brain, they actually, I want a man who's strong, who's supportive, who's intelligent, who financially provides, et cetera. Then you're going to want a man to some degree who's been through some shit. Yeah. And a man who's internalized it and used it as a weapon. And this is what I say to people. People email me their long lists of all the bad things that happened to them. And I reply, fantastic. You are so lucky. You have all the building blocks to become the exact kind of man you want to be. If none of this shit happened to you, when something else bad happens to you later, you wouldn't be able to deal with it. Fantastic. And he goes, no, but you know, this, this, he replied again with more excuses. Say, why are you making excuses? I just told you what happened to you is a good thing. You need to reframe your mind. Bad things happened to Batman. They killed his parents. Do you understand? That's why he's Batman. You've just told me you have the building blocks to become the most, you might become top G when I retire. <laughs> Fantastic. What are you complaining about? He goes, well, what do I do? I said, you need to work. Take all that trauma. If you're truly heartbroken, my friend, and we've all been there as men. If you're truly heartbroken, you can't sleep. That means you're going to get in fantastic yes. shape. You better hit the gym. You have nothing else to do. Stop watching YouTube. Stop emailing me. I want pictures of you in the gym. Get to fucking work. Heartbreak's a fantastic motivator, as is depression, as is sadness. Great. Look at what's pissing you off and make sure it never happens again. If you were jacked and rich as fuck, you probably wouldn't have left your ass. So get your shit together. Right? So this is so important. Trauma is such an important part of being a man. And, and the matrix talks of trying to say that trauma is terrible and avoid trauma or if you get trauma, take a pill. And, and, and that's unrealistic. Trauma is going to happen to you. And you, you as a man need to internalize it, accept it and weaponize it to become the best version of yourself you can be. And that requires mental strength and stoicism. It does not require oh, be more emotional. If you're more emotional, you're going to fall apart when shit happens. You're going to end up like Logan Paul crying your eyes out on TV like a bitch. 
I imagine there's a lot of uh, men that hate you because they have not done anything with their lives. And you're basically saying, clean it up, buddy. Get it together. Hit the gym. Make something in your life. It's interesting. And they want to get rich quick. They want the easy way out. And they probably hate you more than feminists. It's interesting. The men who support me online have their shit together. The men who hate me are fat. The men who have done the takedown videos of me are objectively objectively unattractive individuals. I'm not trying to be insulting. Just objectively obese, unattractive individuals, right? People who don't have their life together. It's the same even more with women. You can find 10 women who are sticking up for me, supporting me. They're all beauty queens. And then you find some girl sitting there, some troll sitting in the corner. Andrew's bad for women. You know, so there's a lot to be said there, right? And hate always comes from below. It never comes from above. The people who have their lives together, whether male or female, love me. The people who have failed and they know that the failure is their own fault and I show I'm a good mirror, I reflect their own failures at them. Oh yeah, of course they hate me. And that's what's happened here. What's most upsetting is as follows. This whole idea of protecting women and misogyny has been weaponized to attack someone they don't like. These people saying that we need to get him down because he's a misogynist, they don't give a fuck about women, these people. You think they care? There's some fat troll. There's some dude called Daz who made a takedown video of me who just came out, came out actually on my last podcast. Turns out he was talking to a 13-year-old girl. So he's a fat pedophile. So there's a fat, fat pedophile who did a video on YouTube about me saying that I'm dangerous for women. Got 10 million hits because he's objectively unattractive, saying that he cares about women, but he's a pedophile himself. He doesn't care about women. He's jealous of me. He's jealous of who I am and my lifestyle. So he's found something he can use to weaponize. If he can't make up that bullshit and attack me, how else can he attack me? Can't call me broke. Can't call me dumb. Can't call me stupid. Like, what can he call me? Well, he's better than me at everything. But if I take this and pretend to give a shit, he doesn't give a fuck. I build orphanages in Romania. I, I, have a, I have a charity that rescues stray dogs. I, rep- I take time out of my life replying to emails, saving people from suicide. What the fuck does this guy do for anybody? Nothing. But he's the good person because he gives a shit? No. He's using it as a vehicle to attack somebody who he knows is his superior and every single human metric that can be measured by modern science. And he dislikes me for it. All of this is just weaponized care. Oh, we, we care so much about They don't care about fucking anything. They don't care about people. They just dislike me. And that's a very different thing. It's all been false from the beginning. I've seen through it all from the absolute beginning. It's a matrix attack. And like I said, it's, I told you how it happens. YouTube strike, meta, YouTube, media, 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 Uber, Gmail, Discord, Skype, Twitch, boom, 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 boom. It's all a fucking coordinated hit piece. It's bullshit. You know, it's crazy. I'm listening to you and I'm saying, okay, so who does not want to hear what you have to say? Most people don't want to hear what you have to say. Okay. Now, why is most people not wanting to have hear what you have to say. When a kid is being raised, you got the good cop and the bad cop, right? Mm -hmm. The, the, in many instances, the father's a bad cop, many instances in the family nucleus where mom and dad are together. The father plays the bad cop. The father comes in, get your shit together. You ain't doing nothing. Be a man, go make money, get off your ass. All you're doing is this, all you're doing is that. And that's the message. However, if the market is only filled with only one or the, of the two, it's not healthy. Yep. Meaning, if it's only Tate giving this message, that's not healthy. If it's only the mom saying, well, leave him alone, Andrew. Yep. You're being too tough on him. Yep. You don't know what he's going through. He's just a kid. Yep. He's 12 years old. Why are you being so tough on him? And you, the father, I'm trying to turn him into a man. He needs to be a man. You, need, you realize how tough the world is. But babe, he's just a kid, babe. Leave him alone. You don't know what happened with him last week. So then you, as the father, goes to sleep and you tell her you didn't hear anything she said, but you're sitting there saying, maybe she's got a point. Maybe she's got a point. And in the morning, you go to the kid and say, hey, 
no matter how much shit I talk and I challenge you, guess what? I love you. I believe in you. I think you're going to do something yeah. special with your life, but I want to see you be a leader, right? So the mark, the problem with the market is they only want to give mommy's message Completely. without daddy's message. This is why I believe this message blew up yeah. because the market needs this as well. Because so what happens when I listen to Andrew's message, you go, you'll say something. You know what? Like we met uh, uh, a lady of yours that you introduced to us yesterday. Said this is my wife, yeah. and we met her, right? And you said I'm not in a phase where I want to have thousands. If I wanted to, I could every night I could have a different girl, blah blah blah, blah. all that stuff. You say we say for me, it's only five. Okay, five's the magic number. Yeah, and you say five's the number. Okay, so you say that, and is it satire? Is it real? Is it straight up? Are yeah. you just saying it because you still want to? poke a little bit you still don't want to lose the ability to poke yeah. or is it that's really what i do want to do yeah. you know i do want to kind of have five wives because there's a leak in that argument as well if you take that angle of saying yeah. i want to have five wives yeah. five wives no completely and and that's a good point and that's that's an interesting one as well because i had a conversation with um with a, a journalist from the telegraph who came to my house and, and i had a long conversation with him which i'm about to raise before that i just want to quickly say something that you reminded me of earlier i think that one of the main reasons people hate me is because my message is one of the fact that I came from absolutely nothing. I never had a privileged upbringing in any regard, and I became exactly what I wanted to be. And if you subscribe to my message and you're a fat, unhappy man, then you know all of the failures are your own. I'm a reflection. I am saying that if you understand how I think and my world, you could have become anything you want to be. But you're unhappy with who you are, and that is your fault. So the people who hate me sit there and go, well, if he's right, then I fucked up. If he's right, I could have been anyone I wanted to be. And I fucked up. So he can't be right. He has to be wrong. Because this is not my fault. This is the fault of whatever. I had an unlucky upbringing or my girl left me. Yeah. or that It's someone else's That's fault. Right. If I take responsibility like Tate tells me, then I'm a fuck up. Right. So I have to hate Tate. Tate has to be wrong. And that's why if you look at the general, the composition of my haters, I'm talking about their physical composition as people. You can just look at the people. He likes Tate. He hates Tate. Yep. He likes Tate. She likes Tate. She she wants to go on Tate's y'all. She she can't stand his ass. She like it's very easy physically. to see physically. You can just look at their faces. And, yep, 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 yep. No, yep, no. You can see it right because it's all about personal responsibility, which is why I teach, and that's why a lot of people hate me. So that that's the first thing I was talking about reflection. But it's very interesting what you're saying about the five wives thing. Part of what I do. When I talk, especially about my personal life, to a degree of subversion, I learned this. My father was a chess grandmaster, right? And he, uh, I used to travel around America with him and he'd play chess. And back then there was a lot of former KGB guys who played chess in these massive tournaments. And when they spoke, they were very subversive. You, you, he'd introduce you to his girlfriend and she'd be his wife. And then his other girlfriend, she's his wife. And then his friend is his daughter. And they just say things that aren't really true. Another thing they do is they're very, very emotive with their hands, which is a habit that I kind of learned sometimes. So if, if they were sitting there and, it, and, and an argument got kind of heated, they'd begin to move their hands a lot as they just disagreed. Listen to me, listen, da, 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 and they move their hands because then you can't see if they're going to hit you. So they, they start to move their hands and you get used to it and then whack, right? So there's a few things I picked up from them, but there's a degree of subversion. So if I sit and say I have five wives or 10 wives or one wife or no wife, I like that the matrix doesn't completely understand why I have. That's, that's one of the main reasons I do it. The second thing is this. I sat there with a, a reporter from the Telegraph who said that, why would you have five wives? If you cheat on them, they're unhappy. And I said, my friend, 
Who are you to tell women how they feel and what decisions they want to make? How insulting of you, how, how chauvinistic <laughs> are you to sit and say that women do not have the independent thought to decide, I am prepared to share the top G because of his qualities and accolades and financial capability, as opposed for you to sit here and say, they're not allowed to think that. They have to think what we believe they should think, what the matrix tells them they should think. There are plenty of beautiful women out there who will say, you know what, a man like him, he might do this and that on the side, but you know what, he's my man. There's women who will think that. They won't think it for a fucking loser, but they'll certainly think at the top. When Chris Brown walks in the club and all the girls start screaming, do you think they're going, yes, he'll be loyal? <laughs> Fuck no. He's Chris Brown. They don't give a shit because of his status. At a certain status of man, and I'm not saying that men should cheat. I'm not saying these things. I'm saying at a certain status of man, the idea of absolute exclusivity and absolute loyalty becomes less important to the female because of his other accolades. That's a, that's a fact. Every king, every sultan, read the Bible. Every warlord had a bunch of women. Why? Because he was the warlord. The fucking shit muncher didn't, but the warlord did. That's just the way the world has always made been. That distinction, by the way. There is a it's distinction. It's just the top man. It's just the top. And I'm not yeah. saying that all men can do it, but that's also my message. I don't come and I don't say to all men have a bunch of girls. I don't say that. I say, you better become the fucking man. All I can tell you is what it's like up here and how I got here. If you're telling me you're adamant on staying down there, then don't cry that you're lonely because I don't know that life. I can't tell you. So once again, I talk about five wise, four wise, whatever, et cetera. But these feminists who attack me saying, he has, he gets these women and he cheats on the, if a female decides she wants to be with me, assuming that's what I even do, I could be Mr. Monogamous for anyone fucking knows, right? Assuming that's what I do. That's her imperative. She's an adult. She can sit there and go, okay, my man's the big boss and he's with me 99% of the time, but I know if he goes to Moscow on a business trip, he's doing X, but he comes home to me and I'm driving a Bentley and I'm happy. That's her, imp that's her imperative. That's her prerogative. It's only the feminists and the fucking people who care so much about misogyny and love the women so much who come along and say women are not allowed to think for themselves. No, they're not allowed to accept that. They can accept whatever they want. Women are the gatekeepers. It's a, it's a free market and women are the gatekeepers. Women have all the choice. If they want to get a guy who doesn't fuck nothing else, don't be, they can go get some other guy. Women have all the options in the world. So if, if, if I, last week I was on my yacht in Croatia, there was me and my brother and like 30 girls, all the girls were getting messages. Why are you there? I want to be here. I want to be on I'm not being held What's hostage. confusing? I'm not against my like, will. Like, that's their decision to make. How arrogant and narcissistic must you be as a random individual, especially a male, a random unattractive male with no girlfriend to message an attractive woman and tell her that what she's doing, she thinks wrong for being with me and my brother on a yacht and that she should instead want him playing video games at home. What kind of level of delusion are you operating under to even believe that that's a paradigm of reality? And these are the people who dislike me, who then get exposed to being pedophiles like Daz Black. So it's, it's just absolutely insane. I, I, I'm sorry to keep rambling, but I, I want to talk about one You're more good. thing. I want to talk about one more thing because it's really important. They say I'm a threat to women, which is absolutely not the truth. It couldn't be further from the truth. And I want to say two things about that. I can't think of another person who raised, who reached fame as meteorically as me, who never had a single, I've, no, I've yet to have a single woman come out and accuse me of rape, sexual assault, try and get money from me. None. I have a long and varied history with females and not a single one, despite I now have hundreds of millions of dollars, has come forward. Now that I'm the most famous man in the world, despite the, the newspapers finding them online, finding exes I haven't spoken to for years, calling them and offering them 25 grand for a story bribe to turn on me, not one of them has decided to turn on me and lie for money. Not one. 
And that could have very easily happened to me. It would have been a nail in one of the coffins if that would have happened to me. Luckily, none of it did it because I'm a gentleman and these women know that what's happening to me is bullshit. Not a single one has come forward against me, but I'm somehow I'm a threat to women. I would argue that most men in my position, if they had a meteoric rise, one of their stupid exes would go, fuck this guy. Yeah, I'll take the money and start talking shit. I, I would argue that would happen to a lot of men. Never happened to me. It's the first thing. The second thing I want to argue is when they say I'm a threat to women. If I have choice, why would I be a threat? The threat to women is the man with no access to women. These people who want to do these videos, these unattractive, objectively unattractive, unsuccessful people who do takedown videos of me, who can't get a girlfriend, he's the guy who's going to be a dangerous to women. He's the creep. I have choices. If a girl says to me, I don't like you, no problem. Thank God, one less WhatsApp conversation. Goodbye. Have a nice life. Nice to meet you. It doesn't matter to me, right? So the men who are successful with women are not the dangers. It's the men who are unsuccessful with women who are the dangers. So once again, the whole paradigm is shift. It's bullshit. I have no reason to hurt a female or rape a female or trick a female in any regard. I, why would I do that? It's yeah, uh, you're, but, but you basic are. economics, supply and demand. Supply and demand. If you're high in demand and there's a ton of women there and one of the women leaves, you have an unlimited supply. So why am I going to come one man who can't get any females who he has no supply and he's in complete high demand and the woman breaks his heart or he can't even get a woman, what kind of ramifications and, are going to happen for is, him? And this is the thing. Daz Black, during the height of the takedown, and it's actually also, it talks to the group thing, right? Because a lot of the people who did videos to try and take me down did it for completely selfish reasons. If you do, we have learned that the algorithm has now been programmed to reward you doing a negative video on tape. If you do a negative video on tape, you get millions of views. I want millions of views because I have a YouTube channel. I get money, I get clout. Do I give a shit if it's true? Do I give a shit about Tate? Do I give a shit about the ramifications in his life? No, all these other people did it, so I'm gonna do it. So people start jumping on the bandwagon, right? Tate, Tate's bad, Tate's bad, Tate's bad, for their own personal selfish views. So a guy called Daz Black did a video on me, got 10 million hits, trying to say that I'm a threat to women. He's objectively unattractive, he's an obese video gamer. Did a video on me saying that I'm a threat to women. After that, women start coming forward saying, this guy had spoke to a 13-year-old girl, here's the videos. This guy buys sexual things from an underage girl. That it's all coming out about him being a pedophile now. So he's sitting there as the criminal himself, filled of hate and envy at an innocent man, plus clout chasing, attacking me. When truthfully, who's turned out to be the threat to women? How many women have come forward about me? Zero. How many women have come forward about him? Two and counting. It's absolutely, it's crazy. And if these social media companies have any kind of consciousness and any kind of brain, they should be analyzing this in real time going, we fucked up. We fucked up here. And we'll see what happens in real time. But it's very interesting. It's a very interesting, it's a very interesting observation on the world. The people who hate me most are the unsuccessful ones. And it turns out they're the ones with the skeletons in their closet. The people who have their shit together, we're all fine, right? Crazy. It's a crazy world. Yeah, Tate, you're very persuasive though. So you you gotta know, like I'm if I'm if I'm willing to bet on you getting out of any situation, I'm willing to bet a lot of money that you over <laughs> under risk, you're gonna get out of it. So your ability to persuade. So I can already imagine, like, you know, you know how sometimes uh, uh, go back to the time you're with a girl, you know, you, you don't really know what you're doing yet. You're kind of a rookie of a guy dating girls. What things we said to have sex with the girl. Just think about how creative we get in that five minute moment. What things you've probably said, what things we've said. And then over time, over time, you're like, well, that didn't work. So I'm not going to use that phrase again, but this one definitely worked. And that approach definitely works. So it's either guilt, but you don't know how much I love you. You're not letting me show you a lot. You know, I, you know, sometimes I'm a man. It's natural. You know, as a man, if I don't handle it myself, it's yeah. got to be either you or it's going to yeah. be a wet dream. And 
There's so many ways behind closed doors. So if or I it's the exact you, opposite as well, it can be like, yeah, I don't really care. You can leave if you want. There's, there's many, there's can, many yeah, the yeah. takeaway model. There's many models that you learn. So for you to say that to, to a girl, I remember one time, Jennifer and I, my wife, you know, uh, uh, we're getting, I'm getting close to proposing and yeah. getting married. So I'm a Syrian. She's white. She's yeah. 80% British when we did the ancestry, but she's from Texas. Yeah. So she comes to the house. My dad's a, uh, uh, my, here's who my dad is. My dad will not drink out of the same glass as me. Okay. I'm his son. Yeah. yeah, yeah. He will not. Yeah. My dad, if he goes to someone else's house, he won't eat their food. Yeah. Yeah. Because yeah. he watches how you wash your hands. If he's sitting in the kitchen, he will tell me in a Syrian, he'll say, Did you watch that? I said, What? He said, I can't eat her food. Why? It's been 10 minutes. She hasn't washed her hands a single time. I can't eat her food. And he won't eat their food. He says, I'm already ate. That's how my dad is, right? So anyways, wanna, uh, I'm bringing Jen home. My dad loves Jen. And I said, Jen, I think uh, my dad and I have to have a serious conversation with you because you have to be ready for this. She says, what's that? I said, do you know what it is to marry an Assyrian? She says, no. I said, there's American laws. There's, there's Assyrian laws. And I, my dad and I want to share this with you. Yeah. And my dad is fully confused like what I'm saying, like where, where I'm going with this. I said, when you marry an Assyrian, I'm allowed to have multiple wives. Because by our church, I can have multiple wives. And for about 30 seconds, my dad's confused. Like, what the hell are you talking about? But I'm looking at my wife, my wife, not the time girlfriend. She's like, are you serious? I said, this is the first warriors ever were Assyrians. We're the first ever warriors. 30 seconds into my dad's like, I don't subscribe to Patrick. (laughs) I don't agree. I agree. One wife, Jennifer, don't listen to him. He's full of shit, right? He says this kind of stuff. Now. Say my dad says, yeah, you should. Just think about it. Let's flip it. So my yeah. dad says, yeah, he's a man. If he gives you money, he gives you house, he gives you, you should do that. Yeah. Then I'm kind of going to be like, yeah, what's wrong if I do that? So I think a lot of it is also on, you know, our ability to persuade. And we can go here. And then sometimes we test the limit and say, I can go here. Why don't you get your friend in? Yeah. You know, I like you, but you know, if you want to, maybe you have some fantasies. Yeah. I don't know what you're from, but if you want to fulfill your fantasy, it's not like I want to hook up with your friend, yeah. but you can bring your friend. In. And yeah. then these words that we use, right? So persuasive wise, you're a 10. You can get anything you want when you're having those conversations. But here's the other part I want to bring to you. Okay. I'm writing all these things down. Yeah. You like to instigate. You like to poke. Now, if, let me say it and then you unpack it. Meaning. I think a great uh, Dana White knows how, how to instigate. It's a very, by the way, it's a very valuable talent that only a few people have. Yeah. Dana White likes to instigate. Phil Jackson, he instigated a lot of shit between Shaq and Kobe, mm-hmm. right? Some may even say the friction between Shaq and Kobe is on Phil Jackson, you know, but there's an art to it. Yeah. So a little bit of what you do is I, I kind of look at you and I say, here's how Tate is. If somebody says, well, you're wrong in this area. Instead of Tate saying, let me explain myself, Tate will go and push more because he found an opportunity. You know, he's like, let me poke here a little bit more because it's annoying you. Yeah. So do you think you have a little bit of that when you see somebody, maybe half the time, like when you said, I got five wives. I don't even know if I'm convinced you want to have five wives. Yeah. I just think you say it because you're pissing off the right people. Yeah, and that's a very astute observation. And you are correct. Anybody you can emotionally control, anybody you can emotionally affect, you have them in your pocket, right? To one degree or another, if you can emotionally control somebody, I'll tell you who's excellent at this. Women. Women are fantastic at this. If a woman realizes she can piss you off with X thing, she'll notice it, but she'll keep it in her pocket. You know what? 
That annoys him. Cool. Sorry, baby. Sorry. Three weeks later, two months later, they, they realize when you're vulnerable. I can tell you this. I can tell you the experience from fighting. When I was fighting, I was a kickboxing world champion, right? I never made millions from fighting. Kickboxing is not that big a sport. 10 years ago, even UFC wasn't as big as it is now. So I was making money, but I, I mean, I was probably fighting two or three times a year. And most I ever got paid was 100, 150 grand a fight. So I was kind of normal life. And whichever girlfriend I had at the time, no matter what, she always managed to start some asinine, stupid, immature fight with me like three days before a fight. Because I'm weight drained. I haven't eaten. I'm nervous. I can't sleep. I've been training for fucking 10 weeks. This monster's from fucking Kazakhstan, some psycho. I have to fly over to fucking fuck knows where and Tishkek and Bishkek to fight him. And now she's like, you know, in the toilet seat. I'm like, the fucking toilet seat. I might die. He could kill me. But she knew that's when I was weak. She knew it. And that's when you can be emotional. But they, they detect it. This is when I can get it. Right? Because the rest of the time... All I, times to talk about the goddamn toilet Because if I say toilet seat any other time, his answer is go home and just sit on his computer. Go home then. Go toilet home. Bye. No, I don't want to go home. No, now I actually want you to go home. Please leave my house. Oh, no, I didn't want to leave. Bye. Goodbye. Fuck you. Next. Next girl. So they, they get you when you're weak, right? Yeah. And anyone who can emotionally control you and emotionally affect you has power over you. So if I say all oh, five wives and a feminist goes, five wives? I'm fat. I'm fat. I'm fat. I'll sit there and just... Yeah, but obviously a lot of food needs cooking, so they, she needs help. I don't say shit, <laughs> but the, but that's because they make it too easy. Yeah, <laughs> they give, if you're gonna give if you're playing chess and you hang a piece, I'm gonna snap it up. You're gonna, oh, you're gonna leave your you're gonna leave your night yeah. hanging. Thank you very much, sir. Bam, that's the yeah. game. That's the game. So yeah, you're you're completely right. I do instigate to a degree because they make it so fucking easy to win. It's so easy for me to win debates against people because they get so pissed off with what I say. Another thing, and I'll give the game away. I'll give the game away to the entire YouTube world why I've destroyed absolutely everybody in any debate ever. I say things that they know are true and that they agree with, but I say it in a way that angers them emotionally and they get caught up in their brain because they're saying, he's saying the truth, but I'm pissed off by how he's saying it. So I want to argue with him, but he's right. So instead of saying men are physically stronger than women, I'll say females are weak. Females are weak. Well, females are weak. Females are weak. Men are strong. Females are weak. No, no, but females are... But I'm right. And he knows I'm right. But he's mad now. And so is she. And they sit there. And you'll happen. It happened on Dave Portnoy. You end up having a whole group of people sitting there trying to argue. Well, some women are strong like men. Trying to argue the fact that women are as strong as men physically. Because I've emotionally controlled them all and upset them all. And then I do a podcast and I get billions and millions of views and unlimited likes against good debaters like Dave and his little crew. By just emotionally controlling them. It's an emotional game. I wreck them. I've never given this game away before anyway. But this is what I do. I sit there and I say something they know is true in a way they can't agree with it. And I fucking control them all. Because they're stupid. If I was me, I'd be like, yeah, okay. I, perhaps I don't like the way you phrased it. But you're, you're, very, you're very true. That takes intellect. People are emotional. So this is why I wreck all of them. And you're right. I poke them on purpose. And it makes it very difficult to argue with me. Especially if they agree with what I'm saying, but they don't like the way it's being said. That's where you feel see the full breakdown. It's the full mental breakdown. In that regards all the time. To, to emotion, before I came to Valuetainment, this is three years ago, Pat said, I want you to read a book. It was called uh, Meditations by Marcus Aurelius. Stoicism. Yep. Yep. You've referenced stoicism multiple times, not getting an emotional, thinking rational. Yep. This was a book that you've subscribed to for, for years. What is it about stoicism and not getting caught up in emotions and even triggering emotions that resonates with you? Well, emotions are feedback. 
The idea that men don't feel emotions is incorrect. We feel emotions. I would actually argue we feel emotions in, in cert, with certain emotions stronger than women. I would argue that we feel heartbreak stronger than women. I would argue we feel anger like a woman could never understand. I would argue we are extremely emotional. Rage. Rage. Pure rage. But it's feedback. So when you get the feedback, it's all about how you internalize it and how you process it, right? It's having stoicism's not, not feeling emotions. It's feeling the emotion and going, okay, why is this happening? How much does this really matter? What's the most intelligent move on the chessboard? I'm not even that good at chess, right? My father was a grandmaster. I'm, I'm like 1800 Elo. I'm okay. I was a, ch- a child chess prodigy, but I stopped playing chess professionally when I was like eight. So I'm as good now as I was. In fact, I'm worse now than when I was eight because I've never, I've never taken any lessons or anything properly since because my mother and father broke up. We moved to England. My dad stayed in America, lost my chess coach and England didn't have a chess infrastructure. America had a chess infrastructure in the lower income schools. My dad used to go to the ghetto schools because he was black go to the black schools and teach them how to play chess. So we had a big infrastructure. So you peaked at eight. I peaked at eight, yeah. But um, chess is a fantastic game because in the game of chess, there's no, mis- there's no luck. If you lose, no matter how well you played, if you lose, at some point you made a mistake. Mm. Even if it's the most minor mistake, you made a mistake. So you learn to understand that no matter what happens to you, if you lose a scenario, you made a mistake. Maybe it's a tiny one. Maybe it was two years ago. Whatever, but you made a mistake and you learn absolute and utter accountability for yourself. And that mentality is extremely powerful to apply to all things in life. The position I'm in now as the most hated man in the world, although I agree and I truly believe it's unfair, I still take complete responsibility for. I'm not going to sit here and say, I'm telling you why it happened when I talk about TikTok and YouTube shorts, but I'm not going to blame them. Absolutely. They're, they're, a, they're a company making money and they're monetizing the best they can. Fantastic. All of this is my fault. But the Bugatti on my drive is my fault. And the yacht is my fault. And the private jet's my fault. So it's all my fault. So I take the good with the bad. I take all responsibility for absolutely everything, including if a woman leaves me, if a woman stays, if I end up heartbroken, if I end up filled with rage, I take responsibility for that. If something happens to me that makes me enraged, I will take responsibility. Why has this happened to me? Why do I feel this way? How did I end up in this position? Is this healthy in this scenario? And sometimes it is. I've had scenarios in my life where I was prepared to die to protect somebody else. And I was enraged and it was healthy. I've also had times where I'm in a room by myself, enraged, sitting there going, this is no good for anybody. I need to just calm the fuck down. Mm -hmm. So emotions are feedback, but stoicism is the ability to process them. And that's what you need to be learned as a man. You're never going to be able to turn them off. You're going to feel them. You have to learn how to turn, you have to learn how to process them and turn them into a positive. It's energy. It's unlimited energy. I say this all the time. I say that the biggest periods of transformation in my life is when everything was going wrong. When my life was going good, it's, it, I'm not a hedonistic person. I don't do drugs. I don't gamble. I don't do prostitutes. I don't do anything that hedonistic. But I'll certainly go on the yacht with a bunch of women I know and chill and have some vodkas and that kind of thing. When life's smooth, that's, then it's semi-hedonistic, pretty relaxed. But when I make my biggest progress, when I really change who I am and change the world, that's when everything's fucked. When things go wrong or I'm feeling things I don't want to feel or bad things are happening, that's when I'm like, okay, I can current, I currently cannot sleep. I've completed the day's tasks. I've tried to go to bed. I can't sleep. More shit has to get done. That's when the amazing things happen in my life. When I was heartbroken, when I was whatever, everyone's been heartbroken. I can't remember a specific example. I hit the gym harder, right? If something goes wrong with your payment processor, that's when you get fucking inventive. That's, that's business, right? That's when you get inventive. So all the bad things that happen to you as a man, if you're stoic, you get to take unlimited energy. 
Heartbreak is unlimited energy. So is depression. So is rage. So is sadness. All these negative emotions they tell you to, to collapse behind. It's like people talk like uh, Bruce Lee says, be like water. And people see that as be fluid and just go with the flow. I disagree. If you're like water, you are, you're necessary for life. You are scary when you're enraged. You're powerful. You're beautiful when you're calm. You're, you're so many things when you're like water, right? So if I'm enraged, it's like water behind a dam. You just got to put the dam in, for, in place and you got to get the turbo, the hydroelectrics put in. Don't tsunami your life. Put the energy somewhere. And this is the most beautiful thing about it because people message me all the time like, oh, but Tate, you don't know how sad I feel. No, incorrect. I know exactly how sad you feel. Difference is I used it. And you're sitting here still crying some random guy on email for the fucking third month in a row. That's the difference between you and me, my friend. I was becoming a world champion kickboxer. I got to a point. Of, I, I, people often talk to me about depression and say I don't understand it. I will say, listen, there's been times in my life where I was fully functional as an adult. I would never label myself depressed because I don't believe in the idea of labeling myself in a negative. Because I don't believe in things that take power from me, which we'll talk about in a second. But there's been times in my life where I didn't give a fuck if I lived to die. There times in my life where I went to fight a man for money, and I didn't give a shit if I, if, I, if I lost and even woke up again. Didn't give a fuck. I had nothing worth living for. I was brokey, didn't have a girlfriend, didn't have any fucking money, got a two-day call to fight some world champion, had to lose 10 kilos in two days, had nothing else going for me, got on a plane to Dagestan, and fucking won. There have been times I've done that. By all conventional wisdom, I was depressed. I was suicidal. Da-da. But I was just like, no, I don't give a shit. That, that, and that's when I was at my most powerful. Now if I get that call, I'm like, bro, I got a new car outside and shit. <laughs> I'm not going to Dagestan, really, bro. Wait, going to where? <laughs> Sorry, how much money? Nah. But back then I was like, yeah, cool. Uh, who is he? Oh, this guy. All right, fine. I didn't, I didn't give a fuck. I was most powerful when I was sad, when I was depressed, when all these things. Mm-hmm. And, and the difference is, was the framing. It was the framing of it. Does that make sense? Yeah, you, you, know, you know where you take me to? <clears throat> you take me to Tom Cruise with Matt Lauer, and there, I don't know if you've seen this or not, where Tom Cruise on Matt Lauer. When he's freaking and, out and on the couch. Tom Cruise is a, no, no, that's, that's, that's uh, Ellen DeGeneres. Okay. This is Tom Cruise, Matt Lauer, and, you know, Tom is a Scientologist who does not believe in medication. Yeah. He does not believe in taking, you know, antidepressants. He doesn't believe in Ritalin. He doesn't believe in any of that stuff. I don't yeah. know where you stand with this medication stuff. He's not for it. And Matt Lauer is saying, What's wrong if this helped that Brooke Shields? What's wrong if this helps? I would say, you don't realize what this is doing. This is ruining their lives. This is not helping them. Do you realize how many different countries this is illegal in? Do you realize that Ritalin is only legal in a couple different countries? It's not many countries. It's not a legal drug in other places. It's legal. And he's explaining this. And believe it or not, afterwards, they pinned Tom Cruise to be a you know, almost an asshole, like a misogynist. Like, of course. what does it matter with the insensitive? You're not passionate. You're not somebody that cares about another person. Years later, Tom Cruise looks like the hero, but in the heat of the moment, he, he didn't bad. come out really good, right? So we're living in an era where you're right. A part of it is, hey, you're not feeling good. You're depressed. Take two of these, see what happens to you. It's the hero's arc. And this is the thing. This is why when I was saying, when people say, you don't know, you don't know how it feels to be depressed. I say, yes, I do. The difference is how it's analyzed. I always argue this two ways as well when depressed people come to me because one of my most famous things people attack me for is their little quote is they say, you said depression isn't real. What about the man who kills themselves? You don't care about men's mental health. We've already discussed how I care more about men's mental health than these people who fucking pretend they do. That's the first thing. Say, I didn't say depression isn't real. I said, feeling depressed is real. 
But the idea that depression is going to strike you in your mind and there's nothing you can do about it, I think that is promoting helplessness amongst depressed people. And that's the reason they kill themselves. I don't think that making people helpless in an unfortunate Ooh. situation is the great thing to do. You have to give people hope. And I explain that when you believe in something, you give it power. So I tried to say that when I felt at my lowest and I achieved the most I've ever achieved in my life, the reason I was capable of doing that is because I didn't believe in the paradigm of being a depressed person. I just believe that this is how I currently feel and fuck it. I'm going to do whatever it takes to get my life to be better. And I gave a very simple example, an analogy. I said, if you take two people, one believes in ghosts and one doesn't. You put them both in haunted houses. And in the middle of the night, there's a bang. <laughs> the person who believes in ghosts is now terrified. There's a ghost. They're calling an exorcist. They're panicking in the room. They're hiding. The person who doesn't believe in ghosts goes wind and goes back to sleep. It's the same noise. It's the same scenario. But it's the belief That's in their mind yeah. that terror and ruins their life. Yeah. It's the belief in their mind yeah. that turns against them. And I've said this many times. I don't even give a shit about right and wrong. You can tell me depressions. You can give me with every scientific proof in the world, depression. Better. I refuse to believe in things that take my power away from me. I only, I'm only going to construct a mental model that allows me to be as powerful as possible. If believing in the idea of depression is going to take my own power away, then I won't believe in it. I don't want to believe in things that make me weak. If you want to reach me, I'm on Minict. Minict is a new app. It's fantastic. It allows me to interact directly with people. I get a lot of messages on email, a lot of DMs and those kind of things. But the people who are serious and want to have serious conversations and grow from them, whether it's a business opportunity or personal experience, et cetera, I'm on Minict and I can't wait to interact with the serious individuals of the world. I believe in things that make me strong. And someone goes, well, you're wrong. Listen, let's assume, let's assume you're correct and that makes me wrong. Let's say that you're right and you're depressed. Why would I want to adopt the thinking of a man who is sad? Why would I want to think like you? Wouldn't it better to be wrong and be happy and have a sports car and a yacht and a, and a private jet? You want to talk about right? Look at your life. Why, I, don't talk about right and wrong. Let's talk about success and results. Yeah. I don't believe in things that take power from me. I never have. So when people email me and they just say, I'm depressed, I'm depressed, I'm depressed. And what's funny is this. I talk to them and they desperately defend the idea of depression. I'm like, my friend, you just told me you're too depressed to be successful and depression has destroyed your life and you lost your girl. I'm telling you that enemy, the enemy in your life isn't real. And you're now sending me 10 emails a week trying to convince me that your enemy is a real thing. Why are you sticking up for your enemy? This person, whatever it is, this idea destroyed you and you're putting your energy into defending it. You should be on my team. Whose team are you on here? You want to sit here and convince me? I'm never going to believe you. I'm never going to adopt your thinking because your life is not yes. successful enough for me to emulate. So why don't you try to adopt my way of thinking? Stop defending this. And they're defending it because it's a cure-all excuse. Depression or sadness is a cure-all excuse for men to use for failure. I have failed. This is why they say I don't believe in men's mental health or the man, the man who's depressed can't compete with the man who's not depressed. Yes. This, this quote. I say, listen, you get to roll out be fat, be out of shape, be broke, be unimportant with no girlfriend. And instead of the world thinking you're a loser, you get to say, I'm not a loser. I'm depressed. It's a shield. Yeah. And I say, that's why you don't want to lose your shield. Because now you have accountability. Now you have performance to cop out. Fuck it off. I don't give a shit if it's real or not. We're not about that. We're talking about success here. Get rid of your excuses. Stop defending the thing that's ruined your life and get to fucking work. And every time anyone has ever listened to me in history, ever, Every single one of them's transformed their lives and messaged me positive messages afterwards. Every single fucking time. That's why I'm anti-antidepressant. I'm 
because that pill ain't going to fix you the way becoming the man you wish you were is going to fix you. It, it's it's crazy. And then they're going to take one little soundbite. Tate doesn't care about men's mental health. He thinks depressed people is or that it's some bullshit. And they're going to apply it to me. I really do believe, and I state this almost with a degree of achievement. I'm the most misunderstood man on the planet. <laughs> I, I really believe I am. It's crazy the level. People, there are people out there who truly believe I am evil. And I'm, and I'm, I'm, nothing, I'm, not, I'm nothing close to it. I'm one of the most compassionate people you could possibly meet. Can I give you two takeaways just for people that are like, oh, Andrew Tate. Here's what I've heard from you so far. Personal responsibility. Straight up. All right. And then number two, positive affirmation. I don't want negativity in my life. I don't want depression around me. I don't want weakness around me. Right. I want to be the best person I can be and take full responsibility for that. Right. Those are the two things I'm, I'm, I'm hearing. We'll go on further. I'll tell you a story, which is going to make me sound a little bit extreme. This is a story of when I knocked out my friend. Tell you I was going to ask you this story if this is a true story. It's a true story. Okay, about your boy that showed weakness. Yeah. I got to hear this again. Right. You know the story? Jesus I, Christ. Right. So I don't yeah. like negativity in my space. I create my reality extremely efficiently. So no matter what bad happens to me, even in the middle of this shit storm, when me, my brother, my cousin, my team were sitting around, we're all smoking. The whole news is saying I'm the worst man in the world. I've been deleted from everything. They've frozen millions of dollars in bank accounts, right? Me and my boys are just sitting there, just like, just laughing, right? We don't believe in negativity because it's infectious and it's sticky. And even if someone's negative, even if you talk them out of it, it still stains the air, right? If you're in a trench and you're under fire, the least productive person is the person who goes, they've got too much artillery, we're going to die. Shut the fuck up. We all know, shut up. That's not helping us, right? It's very infectious. So, and most people understand, they say, you are the sum of the five people you spend the most time with. Then why the fuck are you spending time with negative people or people who complain or unhappy people or unlucky people or negative people? Stop talking to them. Everyone I talk to is like, yep, we are winners. All we do is fucking win. Oh, the matrix attacks us. Oh, you think I need YouTube? (laughs) You think I need YouTube? Get fucked. That's who we are, right? So this this was when I was young. I was about 23 years old. I had a new girlfriend. Her name was Carrie and her ex-boyfriend. I stole her from her ex-boyfriend. And if you're a man, you understand that no woman's truly single. You're always stealing her from some other guy or she's still half talking Especially to her. Oh, bro. She's half talking to her ex or she's dating 10 guys or always out competing other men. Right. So I stole her from some dude. Dude got heartbroken, had no emotional control. Like all the things we talked about. I was at her house. My car was outside her house. I was with my boy, Tony, my ex-friend. Me and Tony are in her house. He's talking to her friend. I'm talking with Carrie. We're all having fun. It's Friday night. Four cars pull up. Boom, 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 boom. These six guys get out with hammers. Knock on the door. It's her ex-boyfriend. Carrie starts panicking. He's crazy. He's crazy. I was like, listen, relax. I go outside with Tony. The six guys with hammers. It was me and Tony, right? <clears throat> and they say, he goes, bro, I don't even give a fuck about Carrie. But you're going to say sorry to me. I said, sorry for what? Because you stole my girl. You're going to say sorry. And then we'll just go away. I said, I'm not going to lie to you, my friend. I'm not sorry for fucking anything. I'm not going to lie to you. I'm sorry. And then my friend Tony next to me. And when I said that, I swear to God, when I said that in real time, because I don't take my my eyes off the enemy, right? There's six of them, but they're all facing me directly. So I I was looking in their eyes directly. When I said that, I saw all of their eyes go shit. You ain't going to say sorry. So now we have to actually attack him with hammers. Do we actually want to attack him? At the time, I was like, I was British kickboxing champion. I was known in my town. They knew it was going to be messy, right? And I always, I had one hand behind my back as well. I had nothing in it. (laughs) 
<laughs> just like nothing in it. Who knows what's back there? In my head. <laughs> but I'm just like, you had to do something, right? <laughs> so they're looking at me and they're like, fuck's sake. We thought he'd say sorry and he didn't. Now what do we do? And Tony pipes up, fucking dickhead Tony. Hey man, why don't you just say sorry? And as he said that, I saw all of their faces almost lit up because he inspired the other team showed weakness, yeah. inspired weakness on our side. And from, from complete capitulation, they were now brave again because Tony ran his mouth. I swear on my father's grave. I'm standing there. Tony said that I turned, I fucking smacked him, strained his mouth, knocked him out cold. Tony, don't. Tony, my <laughs> own friend, my own teammate against the six. I knocked him out cold. I don't need you now, Tony. I knocked him out. I said, fuck him and fuck you. I'm in the house. And I walked in the house and I saw them all stand around outside with hammers, look at Tony asleep and go back in the cars and fuck off. Swear to God, that's a true story. If you're weak near me, if you're weak near me, you make me weak. I refuse to accept it. I give you a million stories of this. Three, two years ago, maybe we were in Munich. They called the police on me for not wearing a mask. That's a whole nother story. I told them to get fucked as well. We're in Munich. Wasn't wearing a mask, blah, blah, blah. We got drunk in the Kapinski, got really drunk, blah, blah, blah. I was drinking with, with, with some guys I kind of knew. In the morning, the police had come. They're threatening to arrest us all because we didn't fucking capitulate and wear eight masks. The Germans are weird. So we got in our cars, got in our two, we had two Rarries, got in the Rarries, we're heading back to Bucharest. We drunk loads. We were really, really drunk. We stopped at the gas station. We all got out of the car. One of the guys was like, bro, I feel so sick. Oh, man, I feel sick. He was walking to the gas station. I said, and I, I went up to him. My brother talks about this all the time. He goes, and I pat him on the back and said, bro, if you're going to keep walking like a fucking injured antelope, you're going to stay here. We drunk booze. We all feel like shit. I'm not walking around earth with some dude. Uh, the, I don't want you in my group. I don't want you getting in my car. I don't want you near me. When I walk with my team, you look and go, mm, let's choose someone else. Let's choose another group to, to prey on. You are the weakness in this group. I don't give a, yeah, you drunk whiskey. Yeah, you feel shit. If you can't turn it on for two minutes to go piss, and come back in the car, then get fucked. I had a serious conversation with the guy. Tristan goes, you're so right. Why the fuck? And there was no threats. There was no, we're at a gas station. But I just, I can't even look at it near me. I can't just see people near me being all, or crying or sad or whatever. You're allowed to feel sad. Of course, your girl left you. You lost your job. You're allowed to feel sad. That's fine. You feel sad. You feel sad right now? Good, great. Sit the booze. Shut the fuck up. Me and my brother have another quote. What do you want? Therapy? That's our quote. We say it all the time for anything. Bro, I got a hangover. You want therapy? No. Well, then what the fuck? Shut the fuck up. Shut the fuck up. Like, what are you? Why are you even saying it out loud? Why are you believing in it? Yeah. Why are you making it real? We all feel like trash. We drunk two ten bottles of whiskey. We all feel like trash. But we're about we're, we're high net worth individuals getting out of Ferraris in a, in a country we don't have security. Nobody's walking fucking like weaklings. It's it's a it's a reality you have to cur- curate. And 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 when you get your shit straight, it affects your entire life. And I, and, and men understand this. They say. I understand you're the sum of the five people you spend the most time with. Then why are you friends with all these fucking nobodies? Why are you friends with these losers? Why are you doing it then? You're ex- then you're accepting what you're going to be. I love winners. I love winners. Show me a winner. I love winners all day long, my friend. That's who I want to be friends with. Winners. That, that, that's who I want to be friends with. I don't want to be friends with anybody else. I don't see the advantage to it. And that's how I've always created my life. And it's served me very, very well. And, and I refuse to accept anything else because negative energy is extremely sticky. If you have friends who are talking negative shit, try and, try and, try and fix them. It's your duty. But if they're sticking to their negative narrative, you don't have a responsibility to them to a degree to sit there and allow them to pollute your life. Because mm-hmm. that's what they're going to do. You have to get to a point where it's like, 
Goodbye. How many friends have you had to completely cut off? I'm not saying knockout like our friend Tony's probably still sitting there in the ditch. Right? Watching this podcast. Yeah. Tony's, Tony's out friend. there like Tony, just, Jesus Tony, Christ. Tony, listen. Had to happen. <laughs> you could have inspired them to rush me and kill me. On a serious note, you could have been the inspiration for my death. So it had to happen. I hope your life's going well. I'm sure it's not going as well as mine. <laughs> Sorry, That's Tony. how it goes, my friend. Yeah. But um, how many other guys have you had to cut off? You'd be surprised because there's so many because everyone likes to talk a good talk and everyone likes to pretend they're X, Y, Z. And I'm quite a fair person, you know, and, and I love the like my my biggest friends in the world today are friends who I had when I had nothing and they came up with me. Let's say when I had nothing, I had 10 friends. Now I'm at the top. I have four. The six I had to drop just didn't level up with me. And there's only so long you can pay for them to go to the club, pay for them to go on holiday, lend them a car. There's only so long until it's like, bro, everyone else pulled this off. Everyone else. And, and I've offered you a job and now you're sick or you're tired. It gets to a point where it's just detrimental to your life and you have to be ruthless about it because you have to create your reality. It's the only way to do it. You can't compromise your standards. It, by the way, I have to, I'm listening to him and I'm just going back to stories myself because at one point, I went to a different direction than Tate did. Uh, but you cannot compromise your standards for nobody. Nobody. That includes your spouse, your friends, your family, nobody. There's a difference between loving somebody and compromising your standards. Those are two different. I love a lot of people, Man. but I'm not compromising my standards for people I love. Perfect. You cannot be doing that because only you know how big your dreams are. Only you know what life you want to build and only you know who you want to be compromising your standards, one of the biggest fatal mistakes any man or human being can make. You know, you were telling a ghost story. You, you uh, took me to a place, which is crazy. We rented this castle called Oika Castle in New York. Funny story. You'll appreciate this. So when we rent this place out, it's a beautiful property. It's a $150 million property. I rent out all the 32 rooms. And it's got one of the best restaurants in town. So we rented out. Now, a couple of my guys who are very superstitious, they say, Pat, I read articles. This place is haunted. So one of the guys, Alejandro, who's Mexican, you know who Alejandro is, Ricky's brother. Ricky's brother, yeah. He's very Bad superstitious. He says, yeah. so, hey, Pat, one, by the way, these brothers, they're, they're brothers. About like, it. if you meet them, they're yeah. like, yeah. They could compete with no, the, no, uh, the tape brothers. They're legit and the, brothers. Yeah. Now, Alejandro says, hey, Pat, you know, I'm hearing this place has got ghosts. I said, it does. He says, really? I said, of course this place is haunted. So now, now I'm playing with them because yeah. I'm trying to say so that night. I said, whatever you do, sleep tonight. Be careful because I hear they pull notes and all this other stuff. So I go tell Mario and the guys. I said, guys, tell me when Alejandro goes to sleep. Alejandro goes to sleep. I've taken notes and I write, I write, I'm watching you. At one o'clock in the morning, I slide it because it's one of these old doors. I slide it under his doors. We go to the side and we hide. We knock on the door. He comes out. He says, Who's out there? Who's out there? He's mannequin. <laughs> Next morning, now we all go to sleep. We wake up. First person I ask us. So guys, you know, last time we talked about a lot of different things. Alejandro, how was your night? Ah, this place is haunted. <laughs> this place is haunted. Anyways, but going back to you uh, talking about Logan Paul and you. And for you, you said, I don't give a shit about YouTube. You think YouTube's that important to me? I don't care about being banned from you. You're making this comment, this argument, right? Okay, fine. And you said, we're solving for two different things, okay? Yeah. He's solving for one thing. You're solving for another thing. You know, you present yourself as a methodical person, yeah. as a person that's very much about sequencing, yeah. as a person that it's about my next 5, 10, 15 moves. Who's Logan trying to be in your POV? 
and who are you trying to be? Then I got a follow-up question for you on that. That's a good question. I, I don't think that Logan is actually thinking that far ahead. For him, it's more about preservation. He's been canceled once before. He doesn't want to get canceled again. He wants to have viewers. He wants to get a big YouTube channel. He wants to sustain it. He wants to continue to be an entertainer, a clown for as long as he possibly can. I don't think he's thinking anything beyond that. He wants money in his own pocket. He doesn't care about the society as a whole. He doesn't care about the ideas he enforces. He doesn't care about the people who watch it, who watches him. He doesn't care about their mentalities. He just cares. He's quite selfish. I want my YouTube channel. I want my money. I'll say what I'm told to say. He's bought and sold. My uh, intention is to truthfully, and, and I say this in a religious sense, but it's not a particular religion. It's just a religious sense. I want to live true to God. And by living true to God, it has to live true to my ideals and what I believe is the best for the world and what I believe is best for men as a whole. And I also want to try and create a world which reflects that. And my intention is much beyond a YouTube channel. I don't give a fuck if I lose a YouTube channel. I don't care which platform I'm on. I want to know what I'm saying is true to how I've lived and that if people emulate it, they're going to genuinely end up with a better life. People, when I got banned, said, well, we don't want people to end up like Tate. And I said, why? I have no criminal record, no criminal convictions, successful, hundreds of millions of dollars, dedicated. Like, what would be so bad if men ended up a version of me? Like, what am I going to do to the world? Yeah. Like, so, and I also think this ties back to something earlier you said about China. Do you know what the most, I, you, I don't even heard the statistic. They asked Chinese children what they want to be when they grow up. And they asked Western American children what they want to be when they grow up. The most popular answer in China was astronaut and engineer. The most popular answer in America, YouTube. YouTuber. Doesn't that say so much about the mentality yeah. of the youth? Yep. Right? So I'm probably more on the engineer or for perhaps philosopher at least, or at least brave. Like I'm trying to teach tenants that if people replicate are going to be good for them as a whole. China, we have engineer astronaut. Logan, entertainer. He doesn't care if he has to make a fool of himself. He doesn't care if he's put on a stupid costume. Yeah. He doesn't care if to be a clown. Anything to get because he's selfish. So I think that we're just, you're right, we're solving for completely different things. I know I'm a net positive to the world. He's a very selfish individual. And I think if people try and replicate me, it's better for the world. I think if people try and replicate Logan Paul, well, let me be a clown. Let me just try and make jokes and wear stupid suits. Let me mock the dead, mock people who commit suicide. And then let me just say anything I'm told to have a YouTube channel. I don't think that's good. for him. I think that's actually detriment. So I see him as a detriment. I see me as a positive. Okay. So my follow-up here is the following. So... During COVID, yeah. um, the first person that interviewed a doctor that got 20 million views that got everybody thinking was Joe Rogan. Joe Rogan interviewed this one doctor. I don't know who it was. I don't remember the guy's Peter name. Peter McCulloch? No, 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 no. This Not is Robert phase Malone. one. No, this is March of 2020. If you can pull it up, you'll see who it was. He interviewed this guy and he got, you know, Joe was saying, so listen, I'm being told if I go in the sauna, if I sit in the you know steam room and I sweat it out and it says, nope, this is not that. This is this. And it wasn't a person that would have said it otherwise. So people believed in and said, okay, maybe this is something we have to pay close attention to. Anyways, during COVID, I believe Joe played a very important role. Super a important. Very, super very, important. Super necessary voice. I was telling him we're together. I said, I don't know if you realize this. You may be one of the most necessary voices in America 100%. on what you've been able to do. 100%. So now, Alex Jones will say to Joe, and I've heard Alex say, you know, I know Joe believes this stuff, but Joe knows how to maneuver around it. Yeah. And he's just like learning how to maneuver. And, yeah. But I know he believes me, but he acts yeah. like he doesn't. Maneuver. But I don't know. Maybe. So, you know, yeah. and, and Alex is saying this about Joe. So then you hear uh, what's his name? You hear um, Dave Chappelle yeah. does a comedy special. Yeah. 
And he says, hey, ladies, I just want to tell you, you know, I think one of the most miraculous things you can do is have a baby. Yeah. It's, you know, you should have freedom of choice. Yeah. I'm for you. Yeah. You should have. So all the ladies, yeah, all the ladies said, yeah. you should have a freedom of choice. But there's a but. If you choose to keep the baby, I can also choose not to pay child support. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Then all of a sudden people, wait, 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 yeah, wait, yeah, wait. Yeah, but yeah, no, yeah. no, no, that's not, you know, no, it's not cool because if there's a, yeah. so then, but some people say, well, listen, he makes a very good point. Yeah. If it's your choice, it should be my choice whether I should pay or not. Mm-hmm. But whether he's right or not, it's irrelevant. It started the conversation. Then the one bit he did about, so I see this card, there's the LGBT, everybody that's in, there's a queer, there's this, there's the trans, there's this, there's that, right? And he calls out the transgender community and they're about to cancel this guy, right? Okay. Neither Joe nor Chappelle got canceled. Correct. That's good for society. Agreed. Hear me out. Agreed. That's good for society that neither Joe nor Chappelle. Because society needs these two guys. Agreed. Because they get to talk about stuff that gets everyone to be on the edge. Now, Joe almost got canceled. Almost. I remember that came from him hard. Very much. The hardcore. They almost, he almost got canceled because of the N-word or because of all these other videos that resurfaced. And he came out and he did this video yeah. and he said, here's what I'm going to watch it, et cetera, et cetera. And then Chappelle took his angle as well, but they tried to cancel him as well. But all I'm saying is from how we need certain people to be out there pushing the envelope and questioning the status quo. So you're looking back for yourself right now. Yeah. There may be a lot of people. Now you can say, look, I'm not solving to be a YouTuber. Yeah. I'm not solving to be on TikTok. I'm not solving to be on Instagram. Yeah. But the messaging is not going to be as visible. Agreed. Le- as, as great as, you know, uh, Rumble stock is up and 12%, all this other stuff. I totally get it. I hope they blow up. I think it's great for Facebook to have a competitor. Agreed. But it's not that. Say, first of all, I want to get your thoughts on that. But say you do get a second try at this. Yeah. Okay. Say you do get a second try at this. What adjustment would you make? And that's a good question. And I understand your point, absolutely. And I agree with you. The world would be a better place with me on these mainstream platforms. What's interesting is I think they killed me in my infancy. Even though I became the most Googled man on the planet, it was very, very meteoric, happened very quickly. I had already had conversations with my team internally, understanding that now that I'm the most famous man on the planet, I have to create my messaging. Not say anything different, but say it in a different way. We were already doing that. For a month prior to the ban, we had already changed a lot of the messaging, changed our stance, not stance, we we said the same things, but changed the way we'd say certain things, removed certain subjects altogether, and we were already creating our messaging. However, they looked at me, and I think that the social media companies saw me as uh, perhaps a 19-year-old warrior who's soon going to become a warrior king and thought we either kill him now or he's going to become too big to kill. And, And they decided to kill me now. I've only been the most, I've, I've only been super viral for six months. If they would have given me a year, the messaging would have absolutely been created to a point that I don't think they would have deleted me at all. My, one of my last posts on Instagram was, I, I wrote this post. I said, I understand that certain people have false narratives about me and I'm looking to correct them. So on Instagram, I put up a post saying that for every like this picture gets, I'm going to donate $2, $1 to female charity to, pro- to protect them against domestic violence and $1 to men's mental health charities. per like to show that all my haters who only talk negative, I actually do something to fix the problem. I take the negativity and I turn it into light as God would want me to do. I'm going to donate money. It was a seven day countdown. Instagram deleted me on the sixth day. When I, at the time of deletion, had 555,000 likes, $1.2 million. I was prepared to donate to charities. Nobody wants to talk about that. 
Nobody wants to mention it because I'm evil, right? At the time of my deletion, when I got deleted, the only appeal I sent to Instagram, the only message I sent was, can you confirm the number of likes on that picture so I can finish my donation? They ignored me. Completely and utterly didn't even want to reply to me. So I was already understanding that the way you can say certain things when you have 300 views on a video, where most of these views got 300 views, has to be created and changed. Not because I'm saying anything incorrect, but as a professional, you have to understand that things change. And also, no matter what you say, a very small contingent of the world will misunderstand it. If not 0.1% of people misunderstand you, that's not a problem when you get 300 views a video. That is a problem when you get 3 million views a video. So me and my team had already accepted this, already decided upon it, and had already implemented it. But the momentum was so strong and the rise was so meteoric that the social media companies, even a month after our implementation, decided, I'm sure they sat around and said, we kill him now or he's going to become too famous to kill. And they thought, we have to try and kill him now. Now they have failed. Rumble in and of itself has proved they failed. I get more views on my Rumble videos than I got on my YouTubes. When I did a YouTube live, I had around 12,000 viewers. On my first ever Rumble live, I had 127,000. On my second, I had 75,000. So they've martyred me and made me more famous than ever. But the message has already been created and changed. I understand very, very well, because as a professional, you have to take accountability for everything. I understand that if a 15-year-old kid, without my life experience, without my credentials, listens to me, not in full, but in segments, small parts, and then takes it on board, it may negatively affect some of his outlooks. I understand that. My counter argument is this. Find anything on the entire internet where if it's not chopped in a negative way and fed to 15-year-old kids where it cannot be a detriment. That's the entire internet. That's anybody. We've already talked about modern culture, having sex with the devil on TV, transgenders, whatever they're trying to do, make kids chop the dicks off, whatever. We've talked about all this. So that's the entire internet. That's not an argument against me. That's an argument against the internet as a whole. But I was responsible enough as an adult to say, okay, I'm still going to take that in mind and I'm still going to be responsible for that myself and change my messaging, which I intended on doing. But they already decided to nuke me absolutely and completely. And that's where part of me, I don't want to be too defiant. I'm certainly not looking to go to war with anybody. But part of me is kind of like, I would have never, ever been controlled opposition because I can't be bought and sold. But I would have had very, very detailed conversations with social media execs and say, what are you truly uncomfortable with? The way you say this. Okay, well, here's what I'm trying to say. Yes. Okay, so what if I said it this way? Okay, cool. Let's work together. But they didn't want to be reasonable, logical actors. They wanted to just try and annihilate me, hoping I would disappear. And they're realizing in real time that that I didn't disappear. So now I'm sitting here ideologically thinking, do I give a fuck what they think I, I only care about making sure my message is a positive for the world. Do I really give a shit what YouTube want? Now, so if they do let me back, yeah, sure. I understand certain things have to be created, et cetera, et cetera. But my, my messaging will remain true. The things I say, I do mean. They are de- de- genuinely a positive. And this could have been a positive experience for social media for me. How much money did I bring to social media companies? I'm the most viewed man on the planet. Not a single monetized video. They wouldn't monetize me. Billions of unmonetized views. How much money were they making? Like it could have been great for everybody, but they got emotional, sat somewhere in California, emotional, decided I was evil and they decided to go the destructive route. So it's kind of like, you know, when the Germans tried to negotiate with the Russians in World War II, there was negotiations at the beginning and the Russians spoke a lot because they were trying to actually negotiate. And then once the Germans overstepped the line and took the piss and destroyed Stalingrad and took a bunch of Russia, 
When they tried to negotiate with the Russians again, the Russians only asked one question. The German negotiators came when they were losing. The Russians just said, why are you here? Oh, well, I'm here to represent the German. No, 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 no. This is Russia. Why are you here? Where were you born? Berlin. Okay. Tell me the story. Why are you here? And after hours, you end up saying, well, I joined the army and Hitler made me do it. And I ended up getting here. Because once you get, once you've been fucked with to a certain point, it's just like, well, I don't know how much I want to negotiate now. Like, so as the social media companies, if they were to finally come to their senses and speak to me, sure, I understand certain messages need to be created. I understand that. But I don't need them. I no longer need them. There was a point where I perhaps believed I did need them. I now understand that I don't. And that certainly changed the negotiating table. Absolutely not. Because my message is, they've only proved me right. All they've done is prove me right in every regard. I have more viewership, more views, and more dedicated, more loyal fans than I've ever had. All they've done is, is damage their stock price. You're correct. Rumble's gone to the moon. All they've done is damage their own stock price and convinced everybody who believed in me that the Matrix genuinely doesn't want people to understand my ideals. They have martyred me. They have martyred me now. So now it's going to be a matter of, yeah, I will talk to you about coming to your platforms, of course. But I'm going to say the same things I say. And yes, I'll create the messaging, of course. But we also have to have a conversation as professionals for you to understand that you acted emotionally and made a mistake. And it means a lot to me because I'm a principled man. If some of the senior, whoever, SEO exec were to say, yes, we made a mistake and we're sorry we misunderstood you. That's all it would take for me to say, no problem. I understand that. I'm going to create my We know that's not going to happen. Of course it's not. Because this is what happens with tyranny. When you have a monopoly, when you have a monopoly, and this is the the beautiful thing about the world because the world's so cyclical. When you have a monopoly over anything, you believe that your monopoly will last forever. Everyone always has. The Roman Empire did. The Third Reich. Social media companies. When you have a monopoly, we're smarter than all the other control mechanisms and monopolies. We're never going anywhere. We're too smart. And the funny thing about monopolies and tyranny is that you have to use force. And force is something I understand very, very well. Force is a very, very powerful tool until it's overused. Let's use the Romanian example just because I live in Romania. It's the only reason I'm going to use it. There's a riot. There's a protest. You send the army. Get rid of it. Riot, protest, send the army. Get rid of it. Riot, protest, send the army. Try and get rid of it. They won't leave. Open fire on protesters. Too much. People have had a fuck enough. Then you end up ousted. There comes a point where you can use force, but once it's overused and people don't believe in your fairness, people don't believe in the fact that you're non-biased and you're still using force, there is a mass uprising. This is the human nature. I truly believe my banning was that moment in social media. The stock prices reflect it. My views on Rumble reflect it. The, the public sentiment across all social media platforms reflect it. People understand that they have overstepped the mark and they are no longer seen as trusted with force. You can't have force if you're not trusted with it. The reason we accept our governments to have police forces and guns and weapons is because to a degree we trust them. Once you accept your government is a psycho t- tyrannical dictator, you don't want him to have any force anymore. I think they made a massive, massive mistake. And if they don't see it themselves yet, they will certainly. The pressure is behind the dam. The only crack that's missing is for someone to be canceled and be more successful than before. That's all that it takes. One crazy guy in fucking Bucharest. And then you're going to see a mass flood. And I didn't want this war. I didn't want this. This is what social media companies forced me to do. But this is the situation they're currently in, whether they realize it and and see it or not. But my cancellation has made me more successful than ever before. So now what? You shot me with your biggest bullet. I'm still here. What do you do now? And that is the, the, the responsibility is on them. If they were, if they can remove their emotions from disliking me and actually look at the chessboard, they're going to see they have a lot of pressure on some key squares. Can I push back? 
Absolutely. Okay, let me push back a little bit. So on the video, you're going away, video, you say, I take full responsibility for what's happened. The ban is a good thing. This gives me the opportunity for a first start. It's a massive opportunity. I have no ill will for social media companies. Correct. Or the haters out there, I will pray for you, but I will not go down as a villain. Correct. Your words. I will not go down as a villain. Fantastic. So, you know, uh, <clears throat> the, the, the part that I also see that's a challenge is the following, which is very hard. You know how you're explaining in almost all tyrannical situations, they don't know that they have a monopoly until eventually there's a revolution and then boom, flips, game over, it's over with, right? I should be in Iran right now. I'm not in Iran because the Shah thought, you know, he wasn't paranoid enough and he thought he was untouchable, okay? Yeah. I'm supposed to be in Iran today. I'm not in Iran. We were forced out. Carter comes in, Kissinger, it's out, game over, and I'm living in the States. Now, God's got a bigger plan. I support it. I'm not sitting here saying, I wish I was in Iran. There's a part of me that's thankful for Jimmy Carter. And there's a part of me that would love to sit down with the guy and have a nice, lengthy conversation with him. Yeah. But so the Shah does an interview. I don't know if it's BBC or one of the interviews. He's, they're asking him a question. Iran's growing rapidly. They got this massive 25-year contract with five countries for oil from 1954. It's a petroleum contract he signed. It's coming up. It's 77. It's Germany, France, US, UK. I believe it's these four countries. They're sitting there worried because this guy keeps saying, I'm going to raise the prices. I'm going to raise the prices. In the next five years, we're going to be bigger than you can. In the next 25 years, we'll be competing with U.S. And he's the man in charge. Yeah. And he's got a smirk on his face when he says this. Yeah. And a little smirk on a smile on his face says <laughs> he thinks he's untouchable. What ends up happening? This is a guy running one of the most powerful countries in the world yeah. who speaks seven different languages Possibly the sharpest cat in the world yep. in the 60s, 70s coming up. And his father was Reza Khan, who was a top G, you would call him, yep. a badass mother, you know, at yep. the highest level. Yep. He was a guy that was feared because he was an exile because he was a little too tough. Okay. Yep. So this happens. And... That takes me to another place when Michael Jordan is getting retired. LeBron tries to do the noble things. Says, well, I think we should retire number 23 because, you know, Michael Jordan, there's never going to be another Michael Jordan. Michael Jordan says no man is bigger than the NBA. Yeah. And I appreciate that, LeBron, but no one is bigger than the NBA, right? Okay. So for you and where you're at, I get what you're saying. I fully get what you're saying. And by the way, you have to know we're hoping you're right. Of course. We're hoping you go out there and get 100 million subscribers on Rumble and you have to kind of follow Mr. Beast, PewDiePie, have in Rumble. And Chris is going to be a billionaire. You're going to do what you're doing. Everything's going to take off. Great. But we're also in the conversion game. Yeah. If, if the outcome is really to talk to people who you can convert, because if you're talking to people that you agree with, you're not really, you know, in, you know injecting that philosophy to baptize people Agreed. what made you necessary was you were on platforms where 80 percent 70 percent didn't agree with you agree and you were baptizing agreed you were forcing the conversation at the dinner table agreed you were forcing a conversation at lunch at dinner at the gym i don't agree with him i think he's full of shit i think he's my son i agree with him i like what he says i don't like him my girl likes him why does your girl like him all this stuff right agreed. So, you know, I say this again because I'm glad J Joe earned saint status. So this is kind of where I'm going with this. Let me kind of flush mm -hmm. out my thoughts on what I have. Here's what I see you don't have. And 
if I was a advisor sitting on a board and you're like, hey, I got five people, guys, here's what I want to do next 50 moves. What do you think? And these are people you trust 100% yeah. Yeah. bulletproof people. I would say, okay, who do you really have? You don't really have, you have fans, you have true believers, you have 100% true believers. Yeah. But here's the part, what institution supports you? What do you mean? What major institution supports you? None. Agreed. Okay. Who supports Joe? UFC. That's powerful. Agreed. Because Democrats, Republicans, independents, white, black, Hispanic, educated, uneducated, degree CEO, billionaire, millionaire, broke man, Correct. follows UFC. Correct. Chappelle. What organization supports Chappelle? Comedy. Correct. He's the king of comedy. Correct. He's at the, he is the goat of comedy right now. He's the guy at the top. Correct. It doesn't matter what anybody say. He is the goat. He's Correct. the guy. That everybody talks. So what do you think you need to be doing if you were to strategically, because like you said, kickboxing is not that big of a space. Yeah. Where where could that I know thing come in? I think you understand what question I'm asking. Absolutely. And you're completely and utterly right. The the reason I believe that I'm going to be okay is, is threefold. One, the matrix has not completely and utterly deleted me because they can't. I'm still all over these platforms. I'm still all over. My account's gone. Yeah. I never had a TikTok account anyway. <laughs> they said, I, when I read the news that they banned my TikTok account, I said, I don't know which poor 15-year-old had his account deleted, <laughs> but it wasn't mine. I don't have one. I don't have a TikTok account. I no longer have a YouTube account. I no longer have an Instagram account. That's type, crazy, by the way. You didn't name. even have a TikTok account. Don't have one. They watch it. Although you were going viral on TikTok. It's destructive for the mind. It destroys your attention span. So I don't, I don't have it on my phone. I'm already all over these platforms. The problem is my biggest problem I was facing pre-ban was people, a lot of people going, Tate's smart, and I agree with him, but he's too fucked with the matrix, the narrative, the enemy, him being dangerous. Nah. That's the only problem I had. Nobody said I was wrong. They said I was semi-paranoid. Then I was proved right. So now I've had so many people going, you know what? I loved your content, but I thought that this part was wrong. But fuck, you were right. You were right. You were right. They proved me right about a whole bunch of things. And what happened was actually interesting. When I first got banned, for the first maybe only six hours, if you put up a new video with me, they deleted it from YouTube. But now they've stopped because you can't ban everybody. You can't ban everyone. You can't ban thousands of accounts. You can't ban all the young men. You can't ban all the reaction accounts. You can't ban all the haters of mine who can't stop commenting on my videos. You can't ban Logan Paul talking about me for hours. You can't stop it. So now they they tried the, the true tyranny and backpedaled. So I'm already still all over YouTube. But now I have a merit. I have a badge of he's so he's he's telling so much truth that they banned him. Another thing they don't anticipate is that I've been talking about my ban for years. This is something they don't talk about. When I've been on every podcast saying I'm going to get banned for three years and then I get banned, does that make me look smart or stupid? Very smart. I told you what was going to happen. You didn't surprise anybody. didn't surprise me. I've been talking about it for a very, very long time. Now, the public consciousness, let me talk about this at length. The reason I don't have high-level support yet is because the public consciousness is simple. The public consciousness, companies follow money. They know how much money I'm worth. Imagine I were to endorse a crypto. Just imagine. I never would. And there's a bunch out there pretending they are me, but they're not me. Imagine how I could turn a nothing into a hundred billion market cap tomorrow. But I don't I don't support these things because with cryptos, it's player versus player. Some people sell at the top, some people lose. It's normal. I don't want any of my people to get scammed. 
So I don't support these things. They know how much money I'm worth. They're scared of the backlash. I have had, and I won't say what type of company, but I've had at least 15 companies reach out to me from varying industries, sponsorships, payment processors, social media companies, et cetera, who have literally said to me, we're monitoring public sentiment. We see it changing in real time. And we'd like to discuss a sponsorship or some kind of deal in perhaps a few months. Everyone's waiting to make sure that the, because right now, 80% of the population knows bullshit. Once 90% or 95% of the population know that the backlash against me is bullshit, the amount of money that's going to be offered to me to support things is going to be monumental. It's already coming. It's already there. People already love my ideas. You would not believe, I don't want to say the car brand, but there's a particular car brand. Think of the top five luxury car brands you can think of. There's a particular car brand. I bought one of their cars. It's a flagship model. It's 1.2 million. I bought it. They did the big unveiling about a month ago. I couldn't attend. I was busy. I sent a friend of mine in place because I had a special card to go see it. The CEO of the company said, please, can you get him to email me? I emailed the CEO. He said, listen, I know a lot of things are going public, but we can't say these things publicly. I just want you to know that we support you. But these are the CEOs of billion dollar companies. They're all already on my side. They have to watch their stock price as they should. They have to march PR, public sentiment as they should. That's changing in real time. This is why I talk about the redemption arc. It may take six months, may take two years. The things I say are too powerful and too beneficial to the populace for it not to turn around where people say, Tate is a good man. That's where all of that is coming. It is coming. And you're right. It is coming. Right now, as a company, you sit there and look at Tate and go, we love him. He could get our exact audience. He could bring billions of dollars, but there'll be a backlash. That's just, but it's changing. It's changing. I really believe in six months that will completely and utterly change. And we can talk about things from payment processors who've reached out to car brands who've reached out to all the people who've reached out and said, listen, please, we're monitoring. We're on your side. We're emailing you once a week. We're just talking to the board. We're, we're monitoring social. Like it's, it's, it's all absolutely not really coming because they know that I am a force for good. They know that I have a huge contingent of people who believe in me and trust in me. And I want to say this also publicly on camera. They also know my endorsement is extremely powerful because unlike Logan Paul, who sells crypto pump and dumps, making kids lose money, who sells an energy drink full of sugar and trash, sells crap, they know I don't need money. So anything I stand up for and endorse is because I actually like it. You can come give me $100 million for some shit. I ain't going to take it. That's trash. People who believe in me, believe in me. I will not compromise my integrity. The one thing people know when they look at me is I'm an integral person. I certainly have morals because I wouldn't have ended up in this fucking position any other way. So they look at me and go, if he endorses something, people are going to believe him. And I, and I won't endorse anything I don't believe. So they're right. So any brand who comes along and does business with me is going to make a bunch of money. Let's look at Rumble. Rumble were the brave ones. They stood up and they say, they, they signed me. They come up, they said, look, we believe in you. We believe in what you're saying. Da, da, da. They signed me when no one else would. Look what happened to the stock price. 30%? On a stock? In a bear market? In a recession? <laughs> like, people are paying attention to this shit. So this is all coming. We're just waiting for public sentiment to shift. And it is shifting in real time. I have my own team monitoring social media comments in real time at the, at the height of the shitstorm, at the true height of the shitstorm, it was 50-50. It's currently 80-20. It's, it, it, it's only going one way. They can't. The problem with the social media companies in the matrix, they fired all their bullets. They can't start printing again that I'm a misogynist. They can't get the Daily Mail to do a new story on how I'm dangerous. They've done it all. They've run out of ammo and I'm still alive. They've emptied the clip and it hurt me. But I got up and now they're like, click, click, shit. 
what else are they going to do? What are they going to do? What are they going to say about me now? Can I well, tell you why? Sure. Well, because you talk about institutions being behind certain high-profile individuals, state status you referred to. While Joe Rogan, you couldn't cancel Joe because UFC is behind him or, or Chappelle. Well, he the said he, he, was, he was 12 to 24 months away from him. He wasn't there yeah. yet. It, no, yeah. no, not yet. Yeah. But the institution, it's not a formal institution, but it's certainly an institution, is you've won the hearts and minds of young men right. across the planet. Right. And even if you get canceled on social media, you still have millions and millions of young men that's like, where's Tate? And, we and want Tate. And this is why they killed me early. They killed me early because they knew I was going to get to this status. But the problem they don't understand is that inside of every single young man, there's a rebel. Whether it's the punk rock rebels, whether whatever it is, every single young man has a degree of rebel in him. Mm-hmm. So when you take their hero and martyr him, what does that do? It solidifies the rebel status. I've had, you wouldn't believe, I've had 17-year-old kids from Slovenia email me trying to give me their life savings of two and a half thousand dollars. Anything to help you. The amount of money they're trying to, i like, bro, I don't need money. Thank you. These kids will do anything to keep me alive. Like, it, yeah. it's true belief. It's true belief. That's why they tried to annihilate me. They thought we have to annihilate him now. He's going to get to a point where he can't be annihilated. But it didn't work. In fact, it re it solidified it. I had to find other platforms. Perhaps it slowed it down, whatever. But the hearts and minds are still there. There was a video that was on my Instagram of when I went to Slovenia. Slovenia. I've never been Slovenia in my life. I turned up in the Chiron. I parked outside a hotel. I don't know if you guys seen it. There are five or 10,000 people outside the hotel screaming, top G, top G, top G. I'm in the room with these two chicks. And they're looking at me and looking at each other like, Fuck. I was like, you're getting top G tonight. Like, I they were standing there for hours. We had to call the police. They're like, you, it's a different level of movement. And that's what they're scared of. And I also want to say this publicly to them because I believe they are watching. I'm not the enemy to the systematic powers. I am actually very intelligent. When you're saying earlier about Logan knowing his place, I'm not here to try and become king of earth. I'm not here to get suicided. I'm not here to do any of that. But I do have a huge contingent of young men who believe in me. And I do understand that the things I'm teaching them are good for them. And by extension, it will be good for society. I'm not trying to take over the world, right? I'm not trying to do that because I don't want to end up in a position where I'm against people who run the world. I'm not stupid. But their attack has failed. So now they have to sit and if they have a brain, analyze what they're going to do next. Saint status is coming one way or another. I truly and utterly believe that. I'm already having conversations with very important people. And Rumble were the first people who stood up to me and said, you know what? We've got your back 100%, including financially. And they offered me a, a huge financial incentive. And I said, you know what? Don't worry about that. Let me just, you keep the stocks. Don't worry about it. Boom. Because I don't need money. And when you don't need money, it also puts you in a very, very powerful position. It's very, it's very rare you find a man who has that much influence who doesn't want money. I don't want money. I believe in what you're saying. Let's do it. I believe in this. Let's do it. I don't need money. I believe it. I, I really believe, and perhaps you'll disagree with me because you have more money than I do. Once you get past a certain number of million, life's the same. What are you going to buy? How many steaks can you eat? Like, I don't gamble. I don't take drugs. Like, you, you eat vodka's cheap. <laughs> I have my house. I have yeah. 27 cars. There ain't nothing to buy. I have diamond watches. I, I, I'm really, although I talk about making money and I talk like I'm a money-oriented uh, person, I do that because you cannot truly escape from the matrix if you're poor because they use that as a control mechanism against you. But once you get past that, it doesn't matter if you have 50 million or 75 million. Your life's the same. Or 100 million. Your life's the same. 
I don't need more money. It's not interesting to me. What's interesting to me is living a life that's true to God. I like being able to go to sleep at night knowing I'm happy with myself and who I am. I like knowing the things I say on podcasts are a good, genuine influence on the world. I like if something bad happens to me, which happens to everybody, I can go to sleep knowing that karma is going to reward me because I'm a positive influence. I don't need to sell my soul for money. This is the thing that Logan does not yet understand. He still thinks selling his soul is worth it. It's not worth it for money. I don't need money. It's not about money for me on any level. It never will be. So I do believe saint status is coming. You have a very, very powerful point. And also, this is why you have a level of power control I don't yet have, right? You, you, you have a certain status and power, you're right, that I don't yet have. But I do certainly not really believe it's coming just because of the feedback I've had. It's been absolutely monumental. On the day of my banning, I got 94,000 emails. 94,000 people took time out of their life to just email me support. It's insane. It's insane. They haven't, they haven't tricked anybody. They've just proved me right. You know what's the crazy thing about, you know, in America, my dad says, uh, uh, if they want to see you fall in America, they'll do it. America loves seeing a personality fall. But what they love even more than that is redemption. It's a very big infatuation Americans have with that. So you, you think about Tyson coming out, knocking everybody, boom, he loses to Buster Douglas. Oh my gosh, Buster Douglas is, and then now he's coming back up. They want to see the new Tyson. So th there's, there's a part of anybody that's going through the momentum, the highly, highly exponential momentum Tyson experience, your experience. You know, it, it's very, it doesn't happen too often. Most people, they grow 12%, 24%, they grow. Very few go like this. Yours was exponential. But the part that's exciting, most people, you're not 55. You're not 45. You're 35, 36 years old which means the evolution that's most exciting about watching you is, which I hope you don't take your foot off the pedal. I hope you push full throttle with, uh, you know, uh, with the rumble. I hope you full on keep going with your content because you're going to evolve. Something's going to happen in your life the next five years. You're going to evolve. Something's going to happen by the time you're 45, you're going to evolve. And then you're going to talk about different things and some perspectives are going to change. Some perspectives are going to adapt. That's what makes the journey of the hero exciting because everybody learns as you're going through it. Absolutely. And not really. And, and that's one of the most beautiful things about being human. And I was talking earlier about the redemption arc. And you mentioned earlier in my final video, how I said, I'm glad that this ban happened to me. And one of the reasons I was glad is because it gave me a chance to address the consciousness of the, of the world. There were certain rumors about me, which had spread like wildfire. And the unfortunate reality of the internet is if there's a rumor about you, no matter how many times you dispel it, if there's more clicks and more interest in perpetuating the rumor, that's what people are going to do. And this ban is to a degree a chance for a fresh start because it allows me to discuss all the rumors. People talked about me hitting a girl with a belt and me being a woman beater. That same woman has made three videos subsequently, three, saying it was consensual. It was a long time ago. He's still a good friend of mine. But no matter how many videos she makes, right, the video of her saying this is bullshit gets 10,000 views. And the video of me being a woman beater gets millions of views. That's the nature of the Internet. So you need a mass extinction event. You need something big to happen to address it. The other big thing that's against me is the fact that my house was raided by Romanian police. And people talk about me being a people trafficker. And that's a really, really interesting one. It's interesting because I actually kind of think it's a perfect storm. Some of the other things I say about accessible corruption or the fact I live in Romania, which has a bad reputation, makes people think, ah, so he's a criminal over there and he can get away with it, etc. 
Let me tell you something about Romania. They have a bad reputation for a few things. And one of them is people trafficking, which is age old. That was from the 90s. It's not the case anymore. Not at all. But they're very sensitive about it. The number one crime you'll get in trouble for in Romania is exactly that. It's, it's the one thing that they're very sensitive about. It's the, it's the image of their country. They're not going to allow some guy to make their whole country look bad. It's like going to Dubai and bragging about fucking being the financial criminal or something. Like, no, 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 no. That makes Dubai look bad. So that's the one thing you'll get in trouble for. I wasn't doing it. What happened was, and I've explained this at length, I was swatted. Loads of people have been swatted. Someone called the police with a fictitious story, a complete false story. We were having a party at our house. There was a bunch of girls there. My brother and I got bored, decided to go to the casino. We don't gamble heavily, but we wanted to go play poker. We went to the casino, left the party unattended. There was like 20 girls there in our PA. So it's only girls in the house. This is all on CCTV. This is the reason I'm not in jail. The girl gets a phone call. It's her boyfriend in America, somewhere in Massachusetts. I saw you on Instagram story. That's Tate's house. The girl, who's from Miami, actually, flew over to meet Tristan. She messaged her on Instagram. The girl said, oh, uh, yeah, but I didn't want to be here. I, I, I'm trying to leave and hung up. So her boyfriend, I don't know, simps, bro. I don't know if he believed her. I don't know if he was jealous of us. I don't know what. Calls the American embassy in Romania and said, my girlfriend's being held against her will in this house. Now, I have absolute respect for the Romanian authorities. I would hate to live in a country where they get a phone call saying a woman is kidnapped and they don't bother to do anything about it. That would be a terrible country to live in. Of course they strapped up. Of course they turned up. They were very, very respectful. They turned up. They were all strapped, but they were very respectful. Andrew, because I'm known in the country. Andrew, Tristan, we've heard this report that it was a very cordial conversation. Look around the house. No one's here. We have CCTV in our whole house. They went to the cameras. They saw the girl on the phone, go out, get a pizza, come back, get an Uber home. (laughs) They're like, well, this is bullshit. It's like, well, obviously it's bullshit. I was swatted. A guy effectively just made up a false reason and called me. Took us to the police station, do some paperwork. They came to the house initially to search the house at 5. By 8 p.m., we went to the police station, do some paperwork. By 8.45, we were released. That's it. No one talks about that. Tate's house was raided for human trafficking. He's a human trafficker. His house was raided for human trafficking. I have no charges. I'm not on bail. There's no criminal investigation. It's over. It's done. But the nature of the internet, Tate being a human trafficker gets clicks. Some girl lying doesn't get clicks. That's the nature of the internet. So I don't get a chance to dispel these things unless there was a mass banning event. And when I was talking to my team saying, look, we have to change the public image. We have to change the way, create certain things in the month before the ban. We were discussing how do we fix these rumors? And it's hard because especially when you have massive detractors, people who hate me don't want to tell the truth. They hate me. They just want to take anything they can get to attack me. Like I said, they can't attack my physicality or my success. So they have to attack whatever they can get. So there are people on the internet who repeat the same lie on repeat because that's all they want to say. So it was actually a blessing in disguise. So there's no people trafficking charges. I'm not people trafficker. The woman's come forward to many times I don't beat women. Like all these things are complete false narratives. And that's why the banning was a good thing because it allows me to finally get everyone's attention and say, listen, calm down. I know I, I top G, but you can't just be a human trafficker and run around the world and not, and get away with it. Like there's that, that's insanity. That's, that's crazy. It's almost like a fresh start, clear the air. All right. After the smoke's gone, let's see what we got. It is. It's, it's a fresh start. And although I don't believe my enemies and detractors are logical enough and intelligent enough, and also non-emotional enough to accept it's a fallacy and simply stop saying it. What it does do is the matrix has fired every bullet it has. It's the empty clip. They fired the, he's a people trafficker thing. It's been proven false. They can no longer repeat it. They can't take the bullet back and reload the gun and shoot it again. So instead of having it as a nagging annoyance 
Instead of having it as a, the odd bow and arrow shot at me for the rest of human time, I'm glad they shot me with the M16 and it's done. And I survived top G. Here I am. And I can finally understand that it can't be repeated and it's finally gone away. I, if anyone listens to my content, I champion masculine strong men who protect women. That's what I chant. That's what I champion. I say all the time, people trying to say I'm negative and my mindsets are negative. If you call a police officer in the heat of battle, you want men brave like me. If you call a fireman, you want him to charge into a burning building. You want men with the tenants I teach. We are protectors of society. We're absolutely not the predators of society. It are the people who are my detractors, the ones I talked about who are objectively unattractive and objectively unsuccessful. They are the predators, not successful men. I have no need to kidnap anybody. In fact, I beg them to leave my house. I'm not trying to beg them to stay. I'm like, listen, the party's up, young lady. Please go home. So it's, it's absolute insanity, and I'm glad I can finally clear the air on that one. You know, I'm, I'm talking to Shaq uh, two weeks ago yeah. at the event, and Shaq's at the MGM Grand Arena. We're having a conversation, and I said, so tell me about your upbringing, your relationship, values, and principles that your dad taught you. And he says, my dad would tell me, if you listen to me, I'll make you the most dominant big man of all time. So your dad told you that. He told me that. Okay, what else? And all these other stories you hear about with Shaq and his dad. You know, his dad would say, finish this. He was a drill sergeant, so everything was, yes, sir, yes, sir, yes, sir. He had that kind of a dad, very much of a disciplinarian, right, who raised him. What are some stories with your pops? You know, you, obviously a lot of it has been heard. Yeah. But what are some stories about your dad on how he raised you and Tristan? Yeah, my father was, I believe, the best father on the planet. I think that every son should hopefully think the same of their father. I think a father's role is to be a superhero. I think a father's role is to, I think one of the big mistakes in modern society is that people think that a father should be a second mother. And I disagree. I think a father should be a superhero. And sometimes a superhero needs to go do superhero things. My father wasn't always home. He was away. But when he came home, he came home with a story. And I think that the quality of his presence was more important than the quantity of his presence. He raised us with absolute duty to our last name. He made it very, very clear for a very long time that being a Tate means something and that you have to live an honorable life and a life that's true to God because of that. And also his expectations to us were exceptionally high because we were Tates. When I did something fantastic, when I became state chess champion at age of five, or when I um, did exceptionally well my SATs, he moved me up two grades, et cetera. I didn't come home and say, dad, I did this and go, wow, good job. He was like, well, you're a Tate. <laughs> Duh. Well, who are you competing against? I was like, well, the other kids in school, who are they? Don't know. Exactly. Irritate, of course. So we always had this huge expectation of us and made it clear that the last name means something and we have to stay true to it. And, and I think that this is kind of something that's missing from modern society. When you have a duty to your bloodline and a duty to your ancestors, that is something which you carry with yourself away from cameras and away from the eyes of the outside world. So it's been something that's been massively beneficial to me, even when I went through hard times in my life. I understood that being a Tate prevented me from doing anything that's detrimental to myself. Even basic things. We talked about, let's say, heartbreak. If I had my heart broken when I was young, instead of chasing a girl and embarrassing myself, I could sit in my room alone and think, I'm a Tate. I can't do that. I can't. That's not how Tates act. Love you very much. Goodbye. And I, I missed her with all my heart, but that, that was the game. Just, just let her go fuck someone else and just be heartbroken a while and get over it. Because I felt a duty to my last name. So what he did exceptionally well was instill duty to the bloodline and duty to the ancestors. We understood who my family were, understood where we came from, knew who my grandfather was, my great-grandfather was, et cetera. And he always had very, very high expectations of me. And it's, it's often interesting. People say, 
You know, if you have too high expectations on kids, it's bad for them. Da, da, da. I can only talk from my personal experience. The fact that such high expectations were held for me were a massive benefit, benefit to me. My father was a disciplinarian. He was also in the Air Force. If I fucked up, he hit me. He never beat me. He never abused me. But there was certainly a realm in which I, if I fucked up, I get slapped. It only happened two, twice maybe, ever. But I knew it was an option. Your father's only hit you twice in, twice in my life. life yeah. And I say this, I, I, said this on, I said this on Twitter when I had a Twitter account. Someone's saying that hitting kids is bad. And I said, yeah, I understand. You can't abuse kids. It's a fine line. I know it's a very nuanced, detailed argument. But in the real world, there are lines that if you cross, violence appears. If I get in your face as a man and start running my mouth, sooner or later, it becomes physical. That's the real world. So as an upbringing of a child, I think there should be lines that if they're crossed, violence appears. I don't see anything wrong with that. I was never abused in any way. But if I really fucked up, and both times now in hindsight, I fucked up massive. And I learned. And I was taught, oh, shit, that's a line. Mm-hmm. And I think especially with young men, if there's never going to be a physical line, what line is there? especially with young, rebellious men. I don't know. But maybe that shaped my mindset for a long time because I always understood there are lines that if you cross, things become physical. And I've always kept that in mind for how I conduct myself. I say this all the time. Once again, I said this in YouTube videos. I don't argue with people. If I get in a disagreement on the street, I don't argue. I don't, hey, bro, you parked. uh, That's not who I am. I'm like, okay, bro, leave it, leave it. I leave it to the last second until I feel like there's no other choice and then it's pure violence. I don't. Because I don't see the point in arguing. It, that's feminine to me, a, a, a verbal argument. Like, I try my very best to de-escalate because you never know who you're fucking with and you never know if they want to go to jail. But there's a line and it gets to that line where that's the only possible repercussion. That's all that can happen. And I try very hard to stay away from that line, but I've always been very aware that line is there. And that served me very, very well in my life. The morgue and the prison, both of them are full of egos. And, and because I know I can handle myself, I'm the number one guy to talk down a fight. But once I realize that talking ain't going to work, I'm the complete opposite. And I think that that was taught by my father. Wow. That's how I was taught. You know? and have you seen him fight? Did you ever see him fight? So my father, I have a saying. I have a saying, which is my most famous saying. I say, I said at the end of the final video, my unmatched perspicacity coupled with sheer indefatigability makes me a fear opponent in any realm of human endeavor. And for the people watching, it means unmatched perspicacity, your ability to perceive and understand the world, pay attention to things and take in all the different variables, pay attention because a lot of people don't. Coupled with indefatigability, the ability to never become tired makes you a feared opponent in any realm of human endeavor. So if you pay attention to everything and you analyze the chessboard correctly and you never give up, it doesn't matter if you're trying to climb Mount Everest. It doesn't matter if you're trying to escape a social media ban. You're a dangerous guy. He doesn't quit and he pays a bunch of attention. That, that's a guy you don't want as an enemy. And my father said that. I heard my father say that. The story behind it is we were in Detroit. My father was a world-level chess player. He was an amazing man, but he was, to a degree, a flawed man, let's say. He liked to gamble. My father's attitude towards life is something I've also adopted because I've even said it myself. I either want to be filthy rich or flat broke. I feel like slavery's in between. And I, I said to my brother when we had no money, let's just move to Thailand. Let's just move to Thailand and fight and just live on 50 bucks a day and just run around the beach and, and have our time back. Like, what are we slaving away a job to pay the rent and then we're broke? I'd rather be, I either have to feel like I'm going to make it right. or just quit capitalism. Yeah. I don't want to be in between. And my father was the same. So he, he won a chess tournament, a low level one. He made like $3,000 or something. And he said, listen, son, the rent's paid and I, I, I either want hundred grand or nothing. I, it's just who I am. So 
We went to the casino, lost all the money. Casino's a bad place to go and try and get rich, but that's, that's my dad. Lost all the money. So then we were in Detroit and we were hustling in a park. My dad was a chess park hustler. He'd go into the parks and he'd sit down and say, you all get 10 minutes. I get a minute on the clock. And he'd play 10 games simultaneously while they all had 10 minutes each. And he'd have a minute. And he'd sit there and just, and just smoke them all for money, right? And take all the money in. So, uh, and we'll talk about world-level chess players because I'll, I'll make it clear. I do not have the intellect to be a world-level chess player. Even though I have the genetics, it's something you're born with. It's kind of like being a human calculator. It's something in your brain. You can't train. It's like learning to sing. You can learn to sing, but you're not going to be Mariah Carey unless you're born with it, right? The way his mind worked was a different level of intellect, and I, I don't possess it. And that's a blessing and a curse because I'm better socially than he was. He was not very sociable as a person. And in these high-level chess tournaments, a lot of them are not very sociable people. And we could talk about that at length. But So he made some money. We went to a gas station in Detroit. And I remember this vividly. I was about eight or nine years old. I went to the back, to the coolers. I opened to get a drink. And I heard all this noise. And when I turned around, my dad was fighting three men. And I don't know how the fight started. I don't know where it came from. He had one of them up against the, the door. And he, he had him up like this and he was biting his face. And the other two are punching my dad in the back of the head. And I'm a kid. And I just stood there like, the fuck? And the Korean guy behind is shouting, stop, 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 stop. And I'm standing there. And I went, I didn't know what to do. So I kind of went to walk over. And although my dad was getting punched, and although he was biting this guy, I remember him turning to me and saying, stay there. And, and went back to biting the guy. I don't know the fuck. I, I, to this day, I don't know how the fight started. Korean guy came around the back, kind of got in the middle. Da, da, the guys went out. They threatened to kill him. We're going to fucking kill you like gangbangers. We're going to fucking kill you. Fucking kill you. My dad had blood all over his face, some from the guy, some from him. His eye was black. His eye, his, his eye socket got fractured. His eye was closed. He bumps all the back of the head. So we stood there, and the Korean guy started panicking, saying, am I store damaged? My store? Wait, police. Wait, police. Wait, police. And I think my dad was a bit disoriented. He never went down, but I could tell he was a bit dizzy. So my dad stood there, and he stood he stood like this, like in a like military position, stood in the corner of the, of the place, and we waited for the police officer to come, and the police officer came. I'd start doing reports, ask what happened, start talking to reports, et cetera. And the police officer said to my dad, so you, you fought these three guys. He goes, okay, well, what's your job? My dad said, I'm a chess player. And the police officer said, well, maybe you should have been something else. <laughs> and my dad said, my unmatched perspicacity, coupled with sheer indefatigability, makes me a feared opponent in any realm of human endeavor. I remember him saying that was his answer to the police officer. And the police officer was like, yeah, and that was a saying that my dad started using then on after and I adopt, I adopted. So um, that's the only time I ever saw him fight and he didn't win. I mean, the guy got fucked up, but he didn't go down. I mean, he dealt with all three of them and they, they ran, they left in the end. Um, so that's the only time I ever. Did you see him. rage in him? Like, did you know he had the rage or no? His personality was a different personality. No, my father certainly not really had rage. My father was a super unique individual. It's hard for me to even explain. You have to imagine a big black guy, big physically dominating dangerous guy who's a chess genius, but also he was extremely, he was extremely condescending, but I understand why he was the way he was. When you're wired like he is, everyone is a moron. And, and, and when I say he had photographic memory, Everyone goes, oh, I know someone's photograph memory. No, you don't. I'm talking about, what's your phone number? Cool. Six years later, just on a pay phone. Like, it's like, how the fuck? Just everything you told him, he remembered. Everything. And, and that becomes a detriment because if you remember and you pay attention, if you remember every number plate of every car around you, 
Then you're in a car with the guy and he's like, last Thursday, that car was beside us. Dad, was it? I don't know. Of course you don't know. You don't know, but I do know. That car is beside us next Thursday. Do you believe in coincidences? He's like, well, maybe it is a coincidence. Maybe it is. Maybe it isn't. And then, and then you can't argue with him because you don't know if he's, he's like, well, you're not smart enough to remember all the number plates, son. So you just leave this to fucking me. And then you turn off the road because this dude might be following you. And, and I'm not saying he was paranoid. But I'm saying the world he lived in was a scary world, if that makes sense. Because he remembered everything all the time. And it also means you can't really function in society because you can't, you can't have a job. You can't listen to anybody. You can't socialize with anybody because that was a fucking moron. So he had this weird, he had a huge, my father got diagnosed with narcissistic personality disorder. And I do believe he had it. But, and people say, I have it, but I don't. When you have true narcissistic personality disorder, you truly believe you're almost invincible. Does that make sense? Like, you, guns were pulled on him. You go, you think that's going to kill me? Shoot me. Shoot me. You and he get furious. Like, how dare you believe a weapon can kill him? He was fucking enraged. Like, that's who he was. So, yeah, he was a super interesting guy to grow up around because it's weird to be around a dude who's so big and so strong and also so smart. And you have to just accept second place all the time. And then you're arguing about number plates on some fucking Corolla from Thursday. And it's like, so how did you process that? Was it, was it, I'm always going to be in this shadow or was it, I want to make him proud. Was it, I still have his genes. Was it, we're destined to do something big. Like what? Cause in most instances like that, it's more like, yeah, I'm just going to be his son Yeah. versus to, to come and create your own identity with that kind of a shadow. Yeah. That's not easy to do. Completely. And I, he always, he made it very, very clear. My father was also quite a morbid man. I think because of his life, even in his last years, he spoke all the time about, he, he had conversations, which were, you'd be sitting at the table and he said, are you prepared for my death? And you'd just be like, well, is that a will and testament? What are you talking about? Like, are you prepared? Like he'd talk about dying. He'd talk about me being the oldest son. He'd talk about me having to carry the torch. He talked about how stuff soon did he start doing that? At what age? <clears throat> when I was young. 1920. Got it. Quite young. He so he, he died October 17, 2015. Correct. So you're saying 19. So that would be your 35, 25. So 16 years ago, yeah. 2006. Yeah. So 10 years before he passed away, he's talking to you that way. He's talking about death. He's talking about what that's going to mean. He's talking about how I have to carry the family torch. He's talking about my responsibilities and duties. He's talking about the fact that I need to evolve and be a better version of him. He talked about these things a lot. Now, he also used to, he to, till the day I was an adult, he still had a superior complex over me. And I, I respect it. My dad used to say things like, oh, you're champion now. You know, there's probably only one man left that could whoop your ass. That's who he was, right? He, he still believed he could she beat gotta me. You got to love that, though. Yeah, he still believed he could yeah. beat me. That's who he was. He's like, nah, you may be champ, but there's one man left to go whoop your ass. <laughs> and, and that's who he was. And I, and I had so much respect for him. I was like, yeah, because, you know, you're right. So that's just how he was as, as an individual. But um, I, I think it's the opposite. He, he set such a high standard in certain regards that... I knew I couldn't just be some normal guy. I'd feel guilt. I'd feel dirty if I was just some normal dude. Like, I, I can't just be, I'm the, his son. You know, like in the old movies, when you watch Conan, they say, Tate, the son of, da-da. I was always the son of Emery Tate, even at the chess tournaments. It's the son of Tate, the son of, the son of, the son of. The expectation was there. And instead of it preventing me from creating my own identity, it, I was actually the opposite. It's like, okay, I have to be fantastic. And I was cerebral enough. I said to my dad, look, I can't be as good at chess as you can. I don't think I can do this. And they say, well, you could, but belief is a huge part of it. So if you don't believe you can, then what else are you going to do? Because I remember telling him I didn't want to play chess anymore. He said, that's fine, but you're not going to not play chess and fucking watch TV. You play chess for six hours a day. So you need to come to me with a plan for six hours a day, son. 
What are you going to do with your life? And I chose fighting because I said, listen, chess is one-on-one competition without luck, without team, no ball, no wind to blow the ball in the net. What if I fight? I said, okay, I respect that. You can be a fighter. So it was, it, he wasn't trying to force me to do anything, but it was, he had, he was a very regimented individual and that's who he was. And I had so much respect for him and he was my superhero. I wanted to be like my dad. And even from a very young age, they, even if you were to Google up my dad, Emery Tate, and look in the chess community, they called him E.T. for Emery Tate, but also E.T. like the alien because he was a bit strange. But the way he played chess was so unorthodox that sometimes he had some spectacular losses, but sometimes he had some spectacular victories against some of the top players in the world. So everyone was scared of him because he played with such recklessness that he was like, all oh, it's blitzkrieg. If you get through it, you survive, you get yeah. to beat him. But when it's coming hard and the heat's on, he destroyed some grandmasters so badly that they took like a year away from tournaments, like genuine like embarrassment. That's how he played. So nobody wanted to play my father because it was a risk, right? Because he's, he's only top 200 in the world, but he's smoking top 10. Sometimes he loses, but sometimes he'll fucking take your head off. So he was an anomaly. So whenever I went to a chess tournament, they're like, Tate's here, Tate's here. There's always the rumbles in, oh, Tate's here. So the name was always feared. And I think that was part of it for me. I, I want, when I, when I turned up to a fight event, Tate's here, Tate's here. I want my name to mean something, right? I want it to mean something like, and, and that was always very important to me. And I was just told, look, you want your name to matter. Then you have to go make it matter. It's not going to matter by default. And if you have good parents, um, and, and I was, and, and some hardship and some trauma, I think any man can become anything they want to be. How did he bring the two of you guys together? Like, what would he say? It's three of you. It's you, your yeah. your brother, and your sister. Yeah. What would he say to keep you guys together? Was it, hey, you guys can never backstab each other. You guys can never do like when the whole example you're given with Logan Jake, Logan yeah. and Jake to yeah. you, that doesn't make any sense. Correct. What did he say to unify the two of you guys or the three of you guys? Yeah, so that's a really good question. He was very, very focused on my brother and I's relationship and making sure we're close. And he just made it clear that as you excel in life, you're going to have a lot of enemies. And if you can't rely on your brother, you can't rely on anybody. And even when we were kids and we would argue, I remember one time we were arguing over Lego, dumb shit, kid, dumb shit. And he, we were in the dining room and we're arguing over Lego. And I, my brother ran in there and said, Andrew stole the Legos. Da, da, da. And he said, I don't have time for this bullshit arguing over fucking Legos. And he, my brother was crying because we'd had a little fight and I'd hit him or whatever. And he put us in the dining room. He said, you're both staying in this room in fucking silence for two hours straight. If I hear a noise, I'm restarting the fucking, I'm starting the timer. So sit here. And we're both scared of getting hit from him, right? So we're like, shit. So we sit there. And we're sitting there looking at each other, two, two 10 and eight-year-olds, crying, angry at each other. And as soon as one of us would like move on the seat, he'd say, I'm starting it again. And after two hours of sitting in perfect silence, it got to the point where me and Tristan learned, just don't argue around dad because you're going to end up just sitting in <laughs> silence, staring at each other in the face, <laughs> just sitting there. So we just didn't argue around dad anymore. And then, and then by extension, mom was like, I'll tell your dad. So it was like, oh shit. And then we just stopped arguing completely. Me and my brother have not had a serious argument in years. Gotta love it. Well, if we disagree, wow. we'll like, okay, we disagree. Da, da, da. It'll be five minutes, 10 minutes. Sure. But we never, we'll never ever argue. We share everything. We live in the same house. All the cars we share, bank accounts, besides women in underwear, you name it. We share absolutely everything from head to toe. We never, ever, ever argue. And another key to that relationship is Tristan accepting I'm the older brother. That is a big key to it. Tristan will accept. Older or alpha? There's a difference. It is a difference. But I also think if we ever do truly contest, he will say, okay, well, it's 50-50. And we, I might pull out this card once a year of that. But you're the older brother. So I, there still is that older brother. Meaning thing. he knows you're the alpha. Yeah. 
I think so. Yeah, I think he knows. Well, you're the big brother. You're the older one. So thing. So if we're ever 50-50 on a call, I'm the older brother. So that's it. But I also, I'm like a social media company, know when to, when to use my power. I also know when to concede and when to say, you know what? Okay, you know more about this or you know more about that or you're more, you care about this more than I care. I don't give a shit, whatever. But very rarely I can pull that card. But he was very, very interested in creating that relationship and making it very, very clear to us that as my father lived in a combative world where he was surrounded by enemies in his mind, whether it's a Corolla with a license plate, whether it's people trying to kill him, whether whatever the KGB agent, the KGB agent at the fucking at the at the chess tournament who t- who threatened him in Russian. My father was fluent in Russian. He always had enemies, and he was actually attacked and very badly hurt in Budapest in 1998. He um, played in a chess tournament. He beat a Russian grandmaster, and then he was jumped and beaten in the subway. Had to be hospitalized and nearly killed him in a subway in Budapest in 1998. He believed it was a hit. From the KGB, but the guy was an ex-KGB guy. I, I personally think you just beat an ex-KGB guy and pissed him off. Wrong place, wrong time. Eastern Europe was different in the 90s. They hurt him bad. So he lived in a very combative world. And in his world, it was, Andrew, they're going to come for you. You're a Tate. They're going to come for you like they came for me. And if you haven't got Tristan, you haven't got anybody. And he always taught us. Combative or paranoid? And that's the thing. You're paranoid until you're right. <laughs> you can be paranoid for 20 long years. And then it goes down. So it's hard to once again say, it's also, again, like when I talk about my father, we talk about, let's say the number plate things. What's this person following them? No, but that's his world. Your mind is your world. If in your world, we talked about believing in things that give and giving it power. If you believe you're being followed, you're effectively being followed. Like what's the difference, right? So he was paranoid, but he was reacting to the reality he lived. And, and, and that was who he was. And, and he had enough unfortunate in, in, incidents involving pure violence to know that the world can get violent quickly. And this is the difference between fighting and violence. We talk about this all the time. People say, oh, Tate, but you're a fighter. And I say, listen, I grew up in a world of violence. And I, even to this day, I know some very, very violent people. And there's a massive difference between fighting and violence. I've, I've seen genuine violence, and it's an ugly thing. Like, if, if, if I, as a, I'm a fighter, right? But if I had a real beef with someone, let's say they killed a member of my family. I wouldn't be trying to fight that man. I'd be aiming to be violent. An SUV on a pavement is violent. You know, 10 dudes with a machete is violent. Like violence is a different, violence has, violence is when you don't allow any chance of victory for the opponent. Violence is no, there's no competition involved. Violence is just pure attack. And my father has been subject to that and he survived it, but he's seen how it works. And he's just made it very clear. Andrew and Tristan, your best hope is together. You can't do it apart. You can't do it separate. And this is also, I think, a lot of our mentality, even to simple things like girlfriends, because a lot of brothers, they get different girlfriends and they move in with their different girlfriends and their girlfriend doesn't want them hanging around with their brother because they're too busy having fun getting girls and all this kind of shit. And, and, and to a degree, your relationship with females can attack your power dynamic of your brothers. But me and my brother never allowed that. If I sat with a girl and she said, oh, your brothers, I don't like your brother. I said, listen, you better learn. You can learn or you can leave his house. This is your house. This is our house. You can choose. You like the Tate brother. You like me, obviously, romantically, but you like him. He's your best friend. Or you can leave this house. And some girls have left. That's fine. But we, we've always allowed nothing to get in between us. And I think even if I analyze the Paul brothers, Jake and Logan, I think if you look at their, 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 their podcasts carefully, they talk about like some girlfriend. They both fuck the same girl and all this stupid shit. But like, he's your brother, bro. Look at fucking some girl. She's forgot about both of you. <laughs> you know, it's crazy. You gotta have that blood bond. And I think in many other cultures in the world, this is more common. Like I grew up in Luton, which is a primarily, it's, a, it's England, but it's a very, very Muslim town. 
And all the gangsters and, and dangerous people and even the most successful businessmen, all of them, when I was in, in college, were Muslim guys. And I was like, hey, guys, what's your fucking secret? Like, how are you doing this? You work in a chicken and chip shop, a fast food restaurant, and you're pushing a Lambo. How? He's like, well, I have nine brothers. He's like, yeah, but what does that mean? He goes, no, because when you guys, when you used to call me white, when you white boys have nine brothers, you all get nine girlfriends to go pay nine different rents. When I have nine brothers, that means nine women move into the family house. They all cook and provide. And us nine men go make money and pool our family incomes. How can we not have a Lamborghini and own the house we're in and the house you're renting? It's a different mentality. How, how much did the Muslim religion have influence over you? I, I think that it's the, I respect, I have so much respect for it because I respect anybody who says what they mean and means what they say. And I feel like they're the only religion who do. I feel like every other religion is so wishy-washy that it doesn't mean anything anymore. I don't believe in ignoring the tenets of your own religion for acceptance or for mainstream news to like you. Then, then what do you have? They say what they mean. They mean what they say. And primarily they focus on, on family and their own. And I have, to, I have to absolutely respect that. And like I said, I grew up around these huge Muslim families where all of them had pretty unremarkable jobs and they still had property portfolios and supercars. And I was just like, okay, that's the power of brotherhood. That's all it is. I only had one brother. I wish I had 10. Imagine there was 10 tape brothers. Oh, no. I don't think we're ready for that. <laughs> Imagine the world then. Can I ask you a question about sure. your father? I don't know if anyone's asked you. I don't know how spiritual you are. I know you said you're a man of God. Yeah. Uh, I don't know if you believe your, your father looking down on you. Yeah. But you said that he had a narcissistic complex. Yeah. That even when you became world champion 18, it's like, you got one, one, one other dude to whoop your ass, Andrew. Um, if he could talk to you now and see what you're going through. Uh, all the highs, the lows, the money, the women, the cars, the this, the that, the banning, all that. What do you think your father would say to you right now? And what do you think he would say to your brother? That's a really good question. I don't think he would comment so much on what's happening happening to me more than he'd comment on how I'm handled, which has also been a massive source of strength for me. Like if, if he were to come back to life for a day, I don't think we'd waste much time talking about the Matrix and why they're doing it. I think he already had an innate understanding of that because of how he lived his life and how he was attacked. He already understands all of that. It would just be how I'm dealing with it personally and how I'm using it to my advantage. The moves on the chessboard. And, and once again, when I was saying before about using your last name and the duty to it as a massive source of power, that's been a massive source of power to me my whole life and during this experience. Like they've attacked me from every, every angle. They've tried to destroy me from every angle. I'm a Tate. This is going to backfire. <laughs> they pushed that palm and I'm about to fucking wreck them. That's just who I am, right? So I think he'd be more, he'd be far more happy with how we've handled it as opposed to commenting on what's actually happened. And my father was very, very family orientated. The other thing he'd be very, very big about is talking about me and my brother and making sure that we have progeny and, and raising them correctly. He, was, he, he made it very clear to me from, for a very long time, the most important thing you can do is have children. This is the most important thing you can do. The rest of it, it's the link he to told, the... He told us that. He said, it's, he, in fact, on his own Twitter account, my father's not banned from Twitter. He stopped tweeting in 2014, maybe. Tate Terrific on Twitter. You can look him up right now. He has a few tweets on Twitter. It's obviously, he's dead. The account's dormant. It's all there. Tate Terrific. And one of his tweets is, love is my link to the future. I have three kids. If I could live forever, I would deny it. The better versions of myself already walk the earth. That's what he said. And he said that before he died. So wow. he, he has, yeah, he has all his tweets. And still to this day, sometimes I'll go back and read some of his tweets. And it gives me inspiration. I'll give you another one he said. I read only a few days ago because I read through his Twitter account sometimes. He said, I allow manipulation to see where my enemy wants me to go. Then I use my mind to break the trap and punish all perpetrators. And I like that. So he'll, he'll, he'll watch the news. I used to see my dad watch the news, allow the manipulation, watch it all, turn it off and say, son, 
this is bullshit. And he'd sit there and dissect it all from head to toe. So he'd allow manipulation. He wouldn't deny it. He wouldn't say, mm -hmm. no, don't come at me with bullshit. He'd say, oh, you have a bullshit story. Come tell me your bullshit story. Come tell me. He wouldn't say, don't watch the news. No, no, it's no, all he'd bullshit. Say, no, no, tell me. Tell me. Embrace tell me. it. And then he'd use it, his mind then... to break the trap and punish the perpetrator. So he was very understanding of this. And a lot of his tweets are good for these kind of things. He was saying, allow them to attempt to manipulate me. It's no problem. Another thing he says, one of the things I said earlier in this podcast was his. You must analyze every firmly held be belief you have. Realize where it came from, who gave it to you, and if they have your best interests at heart, resist the slave mind. He said all this stuff, so I'll tweet it out. So yeah, he's he's still he's still alive to a degree, you know. So whether he's watching or not, he's he, he one on one of my Instagram posts, which got deleted. There was a uh, Pavetkin, the boxer. It was a it, it was a interaction in his corner of the eleventh round of a title fight for Pavetkin in early two thousands, and his corner was saying, "Do you miss your father?" And you say, yes, that's the father. If you become champion, he lives forever. And he's right. If you become remarkable enough as a man, they talk about your origin story, which is your father. So it is my duty to my father to be the man I am. Totally. No one would be talking about my dad, maybe in chess circles, but no one would be talking about my dad in mainstream consciousness if I wasn't who I am. No doubt. So I keep him alive. Yeah. And it is my son's duty to do exactly that for me, to keep me alive. The man who got banned and broke social media, big tech monopoly. Mm -hmm. This is my son's job. So this is what's so important. This is, he lives forever through me. Yeah. And he'll live through it for, and, and I will live forever through my, through my son. And that's the beautiful thing of, about can, life. Can I tell you something about Pat? I don't know how much you know, but, but there's a lot of similarities in your guys' story, right? Uh, his biggest influence, his biggest hero in his life, no doubt is your father. No doubt. And uh, you're, you have deep sense of history. You also have a deep sense of the bloodline and legacy, you know, uh, Past, present, yeah. future. That's that's a clear yeah. understanding about you. Pat, you have a similar thing, man. Uh, you you talk about the Bet David. In, the, in this house, the Bet Davids, the Bet David, the, the last name, the last name of this, uh, it's, it's, it almost like shapes greatness. My father, I was like, dude, I'm trying to be the exact opposite of you. I had yeah, a yeah, very yeah. tumultuous relationship with my dad. Yeah. But a lot of the story that Andrew's saying, you must identify within yourself. No question about it. Like the whole Bet David uh, Tate part where Tate's were just, the other day we're walking with Dylan. Dylan's my eight-year-old. And I said, Dylan, you realize we have the most powerful last name in the world. And he says, yeah, I know. 30 seconds later, he's not saying anything. He says, Daddy, how do you know that? Yeah. I says, that's all that matters, that you believe it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You just have to believe it. He says, as long as you do, you're scored away. He says, I believe it. I said, that's all that matters. You're Absolutely. a bit David. Absolutely. So I, I understand what your dad was doing with you. But let me, let me ask this. Sure. So I run a sales company. And my style of teaching works with it used to work only with one type of personality yeah and i realized i'm one dimensional then i went to adjust because i was only attracting single guys that don't have any kids and they're yeah. 18 to 25 years old yeah then i said no i'm selling insurance i got to be able to adjust and you know relate to the married man yeah so then that that it opened up and it was three different ways of communicating with three different audiences Absolutely. then it goes five seven so now you become multi-dimensional absolutely did your dad's messaging resonate with your sister because your sister is a lawyer. She also is successful. Yeah. How did she receive his messaging? Yeah, my sister is very successful. She is a lawyer. And I do think it resonated to a degree. However, I think my father's worldview was so primal and so based in many things which have a masculine edge, like threats and violence and enemies and things that women don't truly consider. That I think his teaching style was far more akin to, to men. And even, I think that's just how he was. I think that it's easy for a man to adopt it. I don't think that many women, and I don't want to be labeled a misogynist. This is just my worldview. 
I don't think many women have a true, because it's not their job to be, to some degree, they feel like men should protect them to some degree. Most of them, I don't feel like they have a true akin to threats sometimes. I, I, I give a million different examples, but if I go on a date with a girl in a restaurant, the first thing she wants to do is put on Instagram instantly. Oh, I'm like, no, no, whoa, whoa, whoa. You can't, we're, we're here now. Like you can't be putting that we're on in this restaurant with the napkin and the late. That's how they kill pop smoke. Like calm down. What are they, but it doesn't consider their mind as a threat or that many women don't accept that there are groups of men right now sitting in rooms, scrolling social media, looking for someone to, to get, looking for someone to get. They're just sitting there, 10, 10 brothers from fuck knows where sitting there just going, hmm, ah, that was 10 minutes ago, this tag. Oh, Mr. Bugay. Yeah, Tate's in Miami at, but, the, at the club right now. It's real. This doesn't really cross female consciousness sometimes. And I understand why, because I think if a woman knew how dangerous the world is, she wouldn't leave the house. <laughs> so it's easier just to not look at that world. But um, the way my dad taught and the things he said, it resonated with me and my brother more than it would resonate with my sister. My sister's still very, very successful in her own way. And she's married now and she's a kid, et cetera. And she has her own man, et cetera. But also I think when a woman gets married, she takes influence from the man she marries. Lots of different things, but my, my biggest male influence was my father always will be. There'll be no one else. But you agree your, your sister should take the influence Completely. from her husband. Completely. That's the man she wants to be. And she, if she wants her son to replicate the man she's had a kid with, then yeah, she absolutely should take his influence. I completely respect that and understand it. But my, my biggest male influence in my life will always be my father. It can never be replicated or replaced, whereas hers possibly could. Tristan's your best friend, brother, business partner, the whole thing. Everything. What would you describe your sister as? My sister's Just your sister? Yeah, my sister's my sister, yeah. And I wish her the absolute best. I have nothing bad to say about her. I wish her the absolute best. But the bond me and my brother have, I don't want to say this in any kind of negative way. I, I don't feel like I, I couldn't live with my sister full time, like in a same house, talking about, like it just wouldn't be, it'd be weird. I don't know why. I always think there's going to be some degree of disconnect just because of the gender. If someone hurt her, I'd be the first person to be there and help her, of course. But she belongs to her man now. They're married. They're happy. They're in love. They have a child. Mm-hmm. And, and she has a, a degree of separate life. Whereas me and my brother's lives will always be interconnected to the end. How do you get along with her husband? Yeah, he's a good guy. Yeah, he's a really nice guy. Yeah, he has nothing bad to say I, about me, funnily enough. <laughs> Does <laughs> doesn't, he, want, doesn't want smoke. Nah, he's, a, <laughs> nah, he's all right. He's all right. He's a good guy. We don't want him to end up like Tony. What you say? But you know what it is, though. The, the whole point is, um, one, the person has to want to receive the message. Two, the person selling the message, the, the messenger messaging may only relate to a certain audience. It yeah. may not relate to everybody. It's not easy. This messaging that, you're, that your dad's teaching, that taught, this is not a popular messaging where it's like, you know, Jordan talks about in Last Dance. He says, if it wasn't for his dad, he wouldn't be who he is. If it wasn't for his brother, he wouldn't be who he is today, yeah. right? There's a scene where his dad's like, Ah, whatever, Michael, just go do your, listen, man, you're not, you're not a man. You go out there and just play with your toys. We're going to go out there and fix some things. And Jordan says, when you're going through it, it's psychological torture when someone's doing that to you. Like your dad is doing that to you, he's challenging you. But he obviously responded to it. He became an assassin in the game of basketball because he received it. Correct. The individual has to receive it as well. The individual has to receive it. And also, but I think the modern world's changed because there's a lot more opposite programming to your parents than there used to be. I used to go to school, finish school, come home, play chess. I, I was never really allowed to really watch too much TV. I didn't play Nintendo too much. I played chess. That was it. That's all I really did. So besides the school teacher or the little bit of school I had, I didn't have too much outside programming from the matrix itself. But nowadays when you're raising a child, it's far more scary because you're trying to teach them things. That's fine. 
but YouTube's trying to teach them something else. And Netflix trying to teach them something else. And school is trying to teach them something else more than ever before. And on top of that, if you're not a wealthy individual, your wife now has to go to work, right? Because you have two incomes to pay the bills. So she isn't even, your children are not even at home with the mother or the woman who adopts with your ideals because otherwise you wouldn't be together. Now they belong to the state effectively in many different ways. The school raises them, then an aftercare program, then the then internet raises them. So now you have a very difficult job. And you'll see, even if you look at YouTube now, children disagreeing with their own parents about certain issues, no matter what they are, topical issues, politics, LGBT, whatever. The parents will say, no, that's not true. Well, I heard in school it's true that because they spend more time inside the matrix than they do with their own parents now. And it's very, very difficult now as a parent to get that that hard time with your kid and say, resist that. I want you to be this way. It was easier when I was raised. Now that's scary. I think that's actually, it's a very, very difficult job parents have now because of that. Because the programming is exceptionally strong because it's it's entertaining, right? And we've all developed ADHD and we're all glued to social media and addicted to our phones and things are coming through the phone. And that's the argument they tried to use to ban me. I argue that I'm a positive force and there's far more negative forces than me on the internet, which are trying to infect the children than, than I am. That's the argument I have. I'd argue that I'm the complete opposite to it. But yeah, it's a scary world now. It's scary I, to have a I child. have a simple question for you, but it's actually very deep because you don't understand where I'm going with this. How many times have you seen the movie, The Matrix? Because this is a major theme of yours. Yes. And Pat, I don't want to let the cat out the bag. You just saw it for the first time Two on the flight ago. here. Yeah. Okay. So how many times have you seen The Matrix? 15, 20? 15. This has a major influence in your life. This Correct. concept. Correct. Right? It's, a, it's an easy way for me to express in a few words how I view the world works. I've adopted something from popular culture and I've adapted it to try and quickly explain. If I try and sit and explain that most people are being used for their resource, yep. they're being projected a reality that isn't true. They're convinced of things that aren't true. They're promised that if they slave away hard enough at the end, at the end, you'll retire. At the end, it'll be good, which is a lie. And they're just used for their resource until they die. To get into that and explain that at length is difficult. But if I say you're inside of the matrix and they've seen the movie, they're like, what do you mean? You're inside the matrix. You're living inside of a projected reality and your body heat is being extracted in real time for the machines. That's what's happening to you. And they're like, I don't understand. You will understand once you break free. How do I break free? You break free when you can talk freely. This is the thing that's amazing. And I talk a lot about money, but I'm not that financially driven. I just understand if you don't have money, you can't have an opinion. You can't say what you think. You can't do what you're not told to do because then you can't pay the mortgage. If they say wear a mask to come to work, even no matter how much you know that mask is fruitless, you must pay the bills. You must comply. That's the matrix. You have no force but to comply. It's only when you get to a point of money where you can say, no, my principles are worth losing X million. That's when you can escape the matrix. Money is a primary motivator to escape. I've always been interested in freedom more than money. It's not about having nice things. It's about having freedom of mind and freedom of thought and freedom and autonomy of my own body. That requires money. Or it requires the complete opposite, like I said earlier. It's either no money, living on the street, or a lot of money. Anywhere in between, you're controlled. But if you ain't got shit and you're on the beach, wear a mask, get fucked. <laughs> get fucked. We're here to take my house. I ain't got one. Got no. It. So when did you give me a fine. Sure. Go on, man. Like, I ain't got any money. Like, so that's the only way you escape. You escape through extreme poverty or escape through wealth. And I was prepared to take either route. I was prepared to take either one. I want to go to that topic, but I want to finish up the family thing and then we'll go there because that's a big part of, look, there's a lot of interesting people to psychoanalyze. Yeah. I'm sure you've sat with a lot of people that try to psychoanalyze you and go through it. Yeah. A lot of them. 
most important person I psychoanalyze is myself all the time. Absolutely. One time I sat down, I had a list of 83 questions that was given to me. And one of the questions was, who annoys you the most? Why? Who do you get along with the most? Why? Who do you not get along the most? Why? And then I'm at the beach. I'm going through this question. I'm like, holy shit. Then you notice a trend. Like, no wonder I don't get along with people like this. Because you remind me of this. No wonder I get along with you because you bring a certain level of safety. No wonder I'm okay in these types of chaotic situations because I feel peaceful in chaotic situations. No wonder I'm scared shitless and paranoid when things are too peaceful because (laughs) I'm not living in this kind of a situation. So then you're like, okay, now I understand who you are, guy. Mm -hmm. Now let me live with you. It's kind of like you're, you know, living with yourself. So influence of that over you, what positive or negative influence you talk about your dad you said women what was it booze gambling yeah, right you talk yeah. about that we also talk about the positive influence of Absolutely. dad what positive or negative influence did mom have over you yeah so my mother was fantastic she was an amazing mother she i don't know i don't like to talk about positive and negatives my mother was very much subservient to my father which uh was a good thing they used to have arguments etc and i think i learned a lot of my lessons, I guess, on male-female dynamics to a degree from my childhood. Like I, I remember one time my father was away at a chess tournament for, for a month and a half. He was away for a really long time. He was at a chess tournament playing chess all over the country. Came back after a month and a half. Within 45 minutes, him and my mom are arguing. I think she found something in his pocket, a phone number. So I don't know what it was. Started arguing. He just walked in the house. I started arguing. Da, 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 and he came down to me and said, son, give me a hug. Gave him a hug. He goes, all right, see you in a few weeks. He's like, where are you going? He goes, when you're older, you'll understand. Your mother won't shut up. Walked out the door. <laughs> I didn't see him again for two weeks. That's who he was. Like, ah, oh, I come home. Oh, you want to go? Oh, the fuck this is fine. That's how he was as a man, right? So I learned, I did, I'm not saying that I'm that way, but I, this is my childhood, right? I saw it. But my mother was quite subservient to my father. My father was certainly disciplinarian. He was certainly the man who's in charge of the house. My mother did her job fantastically. She taught us how to read. She, she fed us very well. She made sure we ate good. And my dad's basic tenant was, your mother is in charge of keeping you alive. Food, go to bed on time, eat good, go to school. Da-da. She's in charge of keeping you alive. But I'm in charge of teaching you how to be a man and conquer the world. So we have different roles. So she's going to keep you alive. I'm going to turn up when I turn up. I'm going to teach you some shit. I'm going to teach you how to live. I'm going to teach you how to live. And they're different things. So they, they had very clear defined roles. Um, to this day, my mother, she's still alive. I, I've retired her completely. So the first thing I did when I got rich was retire my mother. First thing I did, because my mother was uh, when, they, when they broke up. So this, the sad story of my father, which I've never told, but I'll tell it now. My father, got, uh, my father was in the Air Force. He discharged. After they diagnosed him with narcissistic personality disorder, they offered him a full military pension, six or $7,000 a month, saying that, you know, you have this mental disorder, we'll give it to you because you were such a, a, a fantastic member of the Air Force. My dad was actually in intelligence. Some right-wing people on the internet think I'm a CIA plant because my father was with intelligence. I'm not a CIA plant. But my father was an intelligence. So when my father joined the Air Force, he got on the bus, like everyone else did back then in Alabama, got on the bus. Da-da-da, you go, you do an IQ test. My father did so good. They moved him to, to intelligence. And my father, to this day, held, still holds, I believe. At the time of his death, he still held it. The fastest assimilation of a foreign language. So back in the 80s and 90s, if they needed someone who speaks Russian, they'd train a native English or American person. Nowadays, you can get a a Estonian or a Latvian because they're pro-EU and they speak Russian fluently. It's easy. Back then, you need a Russian speaker who'd teach them. 
So they taught my dad Russian. He, he, he learned Russian fluently in 15 days, head to toe. So he held the fastest simulation of the Russian language. I know that because when he died, I got a message on Facebook, Meta. I got a message on Facebook from a guy who I uh, never heard of saying, hi, you don't know who I am. I was in the Air Force with your father. I heard of his passing. I just want to let you know that I was in the same place as your father. I was a linguist also for the Air Force. At the time, I was living with a Russian woman and we spoke Russian fluently in the house. And your father and I started classes at the same time. And I can say with certainty, the way your father learned things was, was inhuman. It was robotic. Within three weeks, he was correcting me on my Russian. <laughs> like he was, that, that's who he was, right? So he spoke Russian and Spanish and German. We were also in Berlin at the fall of the Berlin Wall. So he did a lot of things. So he was a linguist. So he used to listen to the bugs. If they bugged the room, he'd listen to the bug in Russian and translate it. Um, so that's what my father did. But anyway, when they discharged him, they said he had narcissistic personality disorder. And the reason they said he had that is because he refused to listen to one of his commanders. I don't know the exact story, so I don't want to say it on tape. But he refused to listen to one of his commanders about a recording on a tape. And my father was arguing with him about the translation of an, a certain word. My father believed it was slang for something else. The superior believed it was something else. They got into a personal beef. It developed over months and months and months of arguments about translations. And eventually, he ended, my dad ended up t- being told to sweep outside for eight hours a day. And then I got to the point where my father got discharged. So when they discharged him, they diagnosed him with narcissistic personality disorder because he said he wouldn't listen. And they offered him this military pension and he refused it. He said, my sanity is not for sale. And I know that line because my mother used to scream all the time when we were broke in the house. You could have had money, Emery. My sanity's not for sale. Because we, we went yeah. broke. Because <laughs> now we went broke. Now we went broke, right? So I remember the arguing, Emery, we could have had money. Now we're broke. So because he became a professional chess player, he couldn't pay the bills. And we were living in Indiana and South South Chicago. We were in the ghetto with no money. So I remember him saying that all the time. So um, eventually my mother was, it was English. We decided to move back to England because England has social housing. You get free house and you can get benefits and that kind of thing. We moved back and, and my father stayed there. So I didn't see my father very much from the time I moved, but my mother was always in charge of keeping me alive. And he was just in charge of like giving me the lessons and stuff. So yeah, it was an interesting life, but he was, he was a super principled man. Like he turned down money. What was actually interesting towards the end of his life, about three or four years before he died. Um, no, no, it must've been way before that because I didn't have money yet. Maybe 10 years before he died, he called me and said, you know, I've been principled for so long. And, and the way the world's turning and what American government's doing. And maybe I should have just signed. Or do you think I should have just signed? He didn't say maybe. He said, do you think I should have just signed? I said, no, dad. No, you, you get to live with a pure heart. You shouldn't have just signed. Because your mother's saying that I should just sign it now because I get back. Sign what exactly? Sign yeah. the, the narcissistic personality disorder, oh. sell his sanity and get back pay, which at the time would be like half a million dollars. And I by, just, by the way, just so you know, a lot of people signed it. A lot, a lot of military. I mean, you know, people who got out, you signed, you get all this incredible pension, back pay. And why do they want you to sign this? Why do they want his father to sign this? They want to sign it because he admits fault. It's all your fault. You're wrong about everything. You're a psycho. Your sanity is for sale. You uh, sold your sanity for $5,000 a month. Your disability for is for your sale. Your disability, yeah. yeah. So he's, he found out that he could get back pay if he signed it. So he had a long conversation with me. And I said, look, Dad, I think you did the right thing. I'm so proud of you. And we talked back and forth. And he said, you know what? Your mother... This is the time we didn't have money. Your mother is a dinner lady. My mother was a dinner lady at this point. After we moved to England, we had some things, but she was a dinner lady. She got like $400 a month cleaning plates. She had arthritis. She was starting to get bad knee from standing up all day. Because, you know, I'm not even with her anymore. She calls me so many headaches, but I can't let her just wash dishes, son. I might just sign it. I was like, well, dad, the choice is yours. My dad agreed. He goes, look, I'm running out of time anyway. I'm running out of life. 
I've, I've taught, I taught you boys a lesson. You know what that I need. He went to sign it. He went to the military to try and sign it for the back pay. They declined him. He said, ah, you're not crazy anymore. No, wouldn't give him the money. Funny that. So <laughs> let's talk about that's another story. So when he died, uh, when he died, I still didn't have that much money. But then after he died, about luckily, I started to make money about a year, two years later. And because he tried to retire my mother, obviously, I also have an own debt for my mother. The first thing I did when I made money was retire my mother. So I'd say to this day, about 15 to 20% of my income goes to my mother. She has panic attacks. Like she'll check her bank and be like, what is it? This is too much money. I can't buy it. She's, just, she's like scared of it. I'm like, just buy Lambo. Chill. It's fine. So I, I make sure she's super well. Mommy's hating the Lambo running yeah. down the street. Yeah. What's up, bitches? So, okay. she, so she's running around the world on these cruises and shit. So I retired my mother because that was one of my dad's last attempts at appeasing her. Um, so yeah, she's retired. So I have a really good relationship with my mother, but my mother has absolute trust in me. Like my mother just calls me and goes, even during this shit storm, she goes, Andrew, they're really coming for you. I know you know what to do. I don't know what to do. I'm like, stay on the cruise ship, mom. Don't worry about it. I got it. I got it. So it's, it's, she's not like above me. It's hard to explain. She looks up to me. She's no, like, totally. you fix it. You of fix course, it. you're the leader of the household. But, yeah. you know, I, I, a, an interview was done with Bill Clinton. I'm reading this book called Not First Rate Madness. It's the other one, Hypomanic Edge. And Bill Clinton's mom was bipolar. And one of the things he finally said is this interviewer is trying to get information on his mom. And he knows that the mom has issues and they're going back and forth. He finally says, look. There's zero benefit for me saying anything bad about my mom. Yep. A daughter can say it. A son cannot say it. Yep. There's zero benefit mm -hmm. of saying anything bad about your mom coming from the son, which there's a lot of, there's a lot of depth in that messaging with Bill Clinton. But I want to, I want to transition to the next part sure. with values and principles, because to me, um, you know, certain things I'm, paranoid about or whatever word you want to call it. My wife's like, what's the big deal with that? Or what's this? A, you know, you're always thinking somebody's after you because of life you lived. I'm like, listen, unless you really fully understand a life a person's lived, you're not going to know why they're wired the way they are. Right. You know, you, you, you're recreating yourself constantly, but there's also the life you've seen. This is the life you've seen. We've not seen the life you and Tristan have seen. Right. But when I watch you, I'm like, okay, strong personality. High self-confidence, comfortable in his own skin, BMF, badass, great communicator, charming, charismatic, persuasive, all this stuff. Stuff he says about women, five wives, all, you know, playing around, constant, all this stuff. But I feel a, a strong level of conviction in traditional values, in conservative values. And then I'm listening to you, I'm like, okay. So I grew up with certain men that have influence over me. Hey, why do you interview all these mobsters? I grew up watching Godfather 2 and Goodfellas yeah. and, you know, all the, and, and there's certain things amongst them that I really respect. Absolutely. Forget about the stuff about, you know, the, the murder, the killing, the, set that aside. But certain code they had that they worked together with, it kept things safe. So this is why we like watching Casino. We like watching Godfather. We like watching this. You ask any Fortune 500 CEO, Half of them are going to say, what's the movie that influenced you the most? Godfather 2. Godfather 2. Yeah, yeah. Godfather 2. Yeah, yeah. As much as we're like, well, not in real life, but in a movie, fine, but not in real life. Yeah. But where is the conservative, strong values that you have? Again, this to the average person watching and saying, what the hell are you talking about? Yeah. This is the same guy that talks about women shouldn't drive women out, this woman out, this. I feel like it's there. I feel like 
sometimes you don't fully bring it out. I feel yeah. like you're, it's, it's almost like, you know, the saying, I worked with a leader for many years who the saying was never show her. We never show her. You never show her. You never show her. Never show her. You never show her. And you're like, never show her. I'm never freaking showing her. Hell no, I'm not showing her because I'm not going to let you have one in over me to vulnerable. And then you use that to get something out of me. I'm not freaking doing that to you. Never show her. Never show her. And then the other side is, but if people are going to really know who you are, yeah. you got to show a little bit of vulnerability for people to know who you are. For you, values, principles, deep down inside, traditional. Is it real or is it just a pure, you know, confusion I have here with my, you know, understanding of you? No, it's absolutely and utterly real. And I think that it is based in, in the natural. I think it's a natural tendency to be conservatively minded if you are masculine and also if you are competent. I feel like a lot of my tra traditional masculine values just come from my respect in myself and my confidence in myself in dangerous situations. I, if, if, I, if I'm recently, I was in the Romanian mountains, it started to snow heavily. There was a blizzard. I was with a girl. It was her car. She goes, oh, we have to drive home. I said, I'm going to drive. Those are my cars. Yeah, but I'm going to drive. She said, why? Because this is a blizzard. She's like, well, okay. It's not me being misogynistic. It's just, I know I can drive in a blizzard. I, I just trust me. I just trust myself. And I trust future self even more than I trust my current self, if that makes sense. So if, if, if I have a situation now where I have a play to make and it seems semi-risky, I'll think, well, future Andrew's even better than current Andrew. So future Andrew, oh, four years from now, oh, he'll fix it. Let's say it goes wrong. Oh, future Andrew's got it. If current Andrew can pull X off, future Andrew can pull Y off. So we're going to take the riskier option with a bigger reward, for example. Obviously, you'd have to be stupid. But I think that when you have true belief in yourself and you have true competence, you're going to naturally inclinate towards being a protector and a provider and have these conservative values. It's really interesting that the closer a society is to the survival line, the closer people naturally bend to their gender roles anyway. So let's say we take America, right, where you have feminists and hard liberals and all this garbage. If they were all marooned on a desert island, let's say there's a shipwreck, they got marooned on a desert island. One of two things would happen. They'd stick with their Western world garbage and perish. Or they would all quickly align to the natural baselines of humanity, the gender roles. The men would build and hunt. The women would gather and, and look after the sick. And, the, and then they'd survive. The closer you are to survival, the more important you are. The more important it is that you align to your gender role. Because if you don't, you don't have a chance of survival. So in countries where it's harder to survive, they're more traditionalistic. It's only in very, very privileged societies can we pretend that you do not need a man who can protect himself and others. <laughs> so that's a very privileged society, right? So I think when you have a hard life and you've lived a life on edge, you're naturally going to be inclin inclining towards those things, towards reality and towards conservative values and towards traditionalism, because that you know that gives you the highest chance of survival. I have a highest chance of survival if I focus on doing X and I am this type of person and the woman next to me is this type of person. And that gives us the best chance. And that makes me a traditionally masculine male and her a traditionally feminine, feminine female, especially if you're living a difficult life. Does that make sense? Um, so, and especially in many parts of the world, that's still true today. And most of the world, that's still true today. We're talking about, we're talking on these podcasts to extremely privileged individuals who want to sit and throw away 98% of how the world functions and say it's bullshit and come along with this brand new thing they've invented for the last 15 years. And I say this often, I say, you find me dangerous that I say, I said something that got me in a lot of trouble. So I'll say it again. I said that if I had to fly 
If I was going to get on a plane that was going to fly through the eye of a hurricane and there was a 50% chance of it crashing, I would prefer a male pilot than a female pilot. Feminist lost her mind, called me misogynistic. I said, no, I think that men are calmer under pressure. I'm not saying the pilot, assuming they have the same skill, I'm talking about just the pressure of the plane crashing. In my experience, men are calmer under mortal pressure than a woman would be. She might panic and then we're definitely going to die. I'm not saying she would panic. I'm not saying all women would panic. I'm saying if I had to choose male pilot or female pilot for this semi-suicide mission, I would choose a male pilot. That's my life experience, right? Everyone will attack me for that, but that's just the life I've lived. By extension, if I had to drop my children off at nursery, I want to drop them out at all-female nursery. I'd never drop my three-year-old or four-year-old kid if I had one at an all-male nursery. That'd be weird. So to me, this is how most of the world still functions. This is how the Western world functioned until 10 or 15 years ago. And I say these things and I'm vilified, but I truly believe I wouldn't be so popular and not so many people would resonate with me if large swaths of the population didn't go, well, he has kind of got a point, I guess. I don't think it's that, that bad. I think a lot of the world is still quite conservative, even in the West. There's just a very, very vocal minority that have all the control of the narrative that are trying to convince the world otherwise. I think the majority of even happy relationships, the man's a man, the woman's a woman. I think that's pretty standard. Perhaps I'm wrong, but in my experience, it certainly is. You know what I think would be interesting? You, you know, a lot of your audience, I mean, it's wide. You said 18 to 25-year-old men, women too. Yeah. I think it would be amazingly interesting if you sat down with a room of 80-year-olds. Yeah. 80-year-old men and women. And you know what these people are called in America. They're older than baby boomers. You know what they're called, that generation. No, tell me. Traditionalists. Oh, there you go. Okay. Yeah. I'd, be, I'd be very uh, curious to know what old people would have to say about Tate. I doubt that any of the older women or the older men would try to be canceling Tate to be like, yeah, that's but, but, everything but, we've ever known. But this is the thing that's interesting because the feminist narrative, when no. I say things like the male pilot, for example, the feminist narrative is that I'm a controlling man who wants control over women. The actual truth is I'm a protective man who wants to protect. And being a man in a position of protecting is not always a good thing. I feel indebted and have a duty to myself and my honor. Meaning that if I'm walking down the street with a beautiful woman and three men want to attack her, I have to risk my life now. I can't live my life letting my wife get gang raped on a fucking street and running away. I can't take it as a man. So I have to now die. I have to die or, or try. I have no choice. So but that's my duty. But they'll, they'll ignore that part. They'll ignore the part where I risk my life, right? And they'll say, oh, but you just want to be controlling misogynistic. No, no. I have a duty to protect. I'm calmer under pressure because I've been in more unfortunate situations. I've had more trauma in my life, which has trained me to be more calm under pressure. I would hate to meet a woman who's been through as much trauma as I have. That's not the kind of, that, that wouldn't make her a good woman. I don't think women need trauma at that level. I don't want women who've been stabbed. I, I, there's no need for that. But I have been through it. So I think that in my experience, extrapolation, that men who are successful, a lot of them have been through enough for me to trust them more in a high pressure situation. And, and like I said, this comes with massive responsibility. This comes with massive detriments and downsides, right? And, and the feminists are like, no, you're controlling. It's not about controlling. It's about duty. There was no feminist on the Titanic. Then, then men can die. There's no. no feminist to this day in Ukraine. The Ukrainian women can leave. You'll yeah. see them partying in Warsaw and Prague. Ukrainian men can't leave the country. They're dying in a ditch. They have to stay and fight. Not a single feminist is demanding that the women stay and fight. Not a single one. They don't give a fuck when it turns real. Once it turns hot, 
Bennett's, woohoo, straight to, what do you want, sandwich? Sure. Well, what do you want a sandwich, sir? What do you need? Then it all goes back. The closer you are to the real world, the closer people instantly get into their gender roles because otherwise they get annihilated in real yeah. time. That's another thing I said when I was getting called misogynistic and I was arguing with feminists. I said, traditionally, men are the leaders. And in ancient societies, men were in charge. That's because men are oppressive. You've oppressed us forever. That's their narrative. Their narrative is that we've oppressed women forever. I said, no. We've protected and provided for you forever. The reason we are leaders is because if we align with our gender roles, a man's more likely to lead, and that gives us a more competitive chance. In the olden world, where all the empires were currently fighting, if you're not as competitive as possible, you're going to be annihilated. I would argue that perhaps there were some civilizations where women were in charge, but we don't know who they are, and we can't discuss their history because they were fucking annihilated in real time by the ones where the men were in charge. Because you are hyper-competitive. You're at your optimum when men are in charge. That's just the optimum of the gender roles. That's the way it works. I don't believe we've been oppressing you since the dawn of human time. I disagree. I believe we've been working hard, protecting, providing for you. If men were truly oppressive to women, why don't we send the women to war? Women on women, it's fair, right? We can send all the women to war in Ukraine, all the women to war in Russia. They can die. And we can sit and we can chill. And we can go to Warsaw and drink vodka. We don't do that. The men of Ukraine and the men of Russia are dying to protect their women. And then they want to sit and say that we're bad? It's a, it's a completely skewed worldview. Whenever they come along and say that we're oppressive and that we have the most money and all this bullshit, it's a lie. We are going out of our way and giving up our lives to protect and provide. And this is where it comes to some of the other things that they said against me. I've said a man, doesn't ha- a man has a degree of authority over something he has responsibility for. They took this and they used it and said that I think that men have authority over women. It's not what I said. I said, if I have responsibility for something, I must have a degree of authority over that thing. If I have a a car, if for it to be parked in the wrong place or for me to drive too fast, whatever, whatever, for me to be responsible for the actions of that car, it must be my car. If it's parked in the wrong place, but it's not mine and I'm not allowed to drive it, then I'm not held accountable. For me to be accountable, I have to have responsibility by extension. That gives me a degree of authority. So what I was saying is if a woman comes to me and lives with me and I pay the bills, and she travels the world with me and she flies on jets and we go to boats and she's taken care of. I'm responsible for her safety if we walk the street at night. Mm-hmm. I ensure her life is in perfect order. I have a degree of authority where I can say, you're not going to go out at night by yourself. It's dangerous. Or we're not going to go to this country right now. It's dangerous. That's a degree of authority that I have that comes with my responsibility from a protective manner. That does not mean I am oppressive. That does not mean I'm misogynistic. It just means that responsibility and accountability are linked and they can't be decoupled. A captain goes down with the ship because the captain is responsible for what happens on the ship. If the captain gives orders and everyone ignores him, then he isn't going to go down with the ship, does he? He, is, he has authority because he is responsible. The two things are the same. And once again, people have misunderstood what I've said. And that's what I said in a healthy relationship, perhaps in my relationships, let's talk from a personal perspective so that I can't be attacked. In my relationships, I am responsible for the emotional security and for the physical security and the fiscal responsibility, the fiscal security of any woman I'm with. And by extension, I have a degree of authority over her to make sure that we as a couple proceed and progress in the best possible way. It's not going to be 50-50 if I'm in charge of the most important things. It's going to be like, listen, I love you very much. I respect what you're saying. And you're totally right about this. But on this one point, I'm sorry, I'm going to be the man. We're doing it this way. Well, you've gotten in trouble because, by the way, I'm, we're here. Like, I think we're all here. But you've gotten in trouble because the analogy you use is like you compare women to children or to animals and say, I have responsibility over 
my child or over my dog. And then people take the short clip and like, he thinks that women are like children or women like animals. Well, the children, yeah, the children yeah. one, the children one was actually interesting because that, that was a slightly different one. With, with children, I was making a joke and it was semi-satirical, but like all my things, I'm not allowed to make jokes anymore because Zuckerberg gets upset, deletes me. But I made a joke saying that when I travel quickly, I like to travel with just men. If I'm going to a place for a week, I'll take women, fine. But if I have to hit, let's say, four countries in two days on the jet, I like to only take men. And they said, why? I said, well, and it was a joke. We were all sitting on a podcast. I said, well, traveling with a woman's like traveling like kids. They get hungry. They have bags. They need the toilet. With men, it's just military. In, out, boom, no sleep. In, out, boom, no sleep. Pack the bag, no sleep. On the jet, no sleep, no sleep, no. You're going to be military, you can get it done. That's what I said, right? We have a Marine over here okay. being like. That's what I said. Yeah. When, when, yeah. when I take my girlfriend, she's like, oh, we haven't slept in two days. I'm really, really hungry, Andrew. You need it. It's like, oh, so am I. Shush. <laughs> like, it's just different. So, and, and that gets taken out of context and they don't accept it's yeah. a joke. It's a joke. To a degree, it's a joke. I mean, I still mean what I say, but to a degree, it's a joke. The analogy upsets them. Hey, and that's, question for you. Sure. If how much different, like, you know, the story told about, you know, one day you come home, your dad comes up to you and says, Andrew, I'll see you in a couple of weeks. And he's yeah. out, right? Yeah. In the context of what happens when there's a conflict, and we all react in three different ways, fight, flight, freeze. Yeah. In that context, your dad is flight. Yeah. He runs off and says, I don't want to deal with it. I'm out of here. I'm going to do my own thing. Okay. Yeah. In America, a lot of that is happening right now, where it's a single, single parent household. Yeah. Kids are being raised without a mom and dad being there. And it's just one mom, you know, mom trying to do both. And yeah. these boys, you know, yeah. my mom couldn't tell me what to do from a very, yeah. once my parents got a divorce. Yeah. I'm a single mother raising me. I'm seeing my dad every other week. So it's yeah. not like he has direct influence to discipline me yeah. until I went into the military. Yeah. How much of that, like if you were to go back and think about what if your dad didn't take the flight approach? What if your dad took the fight approach? What if your parents were together? Would it have made a difference in you? And how do you view, you know, the idea of fathers being there with mom and dad together, family nucleus, family nucleus, because a lot of times, you know, the marriage no longer has, you know, the, 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 what it once had, you know, yeah, like yeah. kids are better off being raised with a mom and dad. How do you process that yourself? Cause you became successful not being in that environment. Correct. So do you see this as well? It depends. There's exceptions to the rule. How do you process it? I think it's a fantastic environment. And I think in an idealistic world, that's the way it would be. I think the reason it's not happening today is that I don't think many men actually benefit from marriages or relationships anymore. And people are always going to have to require some degree of incentive. I think that we've set up the world now in a way where men are seen as worker droids. They're expected to go work all day, come home, uh, clean up as well, share the cleaning with the woman, not have any, not no meal prepared for them, not have any authority over the household and just, and just be a worker droid and be sad. And I don't think that many people understand that men are intrinsically wired to desire respect amongst our peers and in our environments. This is why CEOs work so hard because they get respect in their company. This is why we all want so much money and fast cars and status and influence because we're respected. Men desire respect like we desire oxygen. And if a man's coming home to a household where he doesn't feel any respect, he's not going to want to be there for very long. And I think the way you fix this is you need to understand that many men don't have an incentive to be in the house anymore. I think that it's actually would be quite easy for a woman. In fact, there's a couple women who even say this on YouTube. I can't remember their names, but it'd be quite easy for a woman to make a man really happy with super basic things. Just go up to your husband and say, hey, 
you know more about this. What do you think about this? That would make most men's world. And there's so many sexless marriages out there with men who work their ass off and they come home to a sexless marriage and kids who don't fucking even like them. If you were to just even ask him this question about some asinine bullshit, a lawnmower purchase, for example, he would feel so happy to feel like the man of the house. That's what men need. They need to feel like all this work I'm putting in, all this shit I'm going through, I'm respected for it. As soon as a man feels like he has no respect, that's the absolute end of, of a man's interest or a man's tolerance of a situation. I think that's the reason it's happening. I think I know a lot of men who completely love their wives. They love them with all their heart. They die for her. But he's just not respected in his house. He doesn't get to be the man of the house. Is it on him or is it on her? Like, does he need to go earn it or is it on her to provide it? It's a combination of both. I think it's certainly on him to earn it. But also the Matrix programming is counter to him. The Matrix programming is trying to tell him that he shouldn't be allowed to be the man of the house. That he shouldn't be allowed to have any kind of authority in any regard. He shouldn't be allowed to be able to say what happens. The Matrix programming is saying the absolute opposite all the time. And if that's getting into your woman and you don't have that much influence, and that's getting to all your children, you don't have that much influence. Now you're coming home to a household where everyone just thinks you're the dude who should just fucking work. You're just a worker droid. You're the slave. You're the robot. And your feelings don't matter and your authority doesn't matter and get fucked. And this is, this is very conscious. If you watch any Netflix show, the mother is the smart one and the man is the bumbling idiot. Turn on a show. I dare you. Turn on a family show. The mother is the one, hey, hey, calm down. I'm smart. And the man's the look, oh, beer. Watch any of these shows. They're trying to the all, all of it. Made with children, any, any of it. All of it. They're, reducing, they're reducing the man to just a bumbling idiot. And it's very hard, I think, for a lot of men to accept being in a position of constant disrespect. I'll tell you this now. If I had to choose a long-lasting marriage with a woman who loved me or a woman who truly respected me, I might choose respect over love even though they're the same thing for a woman because she, she loves you if she respects you by default. But if I had to choose, I'd choose respect. I've been through too much and worked too hard and go through too much in day-to-day -day life to come home to my house and be having battles over asinine bullshit. I take care of you and I love you with all of my heart. I would die for you. If someone broke into this house, I would engage the invader and die. I'd please just cook dinner. Please, <laughs> what do you want from me? What more can I do for you? Like, and once they feel disrespected, this is another thing about the world that a lot of people don't understand. It's disrespect that will drive a man to the most heinous of crimes. It's disrespect that starts the school shooter bullshit. It's disrespect that makes men go to jail for life sentences. It's disrespect. When you truly disrespect a man in a public and permanent way, that's when they switch. That's why I'm so respectful in public. You don't know who the fuck you're talking to. He might be on his last fucking straw. And you just disrespected, hey, you're a fucking bitch anyway. You're skinny, motherfucker. Fuck you. You don't know. That might be the last time he heard it. I've had enough. You don't know. Disrespect is dangerous, right? And in a household where you're constantly disrespecting a man, he's going to end up depressed and sad for even accepting it. Men just want to feel respected. It's not that hard to do. If a woman, if you truly, assist anyone watching this, if you truly love your man, it would be so easy for you to just make him feel respected. It doesn't even take actions. You can do it with basic words. Ask his opinion on something. Big him up once in a while. And because we're supposed to be supermen and we purport ourselves as supermen and we're stoic. But we talked earlier about how we still feel everything. So when you're a strong man, especially, they're like, ah, he's fine. He's fine. He's fine. He's fine. Be nice to the dude. You'd be surprised how far you get. But this is why I think most men walk out of marriages because they're like, you know what? I'm not getting any respect here. I get more respect from this dickhead stripper, 18-year-old hoe, for throwing money at her, than I do giving money to my own wife. Where am I being respected? Well, at least she's smiling at me. She ain't smiled at me in years. 
And it gets to a point where it's just like, well, I want to feel respected now. I'm working my ass off. I'm out here on the streets. I'm going to the sewers and shit. Where's my respect at? And that's what I think it really comes down to. I think men function on respect. And respect is the number one trigger that'll make a man do heinous crimes. And it's also the thing that will make us do the bravest, most honorable things. What did I say about protecting my wife in front of the raper in a, in a situation on the street? I can't respect myself and I won't be respected by society if I don't die. So I will stand and die. I can't just, oh, well, there's three of them. Mm. I can't do it because my self-respect and respect of the world, nah, that's Tate's girl and he ran away. I can't take it. I have to die. I can't, I can't, I can't live that way. So it's like, it's like honor. It's like Hirokari or whatever that, the Japanese thing with the sword. You, you can't take the, the dishonor of losing. Absolutely. They commit suicide. So respect is so intrinsic to, to men and a lot of society's forgotten this. And that's why I also think my, my message is resonating because I'm teaching men, look, yeah, your life's shit. Yeah. You need to be respected. Yeah. Here's how. Oh, but that's hard. Of course it is. Let's go. So I, I think that's what it is. So I agree with you. I love the idea. But the reason that it's, it's ending is because in traditionalistic families, the woman respected the man. As soon as the respect's gone, now men don't want to be there anymore. They want to go find a new woman who respects them or run around and do dumb shit or run around with their boys. Their boys respect them. Women say, why is my man always out in the street? Because on the street, he's respected. With his boys, he's something. When he's home, what is he? You don't respect him. He, he wants to go be amongst the respect. That's why men do the shit they do. It's dangerous shit, life-threatening shit, gang-banging. How many times have you heard a gangster say, I'll go shoot him, respect, it's my name. It's respect, it's a different, it's a whole different dynamic. We've forgotten the respect inside of relationships and this is why so many men are just losing interest completely. And then yeah, it's a downward spiral, you're, you're completely right. And then the woman's left by herself with the boys and the boys are trying to get respect somewhere, they end up getting on the street, crime, blah, blah, it's all just downhill from there. Would you ever, would you ever consider getting married to one woman and building an actual family nucleus like the traditional way, would you do it since you don't have to worry about you know, garnering respect? That's a good question. It's certainly something I would consider and something I would do. It's not something I'm completely and utterly adverse to. The problem with, the main problem with me doing it is the way that a lot of legality has been set up. I don't like the way the government's doing things, but let's say I already get married, it'd be, I'd get married religiously, perhaps not governmentally. Sure, in religiously, yeah, yeah, absolutely. religiously. And if I met the right woman, sure, I'd absolutely not do it. But in my marriage, if I meet a woman and I marry her and I take care of her, and I make sure she has a fantastic life and I raise her and I nurture her and our children, et cetera. I'm still always going to be the man who says, listen, I'm away this weekend and I'm not going to come home to a bunch of fucking yelling. I'm just going to be that guy. I'm away. There's lipstick. Oh, I'm going to give her a white lie. Tristan had my shirt on some bullshit. Just eat it. Move on. Like I'm just, that's who I am. Right. But all in all, yeah, I, I, I am completely a proponent for love. I believe in a man loving a woman. I don't think many women understand how deeply men love. Love is real. What's that film? Troy. That was, that was about a chick. The fucking warring tribe, the warring yeah. countries. Like, love is real. It's absolutely a real thing. But what we want in return more than even love back is respect. We want to be respected by the woman we love. That's what we want. And I think if a, the women who truly understand that are the smart ones and also the dangerous ones. Because I've met some female players out of Ukraine and Moldova and they're, they're pretty sharp. They know the game and they know exactly what to do to get the billionaire. And uh, I've seen him pull it off. So I've seen it happen. It's funny. I'm talking to Magic Johnson. Okay. And this is six, seven years ago. And the conversation comes up about AIDS, HIV. I said, you know, there's a couple moments as a kid that I clearly remember. One was when Jordan retired. One was when Tupac died. And the other one was when you got HIV. Because I'm in LA. I mean, I'm like Mm -hmm. a Magic fan. And I said, when that came out and all the rumors, the past, all this stuff, I said, you know, what uh, made your marriage work? 
And this is interesting, his answer. I'm not, he says it very quickly, and I don't even think people got it. It's because she's smart. So what do you mean she's smart? Because she's smart. You know, she, they've been married together till today. They're still together. Oh, Magic is still with his wife. I mean, imagine Magic's stories with, you know, Hugh Hefner and the Playboy Mansion and LA, the, the, party the 80s, and who he 90s, was, before 80s, before social yeah. media, I can yeah, imagine. Yeah, yeah. You know, and what he did, but they're still together. Who does the credit go to there? Does the credit go to him? Does it go to her? Who gets her. the credit? That's 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 what he was saying. Yeah. He's saying credit goes to her for the family. Now, some may say, well, look at how the family turned out. You know, look at the kids, because you see the criticism that comes out of one of his sons. You know, it's like, hey, look how this turned out. You know, it looks like it's maybe working out, but you don't yet know the long-term count. Like one day, if you have kids and you decide to bring kids into the world, you're sitting there, you're thinking about the long-term consequences. Because you don't know what they're going to pick up, what they're not going to pick up, what they're going to turn against you, what they are going to turn. It's, it's super interesting because without wanting to tell another long story about my dad, I believe now that I've analyzed that my father sacrificed his marriage for me and Tristan. Because I think that there was times of massive contention with my mother where he was so principled and so concerned with our upbringing as men that he sacrificed his marriage with my, with my mom for us. He filed a divorce. Uh, yeah, so I, I'll give you a very quick example. I'll tell you a very quick story that, that surmises it. So they were still together when they when we moved to England. My father was still in America. He came over to visit. And my mom said to me a couple of days before he comes, your dad's coming. We're going to go get a haircut. And I was must have been about 12 or something. Went to get a haircut. We went to our normal hairdresser. Hairdresser wasn't there. Got some other hairdresser. Cut my hair, whatever, whatever. And we got back to the house. My mom's like, I don't like how she cut your hair. She cut your hair wrong. She cut your hair wrong. And I'm only 12, right? So I'm like, yeah, she cut my hair wrong. She cut my hair wrong. So when my dad came, my dad turns up. He's only there for a couple hours. I haven't seen him in nearly six months. I said, oh, yeah. my mom said, I hate the way they cut his hair. And my dad, and I, and I said, yeah, they cut my hair wrong. Today. And my dad lost his temper. He said, what the fuck are you doing? You're raising my sons to bitches. What the fuck are you talking about haircuts? For? I leave you here with my boys. You're talking about teeth, tell them to worry about their haircut. They're fucking men. Who cares about their hair? Their haircut doesn't matter. When they grow into men, no one's going to care what their hair looks like. Their haircuts are stupid. And my mom's like, well, no, Emery, it's just she cut it wrong. Da, da, da. And then my dad was like, listen, I, I trust you with my boys and you fucking cut the hair on. So they got in some big argument. So I'd only seen my dad for three hours at this point, fucking six months. They got a big argument. My mom kicked him out of the house. So he left the house, right? So he went to the hotel. And then um, the next day he called me. He goes, I can't come to that house. Your mom doesn't want me there. Come to me. And I came to him and we went to the hairdresser. And I was only 12. So this is a traumatic experience, right? I cried my eyes out. I don't know why I cried, but I was upset. He goes, come with me, boy. He goes, you learn when you're older. You're going to understand when you're older. You're going to shave your head. And I was like, I don't want to shave my head. He goes, listen, you're 12. You're a kid. Nobody cares about your hair. Come here. Sent me down the thing. Had my head shaved by the thing. When I went home, my mom went fucking crazy. This is the story she recited to his death about how crazy my dad was. This death, Emery's crazy. He made him shave his head. He's so crazy. That is so crazy. But when I shaved my head, my dad said, listen, you're going to grow into a man and you're going to learn that there's so many things that society expects of you. And there's so many things that people expect of you. And there's so many things people are going to care about. And the last thing on the list is going to be your haircut. They're not going to give a solitary fuck. And I'm not going to have you being raised in your haircut matters. So I, people always say, oh, why am I bald? Right. So I had hair until about three, four years ago. And I was remembering this story. So after this story with my mom and father, my mom went nuts, called my dad crazy. He went back to America. So some three hours after six months because of this haircut thing, because he was so principled, didn't give a shit. So I was sitting in a hairdresser and I was waiting, the guy in front of me and he had his hair cut and the guy in front of me, he goes, oh, I'm finished. And he goes, oh, excuse me. Can you just a little bit here and, and the top, just a little bit in the top and here and here. And I'm sitting there and I'm just on my phone. And I'm like, who gives a fuck? 
a millimeter? Bro, you're, you're ugly anyway, G. Like, <laughs> the fuck? No one cares. Like, and, he, and he messed around for like 10 minutes fucking with his hair. So when it was my turn and I sat down, it wasn't my normal barber. He goes, hey, how'd you want your hair cut? And I remember the story and I just couldn't. I was like, bro, shave it off. Like, I'm, I'm a millionaire, kickboxing world champion. Who gives a fuck about my hair? I haven't had hair since. He's like, get rid of it, get rid of it, get rid of it. You just shave your head. I just shave it off. Yeah, no, like, I, I could grow full head of hair. I just shave you it could. off. You could. Yeah, I could, yeah. You just prefer to be a bald guy. No, I did it at that day. And ever since, I've just been like, oh, it's just easy. I can go anywhere. Shave it off, shave it off, shave it off. But that's an example of my father would destroy his relationship with my mother to try and teach me and Tristan things. And I have so many examples of that. Their, their biggest arguments were almost him being too principled about me and Tristan and my mother trying to be like, Emery, that's crazy. Or Emery, let him go to sleep. Emery, he, he, he doesn't want to play chess. Emery, da-da. sometimes my dad was like, no, but he is going to be this way. He has my name. So you can leave the house if you want, Eileen. He's doing this. So I think a lot of his relationship breakdown was actually because he was so principled on us, which is quite a unique perspective, I guess. Um, so he sacrificed his marriage, I think, in many ways. You know what's funny? You always shaved your head. For years and years and years and years, you had no hair. Now look at this beautiful head Not of hair. Right here. <laughs> I, I would prefer this. I know you I would prefer this. But this guy spends $72 to cut his hair every day. Yeah, yeah, yeah. For five years, my hair was like that. I know. Until, uh, four, uh, four years ago, five years ago. So what are your thoughts let's, on this Let's hair? transition. Let's transition sure. into you're, you're putting a crew together. Yeah. Okay. Everybody has running mates. Like this main, main guys, I use the phrase running mates where Tristan's your running mate, you're his running mate, and then you got other people. So there's a levels to running mates, right? Yeah. So you got acquaintances, you got, you know, friends, you got best friends, then you got running mates. Running mates is a handful. It's not that many. Yeah. And when you create that kind of an environment, there's a very uh, mutual understanding of what the standards are to be at this level. You can go to dinner and shoot the shit and talk to anybody. Hey, and you know, hey, how you doing? Oh, great, man. What's up? How you doing? Man, great. Awesome. Family good. Everybody good. Great. And then there's a next one and a next one and a next one and a next one. And, you know, some people try to become too, too friendly too soon. And it's a little awkward. Yeah. Let's relax a little bit. Let a couple of years go by and then we'll see where this thing goes. Yeah. For your end, what code, not you and Tate, because yeah. not you and uh, Tristan, yeah. set that one aside. I'm talking about anybody else, yeah. non-blood. Yeah. And I'm, I'm not even talking cousin, by the way. I'm talking yep. non-blood. Yep. Anybody that's non-blood, that's in the inner circle of Tate, and right. it's a handful of people on that list, what are some codes all of you follow that's non-negotiable? Absolutely. That's a, a fantastic question, and I, I know exactly how to answer it. So the first things first is I do not like to hang around with men who suffer from a lack of women, because in my experience, any man who can't get women will eventually sell you out for women. It's too powerful a force. Too powerful a force. If you if you're completely sex deprived all the time, sooner or later you're going to sell your boys out for sex. Whether it's his ex or some girl talking bad about your boy, but you really want the pussy, so you let her slide. Da-da. If you're not good with girls, I don't want to talk to you. Second thing is money. You haven't got to be rich, rich, but if you're starving, you're going to try and you're going to try and sneak some money out of somebody, right? If you if you can't eat, you'll do anything for food. If you can't pay the bills, you do anything for money. That means whether it's a plea bargain, whether it's trying to rob me, whether it's money sitting around my house, I don't want to talk to. It's extremely broke people. I don't want to talk to extremely sex deprived people for the same reason. I wouldn't have a whole bunch of food around a hungry person. Same reason. It's the first two things. Next thing is, is loyalty. And I know that's super hard to judge, but I really like to believe that the, the few people I hang around with, if we were all in separate police interviews and they were to come and say, Hey, your boy turned, I could literally burst out laughing. <laughs> say, bro, you better come with a new story. G. You better, go away and think about it and come back. Well, we can talk, but don't try that one. 
try again. So loyalty is very, very important. Next is bravery because can't fight is fine, but won't fight isn't. Won't fight is unacceptable in every level. If I'm with my five friends and I'm going toilet in the club and I come back and I see a, someone punch one of my friends, I am annihilating anybody in that guy's crew. We'll find out why later. My guy could have been wrong. My guy could have been, it could have been my guy's fault. I'm just hitting him, 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 him. I'm just knocking everyone. When everyone's asleep and the threat is neutralized, I'm like, bro, what the fuck was that? Goes, oh, I started. It's like, oh, fucking. First, people have to pay, right? We'll worry about the whys afterwards. So they have to have that loyalty and that devotion to the bravery, the ability to fight. I find it very crazy. I find it crazy. And I say this often to guys. I say, you're rolling around with these men who won't even fight to protect you because they're cowards. So they'll watch you get your head stomped to death and, and cower out and not even try and help you. And they'll be like, yeah, but he's funny. But he's funny? We're talking about life and death. You're talking about fucking funny? Like, so if, if, I, if I can smell on someone that they wouldn't even attempt, I don't want to be anywhere near them for the same reason. And general professionalism. I've, I've, I've developed a habit where I punish myself for the smallest in professional actions. If I misplace my keys or misplace my phone and it takes me more than 10 minutes to find it, I'll punish myself for that. Regardless, whether it's I don't spend money this week or I don't go here or I'm canceling that or I'm going to defer buying something I want to buy. I punish myself religiously so that next time I put my phone down, I know where I put my phone. Next time I put it down, I know where I put it all the time. When I put it down, I know where my phone is. So when I'm around people like, hey, I lost my keys or hey, bro, I forgot that when I'm around sloppy people, I don't like it. I like people who have their lives in order. When I when I detect sloppiness, I don't really want them too close to me because gaps are where pe- things sneak in. Other things are basic OPSEC, really basic OPSEC. I like that if I'm around my friends, if I'm ever sitting with my back to a room, this is an enclosed environment, but in a normal restaurant, I never sit with my back to the room. But if I have to do it, I like that my, fr- I never do it. But if I have to do it, the people I roll with, they'll literally give me a nod. We'll sit down at dinner and I have to sit here. They'll go, and they'll pay extra attention for me because I can't see behind me. I like that level of professionalism. I like that. I like people, like I said, don't we- get weak, no hangovers, no crying their eyes out, no cowardice. It's infectious. Don't like that around me. No negativity. Don't like that around me. So there's certain things that I, 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 I create a very, very particular reality. And it's actually interesting because to me, these things are all normal. But when you have these kind of standards, you pretty hard to find friends. You're like, oh, you're a dumbass. You're a pussy. You're like, and you don't, you don't talk to that many people. But if you get a crew together that act that way, it's amazing how, not to get all airy-fairy, but it's almost an intangible. When you have six men in one place who are perspicacious, who are paying attention, who do have their things right, who don't lose things, who do, do it, the whole room can smell it. When me and my crew walk in a room, even if it's, it's almost like an energy, some guy can be eating his dinner, and not even see us walk in and go, six predators. It's like the rabbit when the fox comes. Like you can smell when the ga- like the guys turn up. Do you know what I mean? And, and everyone's experienced it. Everyone's seen it. So anyone I associate with, I have these very, very, these very, very stringent metrics. And they're basically just to make sure that nobody gets inspired by something they can't resist to snake us. And also nobody's overly sloppy and allows a way for us to be infiltrated and destroyed. And one of the easiest ways that people, especially in the modern world today, especially people in my position, are infiltrated and destroyed are women. So with women, I create that very heavily. If you get a guy who's thirsty and he's on your crew, let's say I have problems with another crew, let's say. And I know they have a member who's thirsty. 
That is the easiest job in the world. You get one hot bitch to Instagram message. You're going to find out where they are, what they're doing, where they've been, the hotel room right now. It's fucking dumb deal. You can, you can do whatever you want to them idiots, right? you got to have guys who can turn that shit down. I've had it a bunch of times in my life where I've, I've been in countries. I was in Sofia, Bulgaria. I was talking to this girl. She's like, hey, did it? She's 10 out of 10. And I've been talking to her for a few weeks. She's like, hey, let's meet at this place. I'm like, ah, oh, let's go here. No, no, this is my favorite place. Let's go here. Did it. And I was like, no. I'll turn pussy down. I could have been wrong. Could have been right. Could have been right. We're never going to know. I'll turn it down. But if you have that guy in your crew, hey, bro, she's so hot, bro. She's so hot. That's, that's problems for you and him and everyone else. So you got to be very careful with the kind of life you're living. But if you live with people who have their lives, lives in order, it's important. But professionalism is also a really big one. When I see people who are sloppy, it makes me very uncomfortable. Just general sloppiness. I, when, I can't explain it. it when somebody, when a girl is your girl, uh, are you telling her anything? Or is it a understanding? Like, hey, listen, these are some things that I follow. And you're either okay with this or you're not. But I'm not compromising these things. Do you have those conversations when a girl is your main girl? Yeah. So if it, I've had relationships with women for five or six years and they never knew my job. And, and I'll just say to them, look, it's if you know things, even though I don't do anything wrong, but if you know even who I associate with, if you know things, then you have to lie. Why is, isn't it easier if you just don't know? Then you got to lie. Right. So let's just I'm working. What's work? Work's work. You're on a jet. You're on a jet. Right. So I keep certain things from them because it makes it easier than them having to worry about a false narrative or a lie in the event of whatever. Or if we break up, then then what? Right. So I'm very careful of that. I'm very, very careful who I talk around as well. Like if there's random, like on the yacht, me, Tristan and my cousin, we were just with 30 girls on the yacht. We didn't talk business once. We talked business one night when everyone was asleep. A couple of times, like Luke went to go, hey, man, I'll message you. We'll be sitting in the same room. What's happening? People. Loose lips sink ships. Doesn't matter if you're doing nothing wrong. You gotta be careful who you're talking around. They listen into shit. And in the modern world, they record shit. Like you don't want to what's even if it's a 0.1% chance, but what's the upside? Like there's no upside. Yeah. So why take the 1% chance? Risk reward. You know, I'm very, very careful. And especially yeah. with women, not because they're necessarily malicious, but because women in general don't have to worry about the certain things I'm talking about with terms of professionalism. There's a whole bunch of beautiful, smart, great women out there who just go through life and they're just Instagramming everywhere they go and they forgot their keys and do, 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 do. And if she's too close to your circle, she's yeah. just, just an in. It's an in to get you. And you got to be careful. And it's amazing whether it's the 1970s Soviet spies or the 2022 mafia, when they want to get a dude, it's a chick. You either send a new chick or you watch his old chick or you find his girlfriend, even a bounty hunter today. Let's say I was wanted by the police and they couldn't find me. Who's his girl? But he's gone there. But he needs some sex. Go put, put a car there. Every time. Every fucking time. You've got to keep this shit in order. And and the women I associate with have enough respect for me to go, okay, I don't know. Fine. Just, I love you. Love you. When they arrested El Chapo's girl, didn't you say I didn't know he was a criminal? I thought he was a chef or some shit. I was like, perfect. Perfect. She doesn't even know a lie anymore. He's a chef. He told me he's a chef. He's a chef. He's no, a billionaire chef. He's a chef. Dude's a chef. I don't know. The guy's a chef. So, and and it's actually interesting because a lot of men want to brag to women. Because we want to show status. So you want to sit there and brag about all the good things you do. But there is a downside to that. There is a, a degree of downside. I was in Moldova. No, I take that back. I was in Constanta, Romania, nine years ago before I moved there. And I was in a club. And I must have been the only foreign person in the club. And there was a 11 out of 10 Moldovan girl. The most beautiful girl I'd ever seen. 
And I went over and I tried to talk to her and she said, oh yeah, I only drink champagne. And at the time I didn't have that much money. I said, oh, you only drink champagne. Well, I'm finished drinking for the night, but it's very nice to meet you because I couldn't afford a bottle of champagne. So I'd style it. So I was like, I don't have any, I said, I'll finish drinking for the night, but it's very nice to meet you. What's your name? What's your name? Okay, nice to meet you. Bye. Left the club, whatever. Next day I came, I saw her on this table, champagne show, champagne show, champagne show. Next table, champagne show. Champagne. And while she was doing all this, I was, we were kind of catching each other's eye, looking a little bit, da, da, da. And a couple of times I caught her at lunch because Santa's like a beach town. I caught her at lunch. I spoke for a little bit. And she kept asking me for champagne. I was like, listen, you are absolutely gorgeous. I think you and I are going to have a long and happy future together, but I'm not going to buy you champagne. I'll tell you why later. I'll put mystery on it. So I can't tell you broke, right? I'll put mystery spin. So I'm going to tell you why I don't buy champagne later. It's a long and interesting story. Once I can trust you, I'm going to tell you why I won't buy you champagne. You can trust me now. I will tell you. Not yet. Style it off. Style it off. Style it off. Anyway, as we got to know each other across the summer, eventually when we became friends, she came clean. She works for the club. She gets commission on champagne. Of course. Of course. The girl's in the club. You're buying champagne for this thing. She gets a commission per bottle. What was interesting is this. She had on her phone a system. So she'd meet you. You'd buy her drinks the first night. You'd go a separate date. The second night, you'd buy her drinks. Third day, she'd send a pre-decide already in her notes how you live far away and you she can't fall in love again. She's only been with one man her whole life. She falls in love with you. She's going to have her heart broken and she's scared. And then she'll ghost you for three days. Then eventually after begging, you'll get her back, but she wants to come, but not on her own because she's scared. She wants to bring three friends and she'll go to this restaurant. She wants to drink this champagne. Boom, boom. A commission, 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 commission. And she'll show me in her Facebook message, every dude, Playbook, every fucking guy, one after another, every night of the week, all just falling for the playbook, falling for the playbook. She says, you're the only guy who never bought me champagne. I was like, yeah, well, I didn't tell her I didn't have any money. I was just <laughs> <laughs> And I was, like, I, I was like, I've been around the world. I know some things. So anyway, I, I played it off. And she was sitting there telling me, yeah, and this, and when she was going through it, which was scaring to me, she goes, yeah, this guy on Facebook, yeah, he's from Turkey and he, he does private airplanes and da, 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 da. And this slips. guy, da, da. she's telling all their jobs, the money they're making, where they live, the town they're in, because these dudes are sitting there talking. I'm so rich, baby. I'm so rich. I'm so rich. You want champagne? I got it. I do this. I do this. I do this. I do this. And I'll sit there thinking, whichever mall boss picks this girl up is going to have a whole bunch of targets to go robbing all night long because dudes just can't shut the fuck up. And this is when I was 24, 25. Ever since then, I, I, I style it off. What's your job? Oh, I, I work. It depends where I am. If I'm like in, in Romania, I say I make papanash, which is a Romanian donut. It's a national food. You're the donut guy. I say, I make papanash, baby. The papanash is like, I'm number one. I just style off. None of them know my job. None of them know what I do. None of them know. They, because I don't, I, you don't know. Papanash. You don't know what they know. So <laughs> yeah, I'm very, very careful when it comes to talking to women for that reason. So that was a lot of, so, so it's funny because uh, when we met, um, uh, one of your uh, your lady with you last night, she stood there. Hi, this is my wife. Yeah. Didn't say anything. Yeah. No this, yeah. no nothing. Distance didn't approach. Yeah. Didn't even entertain conversation. Yep. It's not even something that was going to happen. Yep. It's common in the Muslim community. It is, when yes. that's why I asked you earlier if there was anybody that had any influence over you on the Muslim side. Yeah. She she is she is by by coincidence Islamic. She is Muslim. Okay. She's half Turkish, half Romanian. But uh, a lot of my women are, 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 are kind of similar. They're like, oh, hi. And they don't really talk too much. Um, and that's just something I've, I've asked them to do in a very polite way. Say, look, I talk to lots of people. And you guys are fine, right? But I, I'll tell the truth. I say, I talk to a lot of unsavory people. I have a lot of people who know me, whose hands I shake, who are bad people. Bad people. They don't need to know too much about you. I don't even really want them to see you. It's unfortunate. And they catch me on the street and you're with me. That's a bad, that's a bad time. I wish it didn't happen. The last thing you need to be doing is going and saying, hello, my name is this. Just don't talk to nobody. 
And by extension, it's the same thing with violence. I had a, a conversation with my girls as well. My girls are completely trained. I said, listen, if I'm ever attacked or anything ever happens to me, run, scream and run. Don't be trying to get in the way or say, don't hit him or some bullshit. Just fucking leave. Because I know dudes don't care that you're a chick. You got to get out of here. So I try and be as protective as possible. I'm not trying to be controlling. I just try and protect them from situations. Just say hi. Be polite. Hi. Don't say your name. Don't go over there. Oh, I knew him from here. Yeah. We've been together this long. I'm from this country. Just leave it. And some people can find it weird and rude, but I think I can, overall, the people I know, and I can style it off and they can understand why it is that way. And it's just a better dynamic for me as a whole. I, I respect it. You know, and then you said loyalty. You said uh, you Bravery. don't need to know how to fight, but you have to be willing to fight. Absolutely. And if you're, you know, one code we had, I had a friend of mine who uh, I told him, I said, listen, guys, here's how I roll. I said, if your girl breaks up with you, she calls me. I have nothing to talk to her about. Absolutely. I said, if my girl breaks up with me and you're talking to her, you have nothing to talk to her about. Absolutely. Zero. Because the number one revenge is to get with a friend to do that. So so one time, a guy you know, she, uh, his girl contacts me and one after another, after another, after another, after another. And I just finally said, we have nothing to talk about. Absolutely. He's the relationship, not you. Absolutely. Some of these things, it's... it's and, that, and that comes from a lack of thirst, right? You have a thirsty dude. Yeah. What happens there, right? But, but it's also it's, it's also a filtering process because once you see it, you're kind of like, yeah, that's not going to be a long-term relationship. They're the loose lip situation. I had an assistant that every time I'm working on a big announcement that I'm about to announce to everybody in the company, a certain department, when I said, there's no way you could know this announcement. Yeah. How do you know this announcement? Keynote speaker, I'm launching Kobe Bryant. One person asked, how do you know this? How do you know we're announcing Kobe Bryant as a keynote speaker, late Kobe Bryant? Finally, I'm like, he can't be my assistant. Because even though you get excited, you got to keep it to yourself. This isn't anybody else's business. This is uh, If you're on the inside, you're on the inside. Nothing leaks to anybody else, no matter what business dealings. And this is the thing about emotionality, because you just nailed it. Even with the best possible intentions, if people are excitable, they're manipulatable, and they can be used. This is why stoicism is so important. Let's imagine in a hypothetical situation, you guys were to hand me a million dollars cash right now. I would sit and think, I'd say thank you. And I'd sit and think, am I going to get out of this building alive? I wouldn't be like, wow, a million dollars. Oh, I wouldn't get excited. I'd be like, that's unusual. Fuck. (laughs) That's that's what I think. I'd poker face it. But that's what would go through my brain. Because if I was excitable, wow, a million. And you'll give me more. Wow. That boom. That's the end of the game, right? You can't, you can't be excitable. There's a time and a place when you're with very, very select people in very, very private environments, you can be excitable. But otherwise, yeah, you're right. People get excited and they talk too much and they get happy and da, da, da. And, and it's fine at a certain echelon, but once you reach the, the upper echelons of life, you have to really start analyzing risk reward, especially in the modern world, especially look at me now, right? I just took a huge risk. I'm a misogynist and I'm evil and I just want a boat with 30 girls. If one of them were to have turned on me, imagine the bullshit that would have come out. That's a risk. And I had to analyze the risk, had a conversation with all the girls in advance, made it clear they all had their own separate bedrooms, that operate extremely professionally, CCTV on the boat. I couldn't just be some jackass. Let's all just go get drunk. Let me see everyone get drunk of a sex fest. You have to be pro. You have to be professional about things. And the sloppy guy wouldn't have done that in my position. He was going, oh, hey, I got a boat. I got girls. I got booze. I got money. I better. The end of the game. It's easier said than done. It's easier to control the uh, the emotions when it comes down to things like that. Musk, you hear a story about Musk where his dad told him the most important role a man has is to populate. Yeah. Right. And he's got what? I think he's got ten kids now. 
eight kids now? Did you see he just had another set of twins? Some, some uh, ridiculous amount of number, but he's trying to repopulate the, the planet and or Mars. Yeah, he, this is... Yeah. Ten kids. Ten kids? He's got ten kids. Yeah. You're talking about the richest man in the world, possibly the smart, one of the smartest Agreed. brains in the world, uh, one of the best trolls in the world, yeah, yeah, yeah. one of the most necessary forces yep. in the world where the people that are not fans of you, you know, can't stand him. That's yep. enemy to state number one. Yep. They don't like the fact that he can just drop $44 billion and to be able to buy Twitter or do anything it's he's true. doing. What do you what do you think about Elon Musk? Man, I love Elon, and I love that he has he is a man of purpose, and I have so much respect for men of purpose. Most people who get his kind of paycheck, whenever he got it in the nineties, would have just cashed out hedonism and bullshit. He he decided to risk it all again to try and achieve the most impossible things. That's how you got to where you are. That's how where I got to where I am. When you have enough to stop, but you don't stop for some reason. There's some new mountain to climb, and that is what's beautiful about men as a whole. All of the exploration on the planet, the deep sea, Antarctica, Mount Everest, all of it was a man who had enough and thought, no, I'm going to go anyway. And that's who Elon is. So I have so much respect for him because he didn't, he doesn't need to do any of the stuff he's doing. And he's adopting the biggest problems in the world and all the headache that comes with it. You're right. All the, the heat and all the dislike and all the pressure, he's adopting it anyway. And those are the kind of men we need more of. The men who say, you know what? Yeah, I do have enough. It's not about enough. Who are some guys that you would put in that, that uh, level with Musk, like Musk? Well, Musk is Musk, right? Um, he's the pinnacle, but who else would you put in that space? I have respect for anyone who's kind of similar. I'm trying to think of people who I idolize and really look up to. Uh, some of them are fighters. Like I always loved Mayweather. I think Mayweather is the best boxer in history. Really? Uh, yeah. I liked Mayweather. I was a huge fan. Best of boxer in history. Yeah. Ahead of Ali. Yeah. Uh, I mean, Ali's Ali, right? But Mayweather's never lost. It's hard to, he's never lost to anybody. And I liked him because he was so clinical and so precise. And he took his ego out of it and said, I want to have a longer career than everyone else. So I'm going to focus on not getting hit and hitting him. I may not get the knockout. I, I don't need the knockout. I've won. Just win clinical chess. Win payday. Win payday. You were fighting was boring. 100 bill, whatever. 100 mil, whatever. Yeah, boring. Cool. Next, win. Da-da. He was really smart. So I, I like Mayweather. He's someone I've always looked up to and I really respect. Um, that's a really good question. I think that it's, it's kind of difficult now in the world because also a lot of the people who are, who are propagated to the top and perpetuated into absolute global stardom, I'm not sure if all of them have done it through good intentions. You can look at the things we said from Logan earlier, et cetera. But I think even now I have the most respect for the common man. I think I have so much respect for the common man. I say it all the time to Tristan. Me and him will have our most in-depth conversations when we're in a, a, a S-class on our way to the private jet. And we see a street sweeper at 3 a.m. in Romania knowing he's getting 200 bucks a month. And me and T will look at him and go, that, I respect that. Like, it just, man, there are so many people out here just living hard lives. And I have so much respect for them. And, and it's, we can talk about the ones who make it, but there's so many people who don't make it. And that's difficult. And I have so many stories. I don't want to tell any more stories that I can go on forever. But even little things I do, like at buffets, nobody ever compliments the chef at buffets. So whenever I go to a buffet, I try and say, bro, did you cook this? This is, this is great. I did it in Cyprus at some resort. I swear, like I gave him a million bucks to smile on his face. <laughs> He'd never been complimented in 15 years of cooking meatballs. He was the happiest man in the world because he just slaves away for fucking nothing. And I think a lot of people are out here just giving their life force up for, for nothing in return. He wanted respect. He wanted respect. And I gave him a little bit for some meatballs. And I could tell he'd never been complimented in history. Most people would say, hey, where's the plates? 
you know? So I have respect for the common man, anyone who's out here doing what they have to do. There's no such thing. And I know I have a lot of money, but there's no such thing as shameful work. If you're a man and you're getting up and you're working, doesn't matter what it is. We need people who do these jobs. And I have absolute respect for you. And when I talk about escaping the matrix, I'm not saying that, you know, if you're working a normal job, you suck. I'm not saying that. I'm saying if you want to live the life I live and you want to have all the things I have, then you have to escape. Of course, it's going to be difficult. But I have absolute respect for anyone who gets up in the morning and faces their demons and gets it done. Because life as a man is fucking hard. It is really hard to do. Final topic before we wrap up. Sure. America, do you do you follow the political climate in the U.S.? I have recently become apolitical. <laughs> I have so little faith in either side of the system that I am now absolutely and utterly apolitical. I do not have any opinions on anything. I'm an apolitical person because I feel like it's two sides of the same coin. That's my view. My view. Doesn't matter who it is. I don't Left, think it, right, middle, it's the same thing. I think from an ideological perspective, it's nice to have certain figures because it certainly inspires the morale of the sensible as opposed to the morale of the insane. I believe that. However, I believe that the power structures are set up in such a way that the president doesn't truly matter. I don't know if you saw, there's an interview with Putin when Trump first became president. You can find it on YouTube. And he said something very interesting. And he said, what do you think about Trump? Trump has all these ideas about Russia and how he wants to change the world, et cetera. And Putin said, I think, I, I think he said four. I've sat through four U.S. presidents so far. They all come with very interesting ideas. And then the men with the black suits and the briefcases come and explain to them how things are done. And then they leave and I'm still here and nothing really changes. Putin said it. Putin understands. And uh, I think for this reason, winning a vote is nice to say ha-ha to the other side. Winning a vote is nice to say, look, there's still some common sense in the world. It's certainly a morale boost from the actual skin and bones, from the actual blood and grit of how it would change society. I don't think it changes anything. And for that reason, and because I don't want to be suicided, I am absolutely not the unbelievable. I'm able. Do you put him as the most powerful man in the world, Putin? Is he at the top or you put Xi ahead of him? My view on Putin is very controversial. Do I wrap this up with this? I think Putin is misunderstood. I think he's a misunderstood man. I think that he's been in power for a very long time. I think he's extremely smart. I think he genuinely cares about Russia and Russians above other countries. We're living in a world now where it's very interesting to see European leaders self-implode and self-destruct their own gas prices, their own governments, their own businesses, their own populace's living standards because of some idealistic nation, idealistic notion that they need to help a nation that they have no direct link to. If I'm a leader of X country, I should be concerned about X country more than I'm concerned about the plight of whatever country. That's my duty and job. I think it's very interesting that most politicians in the world today don't seem to give a shit at all about their constituency. They care about aligning themselves to higher ideologies and self-imploding their own countries and the living standards for this ideology. Yeah. Putin doesn't do that. It's Russia first, Russia. Russians, Russia. Russians, Russian. And for that, I respect him. Most other countries don't do that and won't do that. So I find that very, very interesting about him. I think the current situation is absolutely and utterly unfortunate. I think what happened is terrible. War on all sides is always terrible, unterrible. I think it's unfair that we discussed Ukraine at length when this has been happening across the Middle East and Africa for decades. Nobody ever gave a shit. But now people seem to give a shit about proxy wars and unfair conflicts and people dying. It's always been happening and nobody cared because they're brown or black. But now we care because they're white Europeans and their chicks are hot. So I think there's a degree of, of hypocrisy there. 
Um, he's certainly not the bad guy. Everyone's saying he is. He has a, a point and his point is logical and it makes sense. And he has a point to defend. Um, and I think that to a degree, he was forced into making the moves he was made. And uh, Do you have a unique perspective with Ukraine being a neighboring of your Romania and like Zelensky and Putin going back and forward? It is unique. Yeah. Like there's, there's obviously good and bad on both sides. Nobody's completely innocent. And those are the worst kind of conflicts because when you have a good guy and a bad guy, it's simple, right? But life's never that simple. One, guy A has some good points and some bad points. Guy B has some good points and some bad points. Innocents always suffer in the end. The people at the top don't even suffer. And it, it's really unfortunate. War has always been the same. World War II is the same. The generals sit and have dinner after millions have been massacred. It's, it's unfortunate. And this is another thing I talk about. Life as a man and status. If you get to become a general, you know, you can participate in the battle. But if you lose, you just surrender. And you have to get to have a stake with the Russians and get to go home. If you're at the bottom, you have to die with an artillery shell. So it's all once again about status. It's, it's really unfortunate, but I certainly think that Putin is definitely not a stupid man. And I think the narrative that they point that he's some madman is bullshit. He's not crazy. He's not a madman. He's a very logical actor with points that no people, not many people know or consider or understand why he's doing what he does. But I respect that he believes in Russia and sticks up for Russians. And I think that any leader of any country should do that. I think there was, I'm apolitical now, so I can't remember his name. But uh, there was a recent president of the United States who said America first. And I think that anybody who prioritizes their own populace over the other populations of the world should do exactly that. I think that's their job. I think to do anything else is irresponsible. I think the Russians do it. The Chinese do it. The Indians do it. All the other superpowers to come are going to do that. And as long as you're in charge of a country and you decide to vacate the needs of your own populace to, to please some crazy ideology, wherever it will be, it makes you non-competitive. And on a long enough time frame, you're going to lose. And that's how empires fall. It, it would be very interesting if you were to have a sit down with this one president. They said America first. I don't know who you're referencing, but obviously I can't remember be, his name. I forgot. I know. But if, if it would happen to be interesting, I don't know how long this is. Is it almost five hours or no? We've been going for a few hours. Okay, it feels like five minutes. But to the audience, some people, maybe for the first time, they're hearing you. Some of them are following you no matter what you say. They're going to follow the content at this point coming up, upbringing, you know, ban today. Is there any specific belief system you follow? I'm glad you asked that because when they attacked me, when the Matrix attacked me, they said that I purport misogyny and I believe in uh, chauvinistic principles and all this absolute garbage. And when they, when they said that about me, I understood it's very important that I create a list and explain to the world exactly why I believe. So without looking unprofessional, I've written it down. I would like to actually say the I've written 41 tenets of thing I believe in. And if you if you hear any that you disagree 41 with. 41 tenets. 41 tenets. Interesting. If you disagree with any of them, I would love to hear feedback on any of them. So these are the 41 things I 41 things I believe in most. And before I read out this framework, it doesn't matter if you are a Muslim, a Christian. It doesn't matter if you're black and white, black or white, weak or strong. I think if any man lives true to these tenets, they're going to have a fantastic relationship with life. And also they're going to be a good force and good influence for people around them. And I think that all in all, they're going to enjoy their experience, their human experience, and the people close to them will also enjoy their presence. So that's what this is about. These are the 41 things I believe. So here we go. I believe that men have the divine imperative to become as capable, powerful, and competent as possible in this life. I reserve my human right to hold my own beliefs and practice them as I see fit and allow other people the same right to believe and act as they wish. I prefer loving, rewarding, consensual relationships with beautiful, positive, and virtuous women. I believe men and women are different and that each has their own unique and, unique and important strengths and abilities. I believe men have the sacred duty to protect and provide for the important people in their lives. 
I believe men have the sacred duty to protect the innocence and sanctity of their children and reserve the right and responsibility to raise their children as they see best to ensure their long-term happiness and success. I believe that men have the sacred duty to raise strong, capable, and honorable sons. I believe that men have the sacred duty to raise kind, feminine, and virtuous daughters. I utterly disprove of violence within romantic or familiar relationships. I support good and honest governments and will obey their laws. I prefer to only conduct business dealings with trusted and vetted brothers. I believe that a man has the sacred duty to hold true to his word and do exactly what he says he will do. I believe that a man's life is difficult and that he has the sacred duty to become strong to handle such difficulty. I believe men are personally responsible for their actions and for the results they achieve in their lives. I believe in emotional control and the vital need to become disciplined and professional in all things. I believe that men have the sacred duty to approach everything in life from a position of strength. I believe that all men have the sacred duty to become men of upright and virtuous character and live above all possible reproach. I believe it is incumbent upon me to ruthlessly identify my own weaknesses and limitations, and I eagerly work to overcome them and become more capable in all realms. I seek to improve my personal freedom to think, act, and live true to my masculine imperative in all ways. I believe each man has a sacred duty to mold the physical body into the strongest, most resilient, and most capable version of itself. I believe that men have the sacred duty to rigorously train themselves, both physically and mentally, every day. I believe that I have the sacred duty to only eat the highest quality foods possible. I reserve the right to protect the sanctity of my bloodstream and make my own decisions about medical care and procedures. I affirm the importance of endlessly improving my mental faculties through diligent work, study, and practice. I believe in inquiring wealth and abundance in order to improve my life and do good for those I care about. I believe in the merits of healthy competition and constantly encourage all men to seek out competition to improve themselves. I believe that masculine brotherhood is essential to men's mental health, happiness, and success. And I relentlessly encourage men to meet together, train together, and work together. I maintain the trust of my brothers through reverent silence regarding our most sacred and shared experiences. I believe in honoring my ancestors and living in a way that would make most of them proud of me today. I reserve the right to administer difficult rites of passage for our young men to allow them to earn the rank of manhood. I affirm the importance and need for travel and adventure as men. I seek to help men overcome poor mental health through embracing hard work, physical improvements, and shared masculine brotherhood. I reserve the right to make the best choices I can at the time to protect myself and respect my mental health. I do good in the world and seek to help those less fortunate. I believe all men have the responsibility to lead and guide those they care about for greater health, prosperity, and happiness. I choose to only interact with those who are respectful and civil to me in return for my own respectfulness and civility. I reserve the freedom to speak and refer to others as I believe is best and most, most truthful. I reserve the right to choose my company and include only those whom I believe are best for my health, happiness, and success. I believe I have an imperative to only spend my time in a way that I determine is beneficial, uplifting, and empowering to myself and others. I choose to only allow myself to be influenced by those who I believe have my best interests in mind. And the final one, each day I dedicate myself anew to create the greatest possible positive impact on the world and do the work necessary to achieve a greater masculine excellence across all realms of human endeavor. Those are the 41 things. Powerful. Thank you. When did you, when did you write that? I wrote this last night, about half of them and the other half of the way. Wow. You said what? last night you yes. came up with this? Yeah, I decided to explain exactly my beliefs. So these are the 41 tenets I believe in, and I think they can apply to any man on the planet. And if a man lives true to these, it's going to be beneficial for both him and everybody who loves him and the world as a whole. I, I don't think it's possible to find a negative connotation to any of those 41 tenets. That's what I personally think. Powerful, man. Thank you.
this has been uh, incredible, you know, sitting down with you and, you know, at a time like this, long format, kind of risky to go this long. Both sides, we wanted it. We started talking on Instagram. I think you reached out on Insta and um, all of a sudden we're talking to each other. We had been in communication for a couple of years ago. I don't know what it was, but right. different format. But uh, for the audience that maybe is not on Rumble or doesn't know where to follow you, what can people find you? Yes, uh, I'm on Rumble at Tate Speech. So rumble.com slash Tate Speech. Please subscribe to me on there. I have a few other channels, but if you subscribe to that one, the other channels will be mentioned in time. That's also where I do my live podcast. And then on my website, which is cobratate.com, there's a free mailing list. We send one email a day uh, with life-affirming advice, the kind of things we've been talking about here. Uh, stories from my life, things I've learned. And it's a free email list and it comes every single day. So please sign up to the email list there. Anybody who wants to learn more from me on cobratate.com, you can read about the War Room. The War Room is my personal group. It's my private mentorship group. We have 5,000 members all around the world in 72 different countries. And we have some extremely capable, intelligent, diligent, professional men inside of the organization. And basically, everybody is aligned with the things we've been talking about now in this, in this conversation. But more information is at cobratate.com. But best thing is my email list because that's very hard to take from me. So that's what mm -hmm. you'll definitely hear from me uh, for a long time coming, hopefully. Well, brother, this has been great uh, sitting down with you. First time we meet. First time, First time we need having a conversation like this. I hope the audience um, can make a decision for themselves to know you're not a perfect man. This is not a perfect person we're talking to. We're all flawed in our own way. Absolutely. But be able to see it from uh, a clear, full five-hour format where it's not a 15-second clip. Absolutely. And they make a decision for themselves. But... Brother. Appreciate you for this, man. This was man, fantastic. Thank you. Really enjoyed it, man. Thank you, bro. Thank, thank you very much. Bro. Thank you, bro. Thank you. Thank you. How often have you sent a message or a DM to an expert influencer and you never hear back from them? Why is that? Because they get bombarded with thousands of messages and you're one of them. What if I told you there's a way that if you send a message to them, pretty much 100% ratio they're going to respond to you? That's the app Minect. On Minect, you have a minute to connect with any of your influencers that we have on there right now. For example, myself. If you want to ask about raising money, if you want to talk to Chaz Palminteri, Kevin Connolly, maybe even Tate, maybe others, you can get on there, pose your question. They will respond back in a video or you can have a 15 minute call with them, but you pay by the minute. If you want to take advantage of this app, go ahead and download the app and start connecting with other influencers and experts.